play the music, uh, but they're going to go right into testimony. I had to... T- God damn. Oh, boy. Don't ever have property in multiple states and live multiple states away and try to close deals. And Oh, my God. You talk about fucking headaches, dude. Of course, there's about three other issues involved with this. I've been dealing with that all morning. Let me switch scenes here. Holy shit. I'm going to take the bikini thing down because it's adding in shit from last night anyway. And we would have already probably, we would have already hit it. it if you're counting trouble. Pull this I up. Do. You have a seat, please? Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Let's begin by uh, so having you state your full name, spelling each of your names. My full name is David Richard Fowler. David, D-A-V-I-D, Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, Fowler, F-O-W-L-E-R. Mr. Nelson. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Fowler, are you presently employed? I am retired. Okay. Um, Could you tell the jury a little bit about what you did prior to your retirement? Prior to my retirement, I have been full-time in forensic pathology since about 1986, which is when I first started training in that discipline. And I have been full-time within that discipline for um, 30-some years, whatever that number is. Where did you work prior to retirement? I worked at the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner for the State of Maryland. Do you have any other employment, uh, either before your retirement or subsequent to your retirement? Yes, I would do um, the occasional consultation um, case um, during the time prior. What's up, chat? And I have done some since my retirement. I'm kind of in a bad mood this morning. Tell us a little bit about your education (laughs) and background. Oh, my God. Certainly. I graduated from the University of Cape Town in South Africa in 1983. I did a a year of internship in general medicine and general surgery. That's required in South Africa before you can get a medical license. I then followed that with a year of um, training in pediatrics. Five and drum. Thank you, brother at the Red Cross Children's Hospital in Cape Town. And completing that year, I entered a full-time five-year training program at the University of Cape Town in forensic pathology. And are you board certified? I am. And so the system in South Africa is that you eventually graduate with a Master of Medicine. My man went to South Africa for a discipline. I love it. ended up with a Master of Medicine in forensic pathology, which qualifies you in the South African system to be what they call a specialist, which in this country is the same as an attending physician, just different terminology. Um, But that's equivalent to board certification here. When I came to the United States, I felt it was very important to get an American qualification if I was going to work in this country um, full-time. And so I went back and the American Board of Pathology demands that all pathology training is done in the United States or Canada. So, you know, if I wanted to do that and be eligible for their examination process, I had to then go back and retrain. So I went to the University of Maryland for two years to complete additional anatomic pathology training, 
to qualify me for that portion of the examination process, and then two years of forensic pathology training at the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. I then took my board examinations through the American Board of Pathology um, in anatomic and forensic pathology and um, passed those exams. Great. Um, so how did your career progress after you received all of that education? So at, at about the time that I finished my training, um, I was recruited full-time into the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner as an assistant medical examiner. And that was I would have to look at my CV to be absolutely certain, 95 or 96, okay. somewhere in that range. Are you a licensed physician in the United States? Yes, I am. Now, you, you were educated in large part in South Africa, but then also here in the United States. Are there some differences between the degrees? Was this guy's big ears? Yes, he does. There, there are different letters after your name. But so if you go through. Clever, thank you, brother. System which is. Killstream.live slash tip. Also, process. Cash App's up. You end up with a Sunset Squad on Cash App. And some of them have different. Let me turn on entropy as well. mean you have um, two bachelor's degrees a bachelor of medicine and a bachelor of surgery. And it's a six year training program, not a four year training program like you have in the United States. Just different ways of getting to the same end point. If you want to work as a physician in the United States, you have to go through a process um, which when I went through it was run by the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates. And they make an assessment as to whether or not the university that you went to meets the appropriate standards. Wargoss says, order in the retort, let's fucking go! Um, universities that are approved by the World indeed. Health Organization as meeting certain standards. Also, I think I Once you've... Forgot to gavel us in today. And your um, university is recognized... Then you have to go through a set of board examinations, which are very similar to all US graduates graduating from a US university. So nowadays they are known as the US MLE examinations. So we go through exactly the same process for evaluation. Um, and then you can be- yeah, Fashion, good to see you, man. Apply for a medical license in the United States. Good to see States you every day, brother. On that process. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. And in, in terms of... Honestly, I needed this show today. I was so mad. A licensed physician. I've been trying Is to close that, this deal for fucking and, all month um, and then some of last month, too. Oh, my board God. board certifications in forensic pathology and anatomic pathology. That's correct? Whew. Yes, I do. And you worked as a pathologist or a forensic pathologist. You're right. The volume is low. I'll fix that. Approximately 1995. So that's when I qualified... And finished my training in Let the United me know if that's States. better. But I was working as a pathologist all the way from the time I arrived in 1991. So I've had an interrupted work within pathology um, all the way from hey, Dark Web, thank you, man. when I started my training in pediatric pathology at the Red Cross Children's Hospital, which was probably back in 1985. Um, but some of that is training, so the question is whether you want to count that as being a pathologist or just a trainee pathologist. Okay. What is a pathologist? How would you describe that to the jury? Typically, the pathologist that most people will come across will not come across because they work in the laboratory in a hospital. And they are the individuals who will run the laboratories. And those laboratories are the ones 
that take the samples which are taken from individuals. What's up, Osir? Good morning, brother. Treatment by the surgeons and other clinicians, also, physicians. We know what a pathologist is. Heterosexual Jeffrey Dahmer says, it's almost silly how much more competent Nelson seems than the entire state prosecution lineup. The black guy is literally retarded, and the woman is a woman. No, None seem worth a fraction of their pay. That's true, and I thought the same thing. He sent that in after the kill stream last night, so I'd read it here at the beginning. Uh, Neck, Neil, and Nelson also says, buy Dogecoin. Yes. Um, Killstream.live said, so we in there. Chaos Universe, thank you, brother. Training in forensic pathology. Y'all literally lifted my spirits. Holy fuck, I was so mad. I was so mad. I'm not going to lie. I was so mad. I almost thought about not streaming this morning. I was like, I need the day to just take to myself. I was so pissed. Yes, deals. I won't get into it, but charge of oh, and it also is just like relieving me of some of my interest that I have there in Arkansas. It would just the one in charge of autopsy services. It's not even the money. It's just like the headache. I'm so done with it. On oh, supervising the autopsy process, and but then I said, you know what? I made a fucking commitment. I made a fucking commitment to this court retort shit. I said I would be there. And I'm going to the be there. Lord Aragon, thank you, brother, with five more gifted subs. Investigations which are going on statewide. And so the, this is a big jurisdiction. Good, doctor. I need this, too. But Maryland, the population served by the medical examiner's office is about six million people. It's the entire state out of one office. And so we have a lot of investigators out in the counties doing work. And the coordination and supervision of that falls to the deputy chief for statewide services. So having been the deputy chief for autopsy services for several years, the chief medical examiner asked me then to take over statewide services, which I did for several years. <laughs> I was in that position. I saw that Vorgoth. So Maybe today I did kind of sound like one, honestly. As the interim or acting chief medical examiner until they could find somebody felt, to take a position permanently. It's frustration, and, honestly. And it's like, God, I thought I was done. The, uh, I thought this deal was over. So I was acting chief medical examiner for about a year, and after a national search, the health department um, appointed me into the position as chief medical examiner. So I believe that was 2002, 2003, about 2003, if I remember correctly. And you served in that capacity until your retirement? Yes, it was about 17 years in that position. So what type of work is done at the medical examiner's office? I mean, you've explained kind of the differences in the statewide versus the autopsies. So the difference between what's done in the hospital. Entropy should be online, actually. Killstream.live slash entropy. It's the, you went to the regular one. Just use that one. Go to killstream.live slash entropy. That'll take you to the one that's up. I'll also link it in chat. Thank you, Margaret. Come from trauma patients, but most of what they're doing is looking at natural disease. The forensic pathologist is an individual who's gone on to do that additional training in wound patterns and other non-natural events that threaten life and cause death. So at the end of the process, you have the knowledge base of all the natural diseases that a general Bogey. pathologist has, plus the additional training to evaluate how people die in unusual circumstances, sudden deaths while not attended, or any deaths which are traumatic. Um, so that's the additional training. That portion is what's done at a medical examiner's office are these sudden unexpected deaths. And so the... Oh, dude, you're so right. I've had to deal with property from estate issues after a death. 
Just about anything out of state becomes hell, and five times it's hard to finish up, even with good lawyers, dude. You are not lying, dude. Holy shit. And this is not my mom. This is some shit going back to my dad. Like, oh, my God. This is... And I thought I finally had it done and dusted. It's a 24-hour emergency medical institution <laughs> with the one responsibility at the end of the day of making a determination of the cause of death of the individual um, that has suddenly died. Um, in addition to your work at the medical examiner's office, did you also do some teaching? Yes. Where? So I, I've, I've taught at the University of Maryland. I'm a professor in both pediatrics and um, pathology at that particular institution. I've taught at the, the Johns Hopkins Hospital. I've taught at multiple hospitals in the Maryland DC area. I've taught at the FBI Academy. Um, I've been invited as a guest lecturer and or visiting professor at multiple universities internationally. Okay. Um, in terms of your work as a, the chief pathologist, did you also train other forensic pathologists? Yes. So for a portion of my career, while I was an assistant medical examiner, I was directly responsible for training the forensic pathologists. In other words, when a forensic pathologist trainee, what we would call a fellow, is doing a case, I would be directly supervising everything that they did on that case. And it would be my responsibility to ensure that that case was done correctly. And so it's almost like an apprenticeship and they are standing, they're gonna do the case, but you're gonna be watching carefully and evaluating every single part of that process as they gradually grow through that learning curve to become a forensic pathologist. So for a while I was hands-on actually teaching at the autopsy table. When I became deputy chief, I continued to do that, but one of the roles that was assigned to me was the residency director position for the office. And so that is the position where you supervise the residency program and um, how it, that, that program is accredited and evaluated by an outside agency, so you have to make sure that all of those requirements are done. So that's just an additional layer on top of that. So were you responsible for recruiting the residents and things of that nature? Recruiting, evaluating, bringing them in, and then obviously training, evaluating. And at the end of the process, each of those fellows, before they can take the board exam in forensic pathology, require that the institution complete a declaration that they have met the standards in order to practice. And that is before they can take the exam. So they are constantly evaluated daily, quarterly, and then at the end of the year to ensure that they have met the standards that we can attest to. So they are then qualified to take the examination through the American Board of Pathology. And you, um, you've testified in cases before? Yes. Uh, state and federal? Yeah. Clifford C. Glayton says, no disrespect to Rand, but you were right about the lady cop. She's about to get wrecked. Yeah, we talked about that in the kill stream last night. I don't know. Rand was just, I don't know. I just disagree with him strenuously. I don't know hundreds what to say. and hundreds and hundreds of times. Now, Margaret have you Sanger ever published any articles. Or, they're just uh, talking about his career. We'll turn it back up. Margaret Sanger says unrelated, but I wanted to make a Butters history stream request. The history of slavery, especially the great links the British Empire went to abolish it. That's a pretty good topic, actually. 
um, the history of slavery. We're going to do Rome hopefully this week, Friday. We're, we're, I kind of finished Rubicon. I already read it, but I want to read it again. Uh, but we're going to do Rome next. That's not a bad topic, though. I like that. Science. I'll write that down. All pediatric cases that were under the age of about two years, and then any case which the medical examiner could not determine the cause Thank of Thank you both, Clifford and Margaret. And how many h- homicides did you review? Typically, the number of homicides in Maryland each year would vary between five and 600. Um, so that would be the homicides alone. And then the other cases that added on to that would add um, an additional load of perhaps 50 to 100 cases. Um, so in this capacity, in this case, are you associated with an organization called the Forensics Panel? Yes. Can you just generally describe what the Forensics Panel is? The Forensic Panel is a, a national organization that evaluates, well, not evaluates, but... E- I do like Rome. I know it's a shock. Cases cases over here, and yeah. does evaluations on cases in the forensic sciences, the medical sciences, and the behavioral sciences. So it's a forensic science organization that looks at those particular issues. What is your role with the forensics panel? I am a forensic pathology, forensic pathology consultant. In terms of the forensics panel, um, what's unique about how that organization operates? So the forensic panel really started um, the process of peer review evaluations in order to ensure that the case was diligently evaluated. Jeff TV says, thanks for covering the George Floyd trial over on Cash App. Thank you, sir. So that's the first thing. We are on Cash App. Dollar Sign Sunset Squad is the Cash App. Thank you, guys. It works well. has many different disciplines recognized or, or that are recognized working within it. So it's a multidisciplinary team. So you have experts in all sorts of medical fields that can be um, assigned to the case depending on the nature of the case. It's an independent organization. Um, is it similar to what's called an M&M conference? A mortality oh, and morbidity is what you're referring to. That is something very similar that, work, that happens in the average hospital when a patient may have something adverse happen to them, not necessarily fatal, that's the morbidity part, and or it is fatal, mortality. And in those circumstances, physicians will present in a closed environment all of the materials and their evaluation and the general physician population that have gone to that conference can sit down and critique it, evaluate it, and it's an opportunity for uh, self-evaluation, learning for the for, for people, and quality assurance for the hospital program. Yes, okay. it's similar. How did you end up working within the forensic panel, and when? About 15 years ago. Somebody said this guy's boring. Actually, I, I think this guy's going to end up being great. He's got the accent, too. I think they picked him well. Remember that other fucking loser that had the accent? The prosecution thought they had the market cornered. Not so fast, my friend. In the, the panel there, you described it as a multidisciplinary approach. How does that function? So depending on the nature of the case, the forensic panel um, will assign individuals um, that have no, this is skills defense. 
in areas. The defense has the case now. The Every case witness you see is a defense witness. Apparently needs from an evaluation process. So, um, and you're compensated for your time. I am. And do you your hourly rate? It's three hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Baller. You at some point became involved in this case, State of Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin. I did. And how did you become involved in this case? The forensic panel, um, I, I was approached um, and asked to become part of it. And I felt that this was such a complex and difficult case that this would better fit um, working through the forensic panel than trying to handle this case independently. So I referred this case to the forensic panel. And you, by approached, you were approached by me, correct? I believe that I believe that that was the first conversation I had. Yes, it right. was a while back. And you referred me to the forensics panel. That's my recollection. Yes. Now, in terms of this particular case, how many of these peer reviewers um, were ultimately involved? There were thirteen peer reviewers across multiple disciplines that were involved in this case. How is it useful for you to have those uh, peer reviewers involved? Well, several of the peer reviewers, I believe seven, are forensic pathologists. So my direct colleagues with the same training and skill set that you'd expect a good forensic pathologist to have. There were additional individuals in behavioral health, pulmonary um, pulmonologists, emergency room physicians, um, toxicologists that were present as part of the evaluation team because they have the detailed oh, knowledge shit. in those other areas that really helps critique any opinions that Woo. they may form and provide their expertise in ensuring that everything was looked at and that any opinion that is expressed is based in science. Let's go! What's the, um, the process that you apply in approaching a case such as this? So the primary reviewer in a case like that will be provided all of the available Michael information given to the forensic panel. Um, they will go through that material, study it, evaluate it, and then and he subscribed the himself at the end. <laughs> are given a That's awesome. He, my man gave, gave away 10 subs, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I need a sub, and grabbed it too. Thank you, man. Very kind of you, my pillow. But they are given similar materials. They will go through it. No, he's South African. I would, in this case, as I did in this Swiss. case, uh, and the, I've been a review pathologist on several, and in this case, I was the primary. I will do a presentation to the forensic panel. So my YouTube and said, has I been, that have time, I been to Italy? They have the opportunity no, but I really to go. evaluate and critique my opinion. Based on that, if there's additional information that is necessary, I will go actually. In order to help refine the opinions, that request can go back to the forensic panel and through to Sam Sheridan says, shit, man, Okabooga, um, Larry Ridgway. Or <laughs> a defense attorney, a plaintiff's attorney, or a defense attorney. Quote Larry Ridgway. Request for the appropriate additional information can be made, and if that information is available, sent back so we can complete and try and ensure that we haven't missed anything. Oh, Dovin, I see you, man. So there may be several reviews along the way. 
And then at some point... Uh, I'm still thinking about the, the Dick Show contest. Sorry, Barb. All right, they're approaching the bench. By the way, today, I think there were a couple of motions. So I got up at 9.35, and they're going to start at 9.45. And then, like I said, I had that call. I had to check on this deal in fucking Arkansas and all this West Memphis, Arkansas. Basically Memphis, but it's in Arkansas. Anyway, uh, and so that set me back. But we did come on the air. We didn't miss any testimony. Uh, we still fulfilled that, which I predicted on Instagram. We wouldn't, uh, not Instagram, Telegram, uh, that we wouldn't miss any testimony, and we didn't. Um, so we, we, we've been here the whole time. I didn't see any the motions part of the day if they had some before, so. Forgoth with the fireball. Thanks again, my pillow. Very kind of you. Uh, I see a super chat over here on Entropy. Sam Sheridan says, I already read the, the shit, man. All right. Larry Ridgeway. He should be here tomorrow, by the way. Looking forward to hearing from old Larry. Also, this just went out. I guess I'll set that down. Um, Let's see. Yeah, I'm definitely going to Italy. That's like where I want to go more than anywhere else Um, and have wanted to go for years and years, so. It's going to happen. I would have went last year, honestly. I had a little bit of money saved up uh, to go on a trip, and then COVID happened. and <laughs> We did end up going on a, to a lot of places in the U.S. later in the fall, but, um, yeah, I had pl- I wanted to go last year, and I just got divorced, too. That would have been a nice trip, uh, but, oh, well. I think the – I don't know if you can even go there now. Do they still have it locked down? I don't know. I don't think you can just fucking fly into Italy right now. Um, so, by the way, I see, I see this moron, Caleb Hughes, he's baiting a ban over there in the YouTube chat. He thinks he's funny, but he's just been saying dumb shit over and over again. Uh, and I used to have tolerance for that, but now I don't, because I don't have to, because I'm a legend. All right, let's continue. All right. Um, Dr. Fowler, um, are you familiar with NAME? Yes, I am. And what is NAME? I would love to go to Cuba. Somebody mentioned that. I was actually joking with Pansy about that the other day, but not really joking. I am. Have you held any leadership? Oh, and we are on Sopranos season two. I have, yes. Can you, um, well, let me ask you this. Does NAME have an inspection and accreditation process? Yes, it does. Or committee, well, I should say. That's not true. Yes, a, you can say dumb shit in chat, but, but if you direct it to me often enough, then I'm going to throw you out. What is the responsibility? Just don't at me with it. An accreditation committee. To evaluate medical examiner and coroner officers. Um, it's a voluntary program. Um, and basically, it means that the medical examiner's office, once they've passed that evaluation and been accredited, have met certain standards that the National Association of Medical Examiners Board of Directors believe are appropriate for the office to have in order to ensure the safety of both the staff that work in the office and also the community that they serve. Are you a member of that committee? I am now, and I was a previous... God, thank you with the fireball. Does NAME have a standards committee? It does. Right now, they are two separate committees. And previously, they were both inspection um, and standards were under one committee. 
Um, at the time, I was the chairperson of that. I chaired. And how are, but it's how, now been separated off into two separate ones. Gotcha. How are um, the standards approved? So the standards are different. As I said, the chaos, you're so wrong. I just muted all audio because he triggered me with the dry rub is better than any barbecue sauce. Not true. Although I do really like dry rub, but where any member no, of name on. can suggest a standard that is then put out to the pop, you know, general population of members of name. And then those are discussed and voted on at the annual general meeting in the business meeting. And so therefore, anybody out of the hundreds of pathologists that are present at that meeting can stand up and address and debate those particular standards. And then at some point, a vote is called by the chairman of the standards committee as to whether or not that standard would be included or not. And so therefore, it's approved by the general membership, not by the board of directors. And one last question before we move on. When were those standards approved? The initial standards started out in 2005, and then they get updated on a regular basis because medical knowledge changes, and therefore one needs to keep them appropriate um, and fresh. Can you tell me generally what a death I'm about to ban you, Kojak. Is? You're telling me to ban people. Yes, yeah, so a death investigation um, is very much like any other medical examination, um, but specifically looking at individuals, obviously, who have died. So there is gathering of information from the scene of the death, um, and that is somewhat to replace the information that a patient would give to their doctor when you walk into the examination room, your doctor. The first question I'll ask you is, why are you here today? Well, oh, the defense moved to drop all charges so this morning, apparently. The scene information really replaces some of that information. You gather the scene information, you gather past medical records, you then start gathering information from all sorts of pertinent sources that will be the ambulance or EMT I'm not going to actually ban you, Kojak. I was just fucking with hospital information if the person made it to the hospital, the current medical information, the past medical information. There will be witness statements. There will be police records, videos. Everything that is available and pertinent will usually be gathered as part of that process. Would it, would it also include things like specimens that are collected? Yes, so if um, a specimen is taken in the hospital, that will be taken. If clothing is available in the also, hospital... Also, they said I should unban amused outsider. That may well be gathered as well. I don't even know how to fucking do that. I'll look. Everything that is reasonably oh, available that could potentially define how the case um, may be evaluated at the end will be gathered um, as, as is reasonable. Um, so yes, hospital specimens. If the person, for instance, went into surgery and a specimen was removed from them during the surgical procedure to try and save their life, that would also be requested. So there's lots of things that um, you would try and get. And is there then, uh, ultimately, it results in a death certificate? Well, there's a long process which goes on before that. How long does that process so, take? So you know, the, the process would include an autopsy, which is an external examination of the person, an internal examination of the person, maybe x-rays of the person, 
CT scans of the person depending on the resources and, and needs of the case. Um, additional specimens will be taken. Yes, he's from South Africa, that's correct. To look at under the microscope. He talked about that at the very beginning. to a toxicology laboratory. And I'm talking very generally. Every case is going to be different. At the end of that process, you begin the evaluation of the case. In complex cases, certain specimens will be retained and often sent to an expert in that particular area. So some officers have access to a neuropathologist who specializes in looking at brains and spinal cords. So if you have that resource, and it's a case where that really may well assist in getting the additional detail that a specialist who only looks at that can provide, then you'll save that specimen and have them look at it um, in conjunction with you. So it's usually an examination of the two with that extra expertise um, at the same time. Are there other factors or other processes that occur? Yes, and, and you know some offices have access to cardiac pathologists. The Maryland office does, and so in many of these complex cases, the heart would be retained and examined by a cardiac pathologist. And you have, you have, in fairness, the, the general forensic pathologist has a substantial body of knowledge and is very good at identifying most things, but there are cases when somebody who only looks at that one organ is going to have a better eye for detail in that particular area. Um, and so you, know, you can do that. Not all officers have access to, to those resources, but if you have, that's a good thing. So those all add the boar strikes back. time to <laughs> waiting for those examinations to be done and the results to be sent back What's so he trying to tell us? He came from South Africa. What's he really want to tell us? Evaluation matrix, and the jigsaw puzzle of all of the information that you're trying to include, as well as the toxicology results. He's come from the to future back, to save us. Microscopic examination, which the, the pathologist will do themselves. It takes a while for the glass slides. So some cases can take two to three months. And NAME actually has a requirement that you should complete 90% of your cases within 90 days. Otherwise, you cannot be accredited. They prefer you to do it within 60 days, but 90% of cases should be completed within 90 days. And that's three months. And the 10% of cases that aren't completed with it are going to be very complex cases. Often, the deaths in custody and the pediatric um, sudden deaths are the ones that fall into that 10%. So they often go out even further as you, you gather all of that information. Thank you. So um, can you explain what the death certificate is? The ultimately, ultimately, a death certificate is issued, right? Correct. And can you explain what the death certificate is? So the death certificate is a, a document that is produced by a physician. The greater majority of them are signed out by physicians within the hospital or nursing home, etc., when people die of natural deaths. Medical examiners are usually exposed to about 25% of deaths within their jurisdiction. So the death certificate is a certification that the person has died, and within a reasonable degree of medical certainty, the certifying physician believes that whatever is on the cause of death line is the cause of death within a reasonable degree of medical certainty. 
So let me ask you in terms of this particular case, you've reviewed uh, a substantial amount of information? Yes. Can you just briefly describe uh, the information you've reviewed in this case? Gosh, it goes on for several pages, but there are past medical records, um, the records that occurred at, in the hospital at or about the time that Mr. the attempted resuscitation of Mr. Floyd occurred. There are ambulance records. There are multiple there are, there are police records. He's just now getting into the Floyd stuff, chat. There are Some multiple videos from multiple sources, both body-worn cameras, surveillance videos from stores, um, and other facilities in that area. There was video material from observers um, that um, is available. Um, there's the toxicological data, there's the autopsy information, the autopsy photographs, um, the microscopic examination. It goes on and on and on. There is a substantial amount of information on this case. And before we kind of get back to the death certificate uh, in this particular case, um, upon your review and based upon your training and education, your experience as a forensic pathologist, have you formed opinions in this case to a reasonable degree of medical certainty? Yes. We'll come back to those shortly. So in terms of the death certificate, are there two parts to that? Yes. And can you explain those two parts? So the first part is what the physician believes to be the cause of death. So that is something that you will put um, what we call part one, that's what the CDC ref refers to it. Um, the death certification process is one which is controlled and governed by the CDC, although each state will have a slightly different format to their death certificate and the way they do things, the guidelines that are put out there by the CDC. That's their echo, not mine, I believe. Death certification um, are certainly ones that um, are national. So what's the first part of the death certification? No, Chauvin's out on bail. Well, the first part is the primary cause of death. Right. And what's the second part per the CDC? Other significant conditions contributing to death, but not directly related to what's in part one. Now, um, I am going to ask, uh, like to show exhibit 193, which is already in evidence. Do you see that in front of you and ask to publish? You're familiar with this document? I have seen this document, yes. And what is the uh, first part of the certification of death? So the first part here, the cause of death, is cardiopulmonary arrest, complicating law enforcement, subdual, restraint, and neck compression. Now under that, there's a phrase that says underlying. Is that what you're talking about in terms of the second part per the CDC? No, the way the CDC normally phrases it is you can break it out into multiple lines. So it could be cardiac arrhythmia due to such and such, due to such and such. And so that's where the underlying conditions come into, into the death certificate. Um, at least, you know, when you look at the CDC guidelines and 
um, the death certificates that I'm used to completing. The second part that I refer to as part two um, on this death certificate is called other contributing conditions. And what are the other contributing conditions that you review here? And so on this particular death certificate, Hell yeah, the Patsy's bringing certification the coffee. says that atherosclerotic and hypertensive cuff. heart disease, cup. Cuff? Cup. fentanyl intoxication, and recent methamphetamine use I not drink that are considered contributing move? conditions. Yeah, maybe. So in, this was uh, prepared by Dr. Baker, correct? Yes, that is, that is my understanding that he was the individual who um, certified this, this case. So in terms of Dr. Baker's analysis of this case, how did the heart and, heart and drugs contribute to the cause of death? They were significant, or other contrib they, they contributed to um, Mr. Floyd having um, I have one of those little lucky cat things from Japan. That's how I would read it. Okay. So um, I'm going to take this down. Uh, if we could unpublish our Doctor, did you prepare a PowerPoint presentation to walk through your uh, opinions in this case? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, identified this as demonstrative exhibit 1098 and I'd move to publish. Somebody said, look how smoothly this is going compared for demonstrative to the prosecu prosecution uh, witness shenanigans, for that alone. Mr. Dingo in the YouTube chat, yeah. So before we uh, begin, uh, doctor, can you sum summarize briefly what your that part wasn't important at all opinions are in this case? Yes. So in my opinion, Mr. Floyd had a sudden cardiac arrhythmia or cardiac arrhythmia due to his atherosclerotic and hypertensive heart disease, or you can write that down multiple different ways, um, during his restraint and subdued by the police or restrained by the police. Um, and then his significant contributory conditions would be, since I've already put the heart disease in part one, he would have the toxicology, the fentanyl and methamphetamine. Um, there is exposure to a vehicle exhaust, so potentially carbon monoxide poisoning, or at least an effect from increased carbon monoxide in his bloodstream, and paraganglionoma, or the other natural disease process that he has. So um, all of those combined to cause Mr. Floyd's death. All right. So let's walk through um, each of these, uh, if we could, starting um, with the opinions of Dr. Baker as far as the cardiopulmonary arrest. Um, 600 live. That, if we could publish uh, the exhibit, Your Honor. Share the stream with all your friends. We got close to 1K yesterday, what, uh, just barely under what it. This is and why it's relevant to this case. Borgoth, thank you, brother. So, this is a document that is produced um, as a guide for medical examiners to use when certifying the death and specifically the manner of death. 
I will do a written house stream if it's so the manner of death is how did the cause of death come about? And you have a, you have five different choices um, that you can check off or write down on a death certificate as to the manner of death. Now, does this document specifically address um, asphyxial deaths? Position, it, positional asphyxia deaths? It addresses all sorts of manner of death. Um, and again, it's a guideline okay. put out there to assist medical examiners. Um, and unfortunately, not every case cleanly fits into uh, one particular category or meets the criteria for the guidelines. Okay. So let's talk about, um, in terms of this second slide, um, positional restraint. How does name deal with the autopsies and death investigations involving potential uh, positional restraint? So the recommendation is that, or it's not a recommendation, they say you may be classified as a homicide. Okay. Don't say, it doesn't say shall or should. It says may be classified as a homicide. Again, we have to recognize that these are medical guidelines. Um, and it then goes on, um, and everybody, I think, can actually easily read that. Um, okay. If you want to go back one, and you know, in such I cases, actually didn't get it, didn't go. I was sitting there for five minutes trying to figure out your death joke. does you know, death results from one or more intentional, volitional, potentially harmful acts directed at the decedent. Oh, Without now consent, I get it. Of course. Yes, okay. Further, now I there got is it. some He's value to the bitch. homicide classification. Sherry D, thank you so much. That a cover up <laughs> is being perpetrated by the death investigation. Uh, now I got it, Dingo. Sorry. Now, I'm not as racist as you, so it takes me a minute uh, to. Manners of death that you described. <laughs> Again, uh, we've heard testimony, or the jury has heard testimony from other. Uh, it takes me a minute to get on your level. So. Uh, there's homicide as one, suicide. Can you describe the others? So homicide, suicide, Sherry accident, D, thank you for that. That was natural, very kind. And then undetermined. Somebody so said, don't worry, you'll get there. This next slide, can you describe <laughs> what undetermined means? Thanks, Sherry. I like that Leon's prank thing. It so according to jumps the up on the whole screen on Trovo. It's undetermined, cool. or the other term on some Good morning, Sherry. I hope you're enjoying the court retort. It's a classification that's used when the information pointing to one manner of death is no more compelling than one or more other competing manners of death in thorough consideration of all available information. And um, the guidelines also define homicide? Yes. Dan says, I don't like sober Ralph. He can pay attention to multiple chats. And again, <laughs> homicide occurs when a death results from a volitional act. In other words, an act a person did uh, committed by another person to cause fear, harm, or death. Intent to cause death is a common element, but is not required for classification as a homicide. More below. It is to be emphasized that the classification of homicide for the purposes of death certification is a neutral term and neither indicates nor implies criminal intent, which remains the determination within the province of a legal process. Walk Why through. is that second part important? Because this is a medical opinion that is on a death certificate. The manners of death are unique or virtually unique to the United States of America. These were put on the death certificate by the Center for Disease Control in order to gather information as to how Americans died or die for epidemiological purposes and to study um, 
and try and prevent deaths. They are not meant to usurp any kind of legal process. And in fact, in many circumstances, regardless of what the medical examiner puts on a death certificate in the way of a manner, the legal system can and will act in a completely independent and different format. Okay. Now, again, um, we discussed a little bit about the CDC uh, death certificates, the instructions. Is this the guideline by the CDC? Yes. And it, uh, it's to enter all diseases or conditions contributing to the death that were not reported in the chain of events? In part one, in the first, in the, in the first in part, yes. Oh, you got the shirt? Memes did it? Now, back to... Um, and Memphis style should have mostly all been sent out, yeah. For a moment, Your Honor. So with respect to... Cooper, I got um, your super chat. Just a sec, brother. Dr. Baker's autopsy. I just want to talk a little bit about the cardiopulmonary arrest that he references. What are the findings that were relevant to your analysis in this particular case? The Memphis magistrate there recall me now. substantial pertinent negatives in this particular case that drove my opinion. Okay. What, what about the size of the heart? So there are, again, certain pertinent positive issues. Mr. Floyd's heart was enlarged. There are multiple methods and studies that have been done on the size of the heart in the United States. Uh, there's one study out of the medical examiner's office in San Antonio, Dr. Molina and DeMaio, uh, where they took a series of individuals who died suddenly with trauma and yeah, this guy's killing eliminated it. as part of that Gates, process I would say. natural disease that it might have caused alterations in the heart size. Excuse and, me, doctor. Did you prepare a slide relevant to this and if we could publish it? Yes, I it? did. Okay. All right. Cuber says, watch out for crypto Coinbase so trap. study you were re referencing? Every meme right. stock just broke so through some walls. So in their study, they found that 95% GME, BB, AMC, et cetera. I'm not a financial advisor, but am friends with some, and they like talking to me, he said. 383 Watch out for crypto grants. Coinbase trap. Anybody outside of those limits, and you would expect about 2.5% to be lower and 2.5% to be higher. That's the 95% certainty um, on either side of the mean. And so that is what they proposed as being the reference range for adult males. Now, how's the, how about the Mayo study? So the Mayo study is one where you can go in and calculate the weight based on the size of the individual, which is potentially more accurate because you don't really want to take a um, 130-pound, 5-foot-5 male and say, you know, and, and plug them into a particular range. You'd expect their heart to be smaller, as most of their organs would be smaller. And Mr. Floyd was a very tall, robust-looking individual, so I would expect him to have a larger heart. And so the type of study, such as the Mayo study, um, where they put in the sex of the individual, male, the height and the weight, and then come out with, as part of that calculation, accounting for that, the 95th inclusion rate would top out at 510 grams in this circumstance. 
So Mr. Floyd's weight at, five, heart weight at 540 is outside this range. I will tell you, there's another, there are multiple studies. There's another one out of Chicago and Northwestern University, which has even broader range and would indicate that Mr. Floyd was within the 95 centile, but still right up at the very top end of normal. Bottom line is he has an enlarged heart. Okay, if we could uh, unpublish this, Your Honor. So in terms of that's what you ultimately kind of see as relevant evidence here is, is that Mr. Floyd had a, an enlarged heart. Yes. How does the size of the heart affect um, the blood supply, nutrients, oxygen, things of that nature? The heart is a muscle and it's dependent on the supply of oxygen, glucose, and other important nutrients to function. When a heart or any other muscle grows in size, its consumption of those vital components increases. So Mr. Floyd's heart would have twice the need of those nutrients compared to a 260 gram heart or 270 gram heart, which would be halfway. It would be right in the middle of the Molina study criteria um, because there's just twice as much heart muscle to support um, and each of those cells is, is bigger and requires more oxygen. So it's kind of like the law of supply and demand, right? Correct. All right. What happens to a person when they experience um, like a lack of supply, so to speak? So like every other organ, the heart has certain reserves of energy built in. The typical amount of reserve in our brains is enough for us to maintain consciousness for about 10 to 15 seconds. And that is the organ which is most sensitive to constant supply. The heart or the no, brain? No, the brain. The heart is the next. But like other organs, it will be able to maintain function even when the supply is reduced or even completely cut off. But at some point, you do have to resupply because those reserves are when the heart is being exerted, are being used. And you either have to completely replace them or if you only partially replace them, at some point, you're going to exhaust the reserves. So how do we replenish the supply, so to speak? The Replenishment comes through the coronary arteries, and they bring blood into the heart. As that blood arrives, it delivers oxygen and other nutrients, and it also removes the byproducts of the metabolism of those heart muscles as they contract. So what type of symptoms might someone who, um, show if they are diminished in their supply? So at some point, there are a variety of symptoms that can result, you can become, you can feel your heart racing, you may even get palpitations, you get potentially short of breath, um, and in some circumstances, uh, you may start getting chest pain, what we refer to as angina, and it can get even worse than that. You can have um, sudden symptoms 
such as a collapse without any warning. But you know, there's a spectrum of, of different symptoms that can occur. So when the supply isn't being met, what would a person customarily do to replenish the supply? Well, you know, when one becomes short of breath, you tend to relax, ease up, back off, stop walking, stop running, stop exercising until such time as you feel like you, you've, you've got your heart rate down. Some people monitor their heart while they're exercising to ensure they don't go over certain limits. Um, so there's different ways of doing it. But typically, um, if, you, if you experience symptoms, it's your body telling you, slow down. And what happens if someone doesn't do that? If you don't, and you don't heed those warnings, or you can't heed those warnings for other circumstances, the consumption of those, metabol or those essential metabolites goes on. The production of the products of contraction, which need to be removed, continues to increase. And at some point, um, the heart will fail, go have a sudden cardiac arrest slash arrhythmia, that's what you expect to see. So, I mean, within the field of forensic pathology, what would you call the stopping of the heart? We typically call it sudden cardiac arrest or cardiac arrhythmia. What's the difference between sudden cardiac arrest and arrhythmia? A sudden cardiac arrest really is an observational situation. You, you, you observe the person suddenly stop functioning. And usually the background process is an arrhythmia of some sort, okay. often starting out as a relatively benign arrhythmia and then progressing into a more malignant arrhythmia, which then um, decreases the function of the heart and eventually the heart fails. Okay. Um, so what types of things might cause a heart to be bigger like Mr. Floyd's? The commonest one in the United States, which is part of the developing world, is hypertension what we would call essential hypertension. It just happens. And based on what you reviewed, uh, did you determine whether Mr. Floyd had hypertension? The size of the heart would be extremely good evidence that he had hypertension. Secondly, there are medical records that I did see where he had an elevated blood pressure um, at previous hospital administrations or previous clinical interactions. So yes, there's evidence that he, he had that. And then there was something else found at autopsy, um, a tumor that is sometimes associated with hypertension as well in certain people. That's a paraganglioma? Paraganglionoma, yes. Anoma, sorry. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit later. Um, so just kind of generally, can you describe the major blood vessels of the heart? Yes. There really are two major blood vessels, the right coronary artery and the left coronary artery. The left coronary artery, within a very short distance of coming off the aorta, I'm being very quiet so people were complaining. major arteries, the left anterior descending and the left circumflex. So some people call it three coronary arteries, but technically there are two with one dividing into, into two. Really, um, neither description would be incorrect. And what is narrowing or stenosis of the arteries? So narrowing or stenosis of the arteries means that the arteries, the lumen, the inside diameter of that artery is smaller than it should be. It has been narrowed by a disease process. Okay. Um, 
how does long-term drug use affect narrowing of the arteries? There are certain drugs that do cause um, advanced or more rapidly advancing atherosclerosis. Not just drugs, but many um, substances and toxins, even smoking, for instance, is associated with earlier atherosclerosis. And certain drugs um, and other drugs, substances, can be added onto to that particular. So even urban pollution has a risk of advancing heart disease. And what specific drugs? Well, in this particular case, methamphetamine, which was present in Mr. Floyd, has been associated with earlier onset of narrowing of the coronary arteries by atherosclerosis. And can you describe the difference between proximal and distal narrowing of the arteries? Right. So the narrowing can occur anywhere up and down the artery. When it occurs close to its origin, i.e. close to the aorta where the blood supply comes from. Chad is lit today, that's true. If it occurs far down the, the artery towards the end of the artery or further down the artery, it's called distal. The implications are somewhat different. And if you have narrowing close to the beginning of the artery, anything downstream from that narrowing is subject to decreased supply of blood. If you have it further down and distal, then the first part and all the branches that come off the first part are supplying that heart and that part of the heart will still receive enough supply. It's not restricted. But once you get to beyond the narrowing, any tissue, heart tissue, muscle downstream from that is going to be subjected to a reduced supply. Okay. And so in this particular case, he had significant narrowing of all of his coronary arteries close to their origin, which really is consistent with all of his heart, unfortunately, being subjected to reduced supply, not just a portion of his heart, but the entire heart. Uh, is there a, a certain amount of narrowing uh, that forensic pathologists consider to be enough to cause sudden death? So the, the typical conventional number that forensic pathologists use is between 70 and 75% narrowing is a risk factor for sudden cardiac death. Can you um, survive with uh, greater than 75% narrowing? Oh, absolutely. I have seen many, many cases where um, it can be 90, 95%. Again, it depends where on the artery it is. So a proximal narrowing is more dangerous than a distal narrowing because only part, part of the heart. And, and in this particular case, we know Mr. Floyd had 90% narrowing. So he was walking around with 90% stenosis beyond the 75. And that was not affecting him as part of his daily activities. So when he was at rest, walking around, doing his normal daily activities, I know of no information that he was symptomatic or having any problems. So yes, you can go beyond 75%. That's why cardiologists may conclude you could survive with greater than 
Yes, yeah, so I think the difference is that medical examiners see people who've died with 75%. And cardiologists see people who are walking around with 90%. So they see the live population, we <laughs> see the dead population. And so we probably end up with different standards based on, unfortunately, that that's what we see. So in terms of an autopsy finding, um, can you describe what myocyte necrosis is and how, whether that's uh, necessary to diagnose a sudden cardiac death? So myocyte necrosis um, is both something you can, in, you have to visualize it microscopically. You have to look at the individual heart Genosis. cell. The myocyte is just a word which is heart cell. Um, you can infer that there may be myocyte necrosis at autopsy if you see bleeding into the heart itself. But it is a microscopic um, diff, you know, diagnosis and it is not necessary for myocyte necrosis to be present for a sudden cardiac death. So someone who has a sudden cardiac death may not have myocyte necrosis? Correct. Why might that uh, happen? Why might someone not have that myocyte necrosis? Again, it, the heart goes through a process of dying. It takes a while for a heart to die and for the actual myocytes to start showing the changes that we can see under a microscope. I think we, we need to understand that that's why you can do heart transplants. In somebody who has been injured or suffered some other catastrophe to their brain and is brain dead and is a donor, their heart can be removed, put on ice, flown across the country and put into another person without any damage to that heart. And that, that process takes hours. So if the death is rapid, you will not see myocyte necrosis. It's the, it's the time frame from the heart stopping so the time we typically see myocyte necrosis is going to be somebody who has had symptoms and survived for a period of time so that that process can advance to the degree where we can see it under the microscope. Okay. Now, you've kind of talked about sudden cardiac events. Um, let's talk about the arrhythmia. Can you describe what is called the conduction system of the heart? The conduction system of the heart is a very important part of the orderly contraction of our heart. We have two chambers which receive blood from the body, the atria, and then we have two bigger, very muscular chambers, the ventricles, that pump blood under high pressure to the body. And so the way the heart works is it's a two-chamber on each side. The one side supplying the lungs and the other side supplying the body, where the atria contract and push blood into the ventricles to fill them up. And then the ventricles. I can understand this guy, like the mech. To push blood to the body. The ventricles are very powerful, and there's a valve in between them to stop the blood flowing back. So, what you need is an orderly contraction process where the atria contract first, followed by the ventricles. This is coordinated by the conduction system. 
And we have in the heart what is known as the cardiac pacemaker. Just a generic oh, term. Switch scenes by accident, uh, goddammit. But it's the little piece Sorry. of modified heart muscle that actually has almost nerve-like function. Does that and have a name? Sorry. It's called a sinoatrial nerve. And that generates the initial activity which causes the atria to start contracting. And between it and another node, which is at the junction of the atria and the ventricles, called the atrioventricular node, there is a little bundle of modified heart muscles that conduct that down. And then there are further modified heart muscles that go down to spread the impulse, the electrical impulse, to the heart to cause it to contract. What are those called? That's, you know, it's the bundle of hispokunji um, fibers, etc. They will have medical terminology, but basically it's modified heart muscle um, cells. So what that does is the sinoatrial node fires and the impulse is conducted down the fibers to the AV node. At that time, the um, atria contract, forcing blood into at the time that the impulse arrives at the ventricles, that node then fires shortly after the atria, and the heart contracts and sends the blood on its way. Um, so you get this orderly double beat to the heart. You can hear the valves opening and closing, atria first and then the ventricles, and that's the sound that the physician listens to when he puts a stethoscope over your heart. That's the, like the blood pressure? Sorry? Is that blood pressure? Or? So the blood pressure is actually generated by the contraction of the ventricles. Um, that's the essential output of the heart, is directly related to the volume and the pressure of blood that is pushed out of the heart. Okay. So what happens if this conduction system gets impaired? Then you don't have orderly contraction of the heart. <clears throat> and so if they fire at the wrong time, then if you had the atria and ventricles firing at the same time, you would move no blood. The ventricles are very powerful. They slam that valve shut. The atria fire at the same time. They can't force blood past it. And so you've got no flow to fill the ventricles. And is that an arrhythmia? That's an arrhythmia. So there are multiple different types of arrhythmias that, that, that are documented. And um, what can happen? Um, well, can sudden death happen as a result of an arrhythmia? Absolutely. So which artery supplies the, that pacemaker, the SA node that you described? The sinoatrial node is supplied by a small branch that comes off the right coronary artery. And did you review, again, the autopsy and observe findings relevant to Mr. Floyd's right coronary artery? Yes, so unfortunately, that was the artery which showed the greatest degree of narrowing. Which was how much? 90%. Does that increase or that type of narrowing increase um, the risk for sudden death? Yes, in that if and when the blood supply needs of the heart on the right side increase, and that's also going to apply to the sinoatrial node, um, are not met, that sinoatrial node will not function properly. And the 
will not fire properly and you will end up with an arrhythmia of some sort. So essentially if it, if it misfires, there's no pacemaker, right? Or that, 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 yeah, that is correct, yes. How does exertion come into the analysis? Exertion basically increases the demand for oxygen throughout the entire body, mostly because of the muscular activity. So as we exercise, our heart rate and our breathing rate normally compensate to increase the oxygen that we're bringing into the body through the respiratory system and increase the amount of blood or amount of oxygenated blood which is being distributed to the body. And the way that that increase of blood, the, the way the body increases the blood supply is to increase the rate of the heart. So we will go from our resting heart rates, which are somewhere between 60 and 100. We'll push it up to 120, 140. George Floyd looked like he was pushing it in that the store of with the dance and beyond it gets a certain dangerous. fruit. So essentially, the more exertion, the more oxygenated blood is needed. Yes. How do drugs like methamphetamine come into play as far as the, uh, in terms of the conduction system? So methamphetamine is dangerous at, at several levels in this particular case. One, it has known arrhythmogenic potential. In other words, it sensitizes the heart to arrhythmias. It makes, you know, it's just been documented that people on methamphetamine have a, an increased risk of um, an arrhythmia. Secondly, it increases the rate that the heart beats at. Answer with the coffee. It pushes the heart beat rate up. So therefore, the heart is now going to demand increased oxygen. I can't see your shorts, Bansu. And thirdly, it is a vasoconstrictor. What Woo! is a vasoconstrictor? So a vasoconstrictor is a substance which causes Spring blood has vessels, sprung. arteries, to narrow. And it's physiologically important, and it is protective in certain circumstances, but can become dangerous in others. And the way a vasoconstrictor the works in those circumstances is to act on the muscular layer that's present in arteries. Our arteries have Colonel J says something layers, else is sprung. And there is a muscular layer in there, and it causes that muscular layer to begin to contract. A little bit of contraction, that's good. Too much contraction, and it can slow down the blood George beyond Floyd, what is necessary. And days even in certain today. circumstances, you can stop the blood by giving the vasoconstrictor substance. Okay. Um, so in this particular case, we've got an enlarged heart, right? Yes. Um, we have a heart that has narrowed coronary arteries, right? Yes. And based on your review of the video evidence, you have observed a pretty significant struggle between Mr. Floyd and the three officers? Correct. Methamphetamine on board, which is a vasoconstrictor? Yes. Have you or your colleagues ever certified a death due to the um, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease? Yes, it's a very, unfortunately, very common cause of, of death. And, and even at these levels of narrowing, 75 and 90? Anything above 
as I previously mentioned, meets the criteria for enough narrowing, at least within the community of practicing forensic pathologists. Have you ever um, performed an autopsy sort of expecting one cause of death but finding another? Sure. That's why we perform autopsies. Yeah, I was going to say, I would um, It is a thorough internal examination to identify anatomic deviations from normal, and so therefore your preconceived notion, uh, a, a common, I wouldn't say a common example, but we see it every now and then, would be a motor vehicle collision, where somebody has multiple injuries, and you look at them and go, okay, they've got enough injury there to kill them. But when you go in, you can see evidence that they had a stroke or a heart attack. And that what's, that's what potentially caused them to lose control of their vehicle at the time that they had and got all their multiple injuries. And so then we sit with the issue of, do we put the heart attack under part one, or do we put the heart attack and or the stroke type findings under significant conditions? Because obviously they were driving their vehicle, but it may have caused them to lose consciousness. You know, so these are just dilemmas that we face as to where you put things on a death certificate. And sometimes you're not right and you're not wrong. Um, how about hypertensive cardiovascular disease? Um, how does that relate to a cause of death? So again, there are a number of sudden cardiac deaths that are related solely and exclusively to the increased size of the heart. And so those are the ones that, since hypertensive disease is the most common cause of an enlarged heart, we will typically use that as the cause of death and say, hypertensive cardiovascular disease. Have you ever uh, certified a death due to hypertensive cardiovascular disease? Yes, I have, multiple times. Have you diagnosed both hypertension and coronary artery disease as a cause of death in combination? Yes, and again, that is probably even more common because a significant proportion of the population have hypertension, so their hearts are enlarged. And as you get older, you tend to lay down deposits of material in your, in your arteries. And so there's often both are present in, in many, many cases, unfortunately. Now, again, in terms of hypertensive... Uh, what do you think, Chad? Press one if you think this has been good for Chauvin. Disease. Press two we if you think no. about kind of the struggle between Mr. Floyd and the officers getting into the squad car. Um, how does that type of exertion play into hypertensive cardiovascular Seven, disease? ten, live right now. It increases both with the hypertensive and the atherosclerotic. It increases the demand and the stress on the heart. And... The more the individual is stressed, uh, both in other ways, the more the demand on the heart is going to increase. So in terms of stress, right, how does that affect the heart? So we have certain innate stress mechanisms built into us, reflexes built into us. Um, it's called the fight and flight reflex, um, is the common terminology that you will see within the um, medical literature and also within the lay literature. 
And this is a mechanism where if you are in a stressful situation, it prepares your body to be able to cope with the stressful situation. And what happens generally is the sympathetic part of your nervous system begins to act. That causes secretion of adrenaline as one of the examples and, 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 may, and perhaps other catecholamines, which are substances that are part of that sympathetic nervous system. And adrenaline causes your some of your blood vessels to constrict. It's another potent vasoconstrictor. The idea being that you don't need to digest the food in your stomach, for instance, while you're in a, in a very, very dangerous environment. So it really shunts the blood, pushes the blood to the organs that are more important, the heart, the lungs, the brain, your muscles. Um, it also shuts down the blood supply to your skin. Yeah, it, so there, it, it, it does all of those things. But it also speeds up the heart to increase the cardiac output to maintain oxygenation of the brain, your muscles, and other things so that you can have an additional reserve to fight that threat. All right. Now, so the, the fight or flight kind of uh, that you described, it, it increases adrenaline, right? It causes the heart to beat faster, agreed? Yes and yes. And the, and the adrenaline, uh, how does that come into play? Bernie Madoff has passed away, breaking news. So adrenaline is a vasoconstrictor. That was a real one right there. A including the arteries? That was oh, a yes. real motherfucker right there. And ultimately, what does that do? Potentially. So RIP to arteries, the Ponzi King! And again, we have smooth muscle in the cardiac arteries. So there's a potential of the adrenaline and the, the Ponzi potentate further narrowing those. And if y'all don't know who Bernie Madoff is, I don't know. In the heart, as well as arteries elsewhere in the body, restricting blood flow. <laughs> now, in terms of that kind of stress, <laughs> react, I'd like to craft this question carefully um the jury saw some evidence which i know you also breaking well, news he allegedly took the vaccine shortly before he passed a year oh, prior no. to mr floyd's death where mr floyd was, stopped your by vaccine, the police, Bernie. was seen or believed and admitted to ingesting some controlled it, substances but. at that point and was subsequently seen by paramedics do you recall that information in the information you reviewed generally i did and at the time that he was initially Another one. Um, seen by paramedics, he, his blood pressure was taken, and if I'm not mistaken, it was 216 over 160. What does that signify to you as far as this stress relation? So a high blood pressure like that, and that's, that's markedly elevated, um, could be due to relation. So the high blood, his hypertension being out of control. This is much higher than I would expect. Secondly, it could be part of the stress reaction where adrenaline is being secreted and it's pushing his heart rate up and that will increce your blood pressure. Thank you, DJ Khaled, much appreciated. It's also causing vasoconstriction. So there's more blood staying within the central vasculature 
And so therefore... Wait, what's this? You have something else to say? Hold on. Another one. Oh, okay, one more. Pressure. All right, thank there, you. There are multiple explanations for that, but certainly stress would be one of them. Your Honor, I believe that right now would be a good time for our mid-morning break. Oh, God. What am I going to do for 20 minutes? Let's reconvene at 11.10. This is bullshit. We'll see if they actually come back at 11.10. We know they're on lawyer time, which is worse than gunt time, honestly. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. <clears throat> we'll see if they get back at 11.10. I do have a few clips. This is nice hat, Ralph. Yes, my Kansas City Chiefs hat. I've had it for about a year now. Bought it shortly before our Super Bowl victory last year. Unfortunately, that history did not repeat. Oh, don't make me think about the Super Bowl. All right, now let's see. Cooper again. I got his super chat in entropystream.live slash the Ralph Retort 2 or just killstream.live slash entropy, killstream.live slash tip, patreon.com slash the Ralph Retort, subscribestar.com slash the Ralph Retort, shop.theralphretort.com or again, Killstream.live slash shop. We have some of these redirects to make it easier. Uh, so you can just use those as well. Killstream.live slash podcast. Uh, everything's updated, uh, actually. As far as the podcast go, the court retort itself that you're listening to live right now has its own podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the regulars, CastBox, which I really love CastBox because they've been cool to me the whole time. They've actually promoted the Killstream here and there. Uh, so CastBox, pretty much my preferred uh app on android at least uh so i know everybody has their own though we should be on pretty much all of them now i guess what we could do is go over a couple little uh drops here from the witness dr david fowler uh who used to be the chief medical medical examiner for the state of maryland uh and if you see this let me pull this up because they're trying to run this guy down basically let's see let me pull this up let me let me open another window and then i'll show you this story that's being shared. Oh, it's already up. Okay. Uh, that's being shared all over social media right now. This is their, their main attack. As you see, Bernie Madoff. I didn't make that part up. He is dead. Uh, Maryland former chief medical examiner, subject of lawsuit, testifies in Chauvin defense. Uh, let's see. Uh, former chief medical examiner. Same time he's being testimony comes at the same time he's being accused of help to cover up, helping to cover up the police's role in a 2018 in custody death of Anton Black a black 19-year-old from Eastern Shore. Uh, Anton Black's family told WTOP, do we have a clip? What the fuck? Just give us the goddamn clip. Like, Obviously, they have one. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see if I can find that. All right, hold on. Um... And again, anybody can follow us. See, they just have, oh, my God. Is it the, WTOP is uh, the state, I know WTOP well because I was in jail in Loudoun County for eight fucking months, and WTOP was one of the few fucking stations that could actually get in that goddamn rotten fucking cell. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very familiar with WTOP, uh, and what they do is just repeat the news nonstop, basically, uh, in the uh, Beltway area, the DMV. Uh, and they're just the news station, pretty much. <sighs> Do they not have a clip of this, though? The fuck is this? What kind of bullshit is this? I'm just going to have to read what they said. Okay, you know what? Fuck it. 
Anton Black's family told WTOP ahead of Fowler's testimony the two cases are eerily similar. It'd be cool if we could hear him, but whatever. It's surreal that you have two men on opposite sides of the country that experienced almost the same treatment by two different police officers, said Latoya Hawley, Black's sister. Also, his black sister. The medical examiner, in my opinion, was egregious in the way he finalized Anton's autopsy results. Now he's being called as an expert witness for another police officer. Um, Fowler was named in a as a defendant uh, in a lawsuit brought by Black's family. The lawsuit, led by the ACLU of Maryland, personally names Fowler along with the state medical examiner's office, set, several police agencies, and police officers. It accuses him of concealing law enforcement's role in Black's death, which the lawsuit claims was at the hands of police. The ACLU accuses Fowler and the medical examiner's office of obstructing the officer-involved death investigation by delaying the release of an autopsy for months, being improperly influenced by police, and clearing the path for police to, quote, develop a narrative that absolved the uh, involved officers of their wrongdoing. So um, this is what they're pushing today. I just want to put that out there, uh, and that's what they're pushing. Obviously, uh, I'm not putting a lot of stock in that, but um, that's what's being put out now. Let me also find here. Hold on a sec. I'll grab that in a sec. Uh, let me find the clips, though. Uh, these are a couple of uh, drops from from his testimony this morning that we just saw. If you joined us late, uh, now let's play these. They're short, and then we'll play. Also, uh, Maurice Hall was in court this morning. Apparently, we missed that beauty. Uh, we'll talk about that too. Oh wait, I have to unmute. Don't I? Okay. So, in my opinion. Mr. Floyd had a sudden cardiac arrhythmia or cardiac arrhythmia due to his atherosclerotic and hypertensive heart disease, or you can write that down multiple different ways, um, during his restraint and subdued by the police or restrained by the police. Um, and then his significant contributory conditions would be, since I've already put the heart disease in part one. He would have the toxicology, the fentanyl and methamphetamine. Um, there is exposure to a vehicle exhaust, so potentially carbon monoxide poisoning, or at least an effect from increased carbon monoxide in his bloodstream, and paraganglionoma, or the other natural disease process that he has. So. Um, all of those combined to cause Mr. Floyd's death. All right. So let's walk through. Uh, now, here goes the other clip right here, uh, and I'll go ahead and play that. Opinion. Mr. Floyd had a sudden cardiac arrhythmia or cardiac arrhythmia due to his atherosclerotic and hypertensive heart disease. Or you can write that down multiple different ways. Um, during his restraint, now, I thought this one has something about the fentanyl. Um, and then his significant contributory conditions. No, I think it's basically the same clip. I thought it had something about the fentanyl in there. Um, let's see. Where's Morris Hall, though? Maurice, where the fuck? Oh, here we go. Here's a short clip. <laughs> Let me see if I can find his full clip. <coughs> All right, hold on. Oh, we're doing it live, ladies and gentlemen. You know how we do. All right, let's see. Shout out to Chillstream Clips, two separate words. Um, okay. 
Yeah, this is it right here. Who again is present in the courtroom. Um, Your Honor, where we left, last left off at the last hearing was you had instructed a little defense bit counsel off, to submit a list of questions on a very narrow topic to see whether or not Mr. Hall could answer a very narrowly ta tailored set of questions and whether or not his Fifth Amendment privilege would be implicated in those questions. I've had a chance to review those questions, Judge. I've reviewed them with Mr. Hall. And to summarize, Mr. Hall cannot answer any of the questions that defense put forward. And I'm happy to expand on the reasons why he can't answer any of those questions. Um, uh, let's just focus on Smash your pass. how Mr. Floyd looked in the SUV, because that was the very limited group of questions that I thought might not incriminate him. Absolutely, Judge. And if you look at the list that defense proposed, um, I think that that really starts getting into that topic at question seven. So question seven proposed by the defense was, after conducting your business in Cup Foods, did you return to the vehicle with Mr. Floyd? Mr. Hall cannot answer that question. Mr. Hall cannot put himself in that car with Mr. Floyd. Again, this was a car that was searched twice and drugs were recovered twice. If Mr. Hall puts himself in that car, he exposes himself to constructive possession charges of the drugs that were found in that car. And it's important to note, Judge, that Mr. Hall exposes himself to that charge whether or not Mr. Chauvin is convicted or acquitted. Whatever happens with this case, the state can still come back and charge Mr. Hall with constructive possession of drugs in that car, so he can't put himself in that car. Furthermore, Dude, the questions there's that tape of him. That. Wait, there's footage of him in the fucking car, like, and outside of it, and talking about he was in the vehicle. I mean, I understand, but, like, at some point, this is just bullshit. Like, they're right, and he doesn't have to testify, of course. Fifth Amendment, right. Everybody has it, but. Did you notice a change in Mr. Floyd's behavior? He can't put himself at, in the car. What do you mean? There's footage of him. <laughs> While sitting in the car. How would you describe his behavior? Did you tell BCA agents that Mr. Floyd was drowsy or asleep? Mr. Hall cannot answer any of those questions without potentially incriminating himself. We discussed this at the last hearing, Judge, but there's a potential third-degree murder liability here under that overdose statute, which again is very broad. If Mr. Hall puts himself in that car, he's now establishing a timeline of events. So let's say Mr. Hall takes the stand. He very limitedly testifies to this is what Mr. Floyd was doing. This is what, how Mr. Floyd looked. These were his behaviors. This is the change in his behaviors. Let's say Mr. Chauvin is then acquitted. He is now given the state on a silver platter testimony. Do I think riots will happen if found guilty? No. Against him in a third degree murder charge. There'll be some type of it. big celebration, though, I'm sure. Thank you. It might break a few Mr. things. Hall, I'm going to have you uh, step up to the podium because I'm going to ask you a few questions, basically whether you are going to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege. So, Chad seems to think they'll have it no matter what. They will happen for some reason. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if it'll be for that, though. Good morning, sir. Good morning. You understand, Mr. Hall, uh, you do have a Fifth Amendment right not to be compelled to incriminate yourself. Do you I understand that? Yes. All right. And you understand that applies even when you are not one of the parties to the case, but when you're a witness in a trial. Do you understand that? Yes. You understand that your attorney, and I'm sure they have given you uh, advice. By the way, this is the motherfucker that killed George Floyd. He's been giving him bogus pills for years. Oh. About whether to 
invoke your Fifth Amendment right against Bad enough to abuse drugs. This motherfucker didn't even know what he was taking. They just gave Curious George whatever the fuck floated up to the top, pressed it together, and threw it down his gullet. He chomped him up like Hungry Hungry Hippo and started dancing like he didn't even know what he was taking. And you'll have to speak up just a little bit, and I'll turn up the podium. There we go. Uh, You understand this is your choice, so you could disregard the advice of your attorneys if you wanted to. Yes, sir. George thought he was taking pure cut fucking opioids and with some bunk fentanyl mixed with meth he was taking for you. He didn't even know. That's why the nurse yesterday said, I don't know. He said he had been taking seven to nine fucking pills every 20 minutes. They were, they're supposed to be oxys or some shit or hydrocodone, but he isn't acting like he wasn't acting like that. He's looking kind of fucking squarely. Uh, knowing all that, do you, you've had a chance to look at the questions that were proposed by both sides he is I the have. dealer pope watch your Would language you by the way answer those father. if i were to put you on the stand and swear you in as a witness no i am not okay and why would you all right we got to go back we have to right, go. so you could disregard the advice of your attorneys if you wanted to that's some yes, nice sir. frames by the way uh knowing all that do you You've had a chance to look at the Maurice looking tight, I gotta say. Side. That's a nice I suit, have. nice frames. Would you be willing to answer those if I were to put you on the stand and swear you in as a witness? No, I am not. Okay, and why would you not answer those? I'm fearful of criminal charges going forward. I have open charges that's not settled yet of my personal stuff. He's in jail right now, by the way. <laughs> Or he was, at least last week. I don't know. Maybe he got out on bail, but um, I know he was going to have to appear, I thought, originally, or did appear. Remember last week he showed a clip where he was in jail? I guess he's gotten out since then. I don't know. Basically, you are invoking your Fifth Amendment right against compelled self-incrimination? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. You can have a seat. Uh, Any of the parties wish to be heard on this issue? I think we've had argument already, but just in case there's anything else. All right. All right. I'm going to advise both sides to file your proposed questions. Uh, Somebody said he can afford it because he's been slanging pills this whole time. Yeah, that's true. Offer proof on what uh, you would have asked Mr. Hall. But I am finding that he has uh, a complete Fifth Amendment privilege here. Uh, I had earlier said that possibly he could talk about how Mr. Floyd looked in the car, but counsel's argument is persuasive that that could provide a link. And since it's not just evidence that would incriminate a person, but also provide a link to incriminating evidence. I do find that his invocation of his Fifth Amendment rights is valid, and accordingly, I am going to quash the subpoena. Anything else? All right, so we won't be hearing anything from Big, anything else uh, from Big Maurice. Unfortunately, that would have been golden. That would have really been golden. I guess the big moment we could still hold out hope for is Chauvin perhaps testifying. Uh, which would be awesome. Oh, no, this is something else that I saw this morning. Oh, no. Murder. Say his name! Dante Wright! Say his name! Dante Wright! I wear this shirt! And the craziest thing is to find out today that my family has connections to this man, to this family. His girlfriend was a teacher for my nephew! Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Wait, what? Big Big Mama was teaching your nephew? This can't. My lord. Oh, no. My nephew was a lovable young man. Oh, wait, there's Benjamin Crump, that scumbag, yesterday. I'll see if I can find his clip. His smile. Oh, lord, the most beautiful smile 
What is higher than accountable? I don't know. <clears throat> All right, now. <laughs> what exactly is higher than accountable? I don't know. <clears throat> we'll have to think about that. We'll have to ponder that thought. All right, now. Lord! Oh, Lord! She didn't mention the, uh, you know, assault and all that stuff either. Okay. It's funny that she didn't mention that. Okay. Um, let's see. I need to put this in this tab. What the fuck? What tab is this on? Okay. Jesus Christ. Okay, there we go. George Floyd's girlfriend reveals she was Dante Wright's teacher. By the way, <clears throat> could you imagine... Could you imagine Courtney Ross, a.k.a. Big Mama, or Mama? Mama! Could you imagine her teaching your children? <laughs> what in the fuck? This bitch was seen as a scholar in her community. And everybody else, she's a fucking, like, moron if you hear her talk. And she's, oh, man. But in her community, she was like Professor Ross. Uh, okay. All right. I'm starting to see where some things went wrong here. All right. Now let's, uh, <clears throat> let's, uh, woman of letters here. Um, it's enough that Floyd is gone, but for one of my youth to, to be gone as well. I worked with Dante for years, so. And you don't Yes. Yes. And he is just a wonderful, spiritual boy. Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, she worked with him for you. Oh, I bet she worked with him. All right. I think she worked with a lot of uh, young black gentlemen, if you know what I mean. Um, it's enough that Floyd is gone, but for one of my youth to, to be gone as well. Professor I worked with Dante for years, so. And you don't. Yes, yes. And he is just a wonderful, beautiful boy. A wonderful, beautiful boy. Okay. All right. Oh, my God. I hadn't seen that picture before. I've heard Floyd. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. This is amazing, I have to say. All right, now, <clears throat> let's switch back. <laughs> let's switch back over as we wait for the trial to uh, to continue this morning. I, I don't really know what to say to all that. Um I'm sure we'll probably have to talk about that even some on the kill stream tonight. That's just, uh, <clears throat> let me see if I can find the Benjamin Crump comments. Cause his shit was insane, dude. Oh man, it was, <laughs> I don't even know if they'll play his most outrageous comments. That's why I wonder if they clipped it. Dude, it was wild. Let me see if I can find that. It looks like they have a two minute clip. Now I want the crazy shit. Open season. Jesus Christ, this guy's a piece of shit. Open season. Oh, my. oh yeah. Okay, so 
and they bring this guy on TV all, all the time. There he is on CBS. <sighs> Disgusting. All right. Oh, Roland Martin streamed this. Of course he did. Oh, here we go. How long is his comments, though? Not too long. Okay, good. Let me see. Does he talk again later? Yeah, he does a little bit. All right. Let's start it up. To Shira and thank you. Shut up. Even when the media isn't present, I think we should give them a round of applause. Yeah. All right, let me put this on the tab so you guys can see it. I'm attorney Ben Crump, along with attorney Jeff Storms, who hails here from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and attorney Tony Ramanucci. Who? We have the honor of representing the family of Dante Wright. Second degree also, manslaughter. Attorney Storms News just broke, according to uh, Colonel Jay in the chat. Former Brooklyn City Police, Brooklyn Center Police Officer Kimberly Potter to be charged with second degree manslaughter. That's not going to be good enough. Listen to this. That's not going to be good enough for these guys. Chris Stewart. Okay, shut up. This is a bittersweet moment. It is somewhat gratifying that you have George Floyd's family who left out the courthouse <laughs> where the Derek Chauvin trial regarding the death of George Floyd killstream.live slash tip because they thought it was important oh wow thank you Kodiak that they I appreciate that on Cash App you can send you can Wright's send a little bitcoin on Cash App too mother and father and family and Dante Wright's child Dante Jr. and his mother, China Whitaker, because oh. this time last year, almost a year ago, they were facing the unimaginable. They were facing the unbelievable. They were facing the agony of losing a family member to police excessive force and it is unbelievable yeah oh they hear him mean, coming back it is just okay so we'll finish that for sure because I, I we have to see that before we finish up here today We're going to do like right, yesterday, Dr. by the Fowler, way. Uh, right before the break, uh, we were discussing... I might have another uh, afternoon Floyd's session. We'll see. The, uh, cont contributions uh, to, of Mr. Floyd's heart to his death. Um, did you form, in your opinion, to a reasonable degree of medical certainty, what you thought was the principal cause of Mr. Floyd's death? Yes. And what is that? Cardiac arrhythmia due to hypertensive atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease during restraint. Now, in terms of the uh, other contributing factors to Mr. Floyd's Yes, death, this is live. That's the giant live button I just turned on. Make other considerations to things that may have contributed. Yes, I did. Um, I'd like to discuss with you um, carbon, carbon monoxide or CO. 
Okay. You've reviewed all of the videos in the case, correct? I did. Did you uh, pay attention to where Mr. Floyd's head was positioned? 770 live. Let's go, Eric yes, Nelson. Which way was his face, nose, mouth facing? His face was facing towards the vehicle, um, towards the rear of the vehicle, and directly towards the area where you would expect the tailpipe or tailpipes of a vehicle to be. And let me just um, ask you, are you suggesting that Mr. Floyd died from carbon monoxide poisoning? Absolutely not, no. Not a full carbon monoxide poisoning, no. All right. Now, um, I'd like to, if the court could publish, uh, and before the court does, the next slide uh, has a screenshot from Officer King's body-worn camera at 20-24-09. Uh, do you see that in front of you there? Sir? I do not at this time, no. Okay. How about now? Yes. All right. Um, Your Honor, I have independently marked this single slide as Exhibit 1058. And based upon discussions with counsel, I'd move for its admission. Any objection? No objection. One zero five eight is received. A permission to publish. All right. uh, Dr. Fowler, based on your review of the videos and evidence, were you able to determine if the vehicle was running? There was evidence that the vehicle was running. What would that evidence consist of? What I observed was a collection of fluid. And if this is working. Maybe I'm doing the wrong way. Collection of fluid. Objection, Your Honor. Oh, my goodness. Oh, a little collection of fluid there, huh? All right. Sound like uh, Blackwell, the black prosecutor, funnily enough, uh, is actually objecting to this uh, line of questioning here. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, again, killstream.live slash tip, killstream.live slash entropy. Uh, Cash app is dollar sign sunset squad. Yes, you can send Bitcoin on Cash app. Somebody just sent me a little Bitcoin. Uh, dollars as well, everything. All right. Here we go. It wasn't one of the, like the last Bitcoin I got in December. It was just, you know. Regular, normal amount. <laughs> Boca Bradley, subscribe to the channel. Thank you, Boca. Much appreciated. They're on a sidebar here. We're getting ready for uh, Eric Nelson, affectionately known as Chad Nelson, here on the court retort uh, to continue his cross-examination of Dr. David Fowler, the former chief medical examiner for the state of Maryland, who is here as an expert witness on behalf of the defense, uh, basically saying that... Uh, Prosecution's full of shit, and uh, Floyd died because of, uh, you know, the pills and heart disease and all that stuff. We played those clips a little bit. If you just joined us, that's a little short rundown there. Uh, now he said it much more eloquently than that, but uh, now let's see. What did he say? Uh, here's the quote. Let's see. Right, here's the reporter, I guess. It says, heart disease, fentanyl, meth, or other contributing factors. List carbon monoxide from car exhaust as possible cause. Uh, contributing 
Um, I and they mentioned that that was the first time we had heard that. Um, it says George Floyd had cardiac arrhythmia due to his heart disease. Objections overruled. Uh, overruled. Dr. Fowler, um, based on your general knowledge, it's a nice suit Nelson has on today. I like your the personal experiences. Um, what comes out of a car's exhaust? Typically, we see the products of combustion. It's an internal combustion engine coming out the exhaust. And the major products of combustion are going to be water vapor, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide. And then a couple of other very small other. By the way, what is chat like? This mic or the mic I was using before? That come out of press one for this mic. Press two for the old mic. Just whichever is one you like carbon best. Carbon monoxide toxic. It is an extremely toxic gas. How does it act as a poison? Carbon monoxide attaches to the hemoglobin in our red blood cells, and it attaches to those red blood cells more tightly than oxygen. So it competes for the same binding position it's on like the hemoglobin okay. that oxygen does. And since it is a better, um, and, and, and it binds more firmly, the oxygen can't displace it. So I think it sounds better, but... of carbon monoxide bound to your hemoglobin in your bloodstream slowly goes up, you lose that portion of your oxygen carrying capacity. So if you have a 10% carbon monoxide saturation in your bloodstream, you've lost 10% of your oxygen carrying capacity. Okay, can that cause ultimately death? When you get to levels um, way in excess of 50, 60%, people typically, uh, even young healthy individuals will start to die. The issue is that people with significant heart disease and reju reduced capacity in their heart are going to be adversely affected earlier. The mic is less so hot. Yeah, I feel like that too. Many examples in the literature of people dying in an environment where multiple people are exposed, but one person dies at, and I've seen this less than 20%, and the others die at um, varying levels above that. So it's not universal that everybody will require to get to 60, 70, 80%. Um, that's a young, healthy individual. But people with predisposing conditions who are vulnerable will die at much lower levels. Yeah, I have a cloud so lifter with the So in terms SMB. of the literature, are you familiar generally with the literature on um, carbon monoxide poisoning? Yes. Specifically, are you familiar with the paper by DeMaio and Dana on carbon monoxide poisoning in open spaces? Yes, that is a paper that came out in the late 80s, I believe. And is this uh, here as a part of your PowerPoint, uh, that article, or the title of that article? Yeah, this is the title, title um, sheet or title portion of that particular paper that was published by the two doctors, yes. And that was in the late 80s, you said? Correct. Are you familiar with CDC warnings on carbon monoxide in open spaces? Yes. Can you describe what this slide represents? So this is, this is the um, outdoor air recommendations. So we're talking about indoor air, outdoor air recommendations by the EPA. Um, 
and recommending that individuals are not exposed to more than nine parts per million um, for eight hours. Anything above an eight-hour exposure puts you at risk of absorbing carbon monoxide, which can put you at risk of at least symptoms, if not more. And when you go up to 35 parts per million, so not a much of an increase, that exposure limit drops to one hour. So in terms of the CDC versus the EPA, what does the CDC say? Well, they, they both, both, both saying, just be careful of carbon monoxide regardless of your environment. Are you familiar with the Consumer Product Safety Commission scale? So, excuse me, the C Consumer Product Safety Commission? Yes. Is that uh, He is mentioned in the car and the carbon monoxide. This case? Or carbon so this dioxide. is the um, top of the page. Monoxide, I guess. Um, they refer to, and um, if you go to the next slide, it actually says what it says on the, on the page. And basically they're saying that most people will not experience any symptoms from a prolonged exposure to carbon monoxide between yeah, 1 monoxide. and 70 parts per million. Um, but some heart patients may experience an increase in chest pain. In other words, become symptomatic um, in that range. As CO levels increase and remain above 70 parts per million, symptoms become more noticeable and conclude headache, fatigue, and nausea. And once you get above 150 to 200 parts per million, people become disoriented, unconscious, and death are possible. So the higher the level, the more rapid and the more serious the potential consequences of exposure to a source of carbon monoxide is. Are you also familiar with the World Health Organization standards? Yes. Is that the next slide? So this is just again the, the header from their, their document. The relevant information is on the next slide. And they go a little further than the EPA giving us more data. And what they do is they've got the same nine parts per million for eight hours. Their recommendation is not more than 26 parts per million for eight hours, not the 35 that the CDC, um, the EPA has. At 52 parts per million, the risk of exposure um, issues occurs in, you get in 30 minutes at 52 parts per million, um, which is in that one to 70 range that the EPA said is okay. Um, and then at 87 parts per million, 15 minutes is all it takes to start getting yourself into uh, having absorbed um, a decent amount of carbon monoxide. Now, you're, you're not a mechanic, correct? No. <laughs> all right. But are you aware <laughs> of some just sort of general standards in terms of the emission of carbon monoxide but by man, vehicles? But man, chauffeured. Yes, it's not a mechanic. The general knowledge that forensic pathologists have as to the different types of sources of carbon monoxide. And would that include the California Air Resources Board? Yes, this is one of the most strict automobile emission uh, uh, regulations. And what does the regulations stand for? 782 so Live! The, in, in California, and it's been adopted in about 14, 15 states around the country, so California has been copied. Um, to, you know, by various other states. Some states have not copied it. I could not find any reference to Minnesota being um, a CARB state. Okay. So, but adopting the California stringent um, regulations 
a vehicle may emit up to 1,200 parts per million of carbon monoxide from its exhaust. And I'm going back to the prior slide, where would that fall within the World Health Organization? Or, uh, World Health Organization guidelines. Well, they go up to 87. We're talking 1,200, so we're talking in excess. Well, George Floyd fell asleep inside the car, by the way. 12, now, 13 times. Now, again, you're not suggesting to the jury that Mr. Floyd died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Not exclusively, no. Okay. Um, how would you be able to determine the, the role that carbon monoxide played in a particular group? I've never knew they were going here, by Typically, the way. Typically, and the easiest way for a medical examiner to do that is to have the blood tested by a laboratory for what we call carboxyhemoglobin saturation. And it will come back from the laboratory giving us a percentage saturation. To your knowledge, was Mr. Floyd's blood tested for carbon monoxide? I could not find a reference to it, no. Now, the previous articles that we kind of looked at, the DeMaio, I think you said, uh, from the late 80s, are there more recent studies on the effect of uh, carbon monoxide exposure in open spaces? Yes. Is that uh, this? Oops. Mm, yeah. no. May have gotten mixed in here. I don't think I put this into the oh. PowerPoint. Oh, okay. Uh, Mr. Oh, they hit the YouTube stream again. Uh, yes, there's a recent study. So they didn't hit it yesterday, but they hit it today. It's not a strike, by the way. It's just a... Poland where a taxi driver committed suicide by taking his vehicle. By the way, people, do you not understand how strikes work, that they take the whole stream down? It's not, it doesn't just say like a warning message. And then lay down on the mat and inhale the exhaust. Watch on Trovo. And he ended up with a very high level of carbon monoxide. It was in the 80s. Um, certainly sufficient to be an exclusive cause of death in that particular case. The interesting thing about that particular study was... It provided. It's no just YouTube mad because we're using this audio, and they're trying to say we're taking it from NBC or some shit, even though this is publicly available. Fucking pieces of shit. Twenty years, thirty years before. But what was done in that particular case was that the authorities tested. Oh, they got Trovo blocked at work, but not YouTube. What the fuck? Coming out of the exhaust, so they did a recreation reenactment, and took carbon monoxide sensors and put them at approximately the place where the man's nose and mouth were, and then monitored the carbon monoxide coming out of this vehicle. So the principle that you can test a vehicle and make a determination exactly how dangerous it is was properly tested in that particular case, and they found that when the breeze was blowing or the wind was blowing at or about this man's face, and he was about a foot away. I could try somebody else's stream too. We'll see. The, when the wind was blowing, the amount of carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide by the sensor, picked up by the sensor was 200 parts per million. And when the wind dropped, it went up to 790 parts per million. Which is again Guns almost ten Thank times you, man, the World for the Health Organization's recommendation. So, in the area close to an exhaust, I'll try another feed. Maybe that'll fix. You're going to have a much higher level of carbon monoxide than you would if you're three, four feet away. Okay. Now, um, to your knowledge, were similar uh, experiments done in this case, or recreations? 
I did not see any um, information that indicated that a similar recreation or um, was done in this particular case now. In terms of modern vehicles, they have catalytic converters, correct? Absolutely. And what does a catalytic converter do relevant to carbon monoxide? It reduces it dramatically. So in the era before catalytic converters, the amount of carbon monoxide coming out of a typical car exhaust would exceed 30,000 parts per million and could be as high as 70,000 parts per million. So the catalytic converter and the modern emissions controls that you see on, at least in the California requirements, which are again the most strict, um, have reduced it by Some about 30 chat, times. Not a fan of this to uh, angle. To to I'm not sure I am either. No, but in terms it's of just another um, angle. Well, can you describe for the jury what a pulse oximeter is? Yes, a pulse oximeter is a device that you put on the finger. It's a little clamp that you put on the finger, and it reads two things, your pulse rate and the oxygen saturation in your blood. So it counts the pulses, and it reads how much oxygen you're carrying in your blood by looking at the color of your fingernail. How, um, how does carbon monoxide come into play in terms of pulse oximeter? So the important thing is it appears to be oxygen. It changes the blood to a color which the pulse oximeter thinks is oxygen. So if you take somebody who has 50% saturation with carbon monoxide, it will still read that the person is 95% oxygen. It doesn't tell you that there's 50%. So if a pulse oximeter was put on Mr. Floyd's finger in the vehicle and again in the hospital, the pulse oximeter does not give us any information allowing us to say he was or was not under the influence of some degree of carbon monoxide intoxication. How long does carbon monoxide typically stay in the bloodstream? So it stays in the bloodstream um, if you want to treat a person and put them on 100% oxygen. The half-life is about an hour and a half to two hours. If you're exposed to ambient air, it takes much longer to get rid of the carbon monoxide. And so, I mean, essentially removing that carbon monoxide from the bloodstream is a reversible Yeah, that process. suit is badass. It's not Nelson. an irreversible blonde. It is reversible. So, yes, it will at some point slowly dissociate and be blown off. We do generate a small degree of carbon monoxide as part of our normal metabolism. It's a very low sub 1%, and it binds to the, oxy to, to the hemoglobin and eventually dissociates and is eliminated. So um, in small amounts are not an issue. 40 ounce and to yes, freedom associate and be blown off. Thank you for the resub, brother. The normal metabolism. So how about how much carbon monoxide is it is needed to be absorbed into the bloodstream uh, to diminish the oxygen supply? Well, for a young healthy individual, you want to probably exceed the 60, 70, 80% range. That's what we typically see. However, in individuals who have risk factors, that can be far, far less. How, what type of risk factors would you look for? So these are particularly, uh, the, the, the individuals that are particularly at risk are people with cardiovascular disease, as we saw in Mr. Floyd, and people with chronic obstructive lung disease would also be a, have a higher risk. 
um, and then other comorbidities, kidney disease, etc. But the real um, high-risk one is going to be heart. And what percentage would you expect in when someone presents with those conditions? Very difficult to predict in because everybody is different. Um, there are studies out there where as little as six percent saturation with carbon monoxide in an individual who's exercising with heart disease will start causing arrhythmias. So it's a very low percentage. Now you have to have all of this, the heart disease and exercise, but at about 6%, there have been studies done in a controlled laboratory environment where people started showing EKG changes and premature ventricular contractions at about 6%. So it has potential to affect individuals at much lower levels than you would require for a young, healthy individual. Now, in terms of findings at autopsy, um, are there certain things at autopsy that can determine the, um, what the presence of carbon monoxide or certain observations that, physician, that the pathologist can make? Yes, typically carbon monoxide makes the blood appear and in the, in the terminology, it looks like it's cherry red in color. It's not the standard pink or slightly darker red color that we would see for deoxygenated blood. It's a, it's a fairly bright cherry red color. Hence the reason the pulse oximeters get somewhat confused as well. Now, when you get levels of 50, 60, 70%, and the greater majority of the blood is carboxyhemoglobin, it stands out. But when you're looking at levels that are 10%, 20%, it doesn't. Still got about another hour here scheduled on the morning a edition of the court report. One pack a day will have and can have a carboxyhemoglobin of 6%. Two packs a day, you can get up to 12%. We just don't see that as forensic pathologists because there is so much background color from the normal blood that it's lost in that. So I would expect a pathologist when there is substantial amount to spot it relatively easily, but I would not expect somebody to see the lower levels that can still be um, a factor. And to do that, you would need to test the blood? That would be the, the gold standard, yes. Test the blood and see how much carboxyhemoglobin is in the blood. So if, if you're not saying um, that carbon monoxide caused Mr. Floyd's death, can you likewise eliminate it as a contributing factor? The only way to eliminate carbon monoxide as a contributing factor would be to ensure that there was none in his blood or a very, very low level in his blood. Um, so in Mr. Floyd, it robs him of an additional percentage of oxygen carrying capacity, whether that be 5%, 10%, 15%, it takes away from the important factor of getting blood to his heart muscle. So this is just another potential insult, another brick in the wall, unfortunately, for um, the circumstances here. Now, ultimately, the officers weren't affected by this? No, they were not. And why, would that, why could that be? Well, they're another two to three feet away, and potentially, uh, hopefully, they're much younger and um, hopefully don't have heart disease. So with every foot or more away, the amount of carbon monoxide in that particular 
bubble is going to decrease. Okay. Now, so we've discussed the heart, we've discussed carbon monoxide. Um, did you eliminate certain uh, causes of death as well? Yes. Specifically referring to asphyxia. Correct. How would you describe the investigation of custodial deaths compared to other types of deaths? Very long, very complex, and something that needs to be done very, very carefully. Are there many variables to consider? Absolutely, there are a huge number of variables, as we obviously um, can see in the case of Mr. Floyd as well. Now, in terms of uh, this article here in your uh, PowerPoint presentation, what's the significance of this? So this is a, an article that was put out um, I think about 1992 by uh, Dr. James Luke and Dr. Donald Should Ray. I make a banana or mayo Donald sandwich? Ray was Ugh. one of the first pathologists to theorize that putting somebody in a face-down position I a banana uh, was dangerous. So. And this was based on, on, on observations of cases where people were placed in a prone position and they died. And so his conclusion was <clears throat> that may well be a factor and needed to be considered. But what Dr. Ray also does say, and, and later on he recanted that um, to a large extent, but what he does say is that these are very difficult, complex cases. Don't rush to judgment. Make sure you've considered all of the potential issues that are. So my in chat says, I don't know cases. what you guys are dissing. This, why and you guys are dissing it? I think it's genius. Talk about a crystal ball it's a direct counterpoint to prosecution's uh, insistence that low oxygen caused Floyd's death. Sense, and the fact that there are no easy answers in such deaths. In your experiences as a forensic pathologist, have you had the opportunity to uh, perform a death investigation and autopsies of in custody deaths? Yes. So in this particular case, we've heard a lot about hypoxia. Um, which organ is more sensitive to hypoxia? The brain is the most sensitive or rapidly sensitive to hypoxia. In your review of the materials, did you have an opportunity to review some testimony of Dr. Baker uh, in prior proceedings? Yes. Um, Dr. Baker, in his testimony, referenced some studies are, uh, in terms of the effects of positional asphyxia. Are you familiar with those studies? Yes. Did you take those studies into consideration uh, as far as your analysis of this case? Yes. That, that is the current state of the science or the knowledge base with regards to this my brother, situation. No, Felix. So That'll let's cool, talk though. just simply about the prone position. Do people sometimes sleep in the prone position? Yes, approximately 7% of the adult population sleep face down. In terms of um, medical examinations, treatments, are people kept in the prone position? In certain situations, people are examined in the prone position. There are therapeutic maneuvers where people are deliberately placed in the prone position. Uh, Morgoth on Cash App. Right Thank you, brother. A couple of those just now came through for some reason. Face down. Uh, but he and says, KC Gang Gang. And he also says, Professor Mama! Um, exchange. Not decreases it. So, you know, the prone position by itself um, does not have, or at least 
there is no evidence right now that that is a significant issue. In terms of um, this particular case, of course, the prone position is you know, not in a hospital setting, right? It's on a street, agreed? Correct. And I, just generally speaking, if I were, if a person were to lay down on the street in the prone position with nothing on top of them, is that in and of itself inherently dangerous? No, the scientific studies basically have looked at the issue of the prone position with and without weight and made a determination that there really is no significant impairment of the individual's respiratory function. And those particular studies were very carefully crafted. Let, to me, let me just interrupt you for a second, doctor. Um, can you just, uh, what's the kind of the leading study on weight applied to someone in the prone position? I mean, there, there are several, but the one that um, I've recently read, well not recently, but I know of, is, is the one by uh, Dr. Mark Kroll and a couple of other co-authors. And is that, this that paper here? Yes, I believe that is the one, yes. Positional compression and restraint asphyxia, a brief review? Yes. Now, in terms of this study, can you just explain this study? Um, can you explain the setting of the study, etc.? So this is a review paper where he refers to various papers, including his own work, um, where no evidence of any kind of compressional asphyxia was found in individuals who were in the so-called hogtie situation, which is prone, with their hands handcuffed behind their backs, additional restraints applied around the ankles, and then the two tied together. That is the classical hogtie position. And then weights were applied to the individual up to 102 kilograms, which is 225 pounds, and found, again, no significant um, disturbance to their ability to exchange and breathe. And so the final conclusion was, and there are about 23 different studies out there um, um, that Dr. Baker referred to in his previous testimonies and that previous legal um, um, environment. Um, and in this paper, Dr. Kroll says, positional asphyxia, as the term is used in court today, is an interesting hypothesis unsupported by any experimental data. So let me ask you, um, pursuant to the court's order, you were permitted to review the testimony or watch the testimony of other expert witnesses in this case, correct? Yes. And did you do so? Some of them, not all of them. Okay. Um, did you hear um, criticism of this Kroll paper? Yes, I did. And do you think that the study was flawed based on its methodology? So the study was asking one specific question. Is the prone position dangerous? When you craft a experimental process to look at a particular process, in this particular case was the prone, you want to eliminate all other variables. You want to eliminate fear. You want to eliminate exertion. You want to eliminate environmental conditions other than, and focus entirely on that one entity. So agree that what is happening in this particular situation, you, they didn't use people who had heart disease. They used young, healthy volunteers. 
the surface they were lying on was not asphalt. It was a hard floor with a thin gym mat on it. The individuals were not in fear of their life. They knew that they could be pulled out of that at any time, and so there was no fear and hyper-secretion of adrenaline. And all of the other issues, all they simply were doing is evaluating just the prone position and the weight on the back from the prone position and found that it had no effect. So now you can go back and look at the other issues if you want to at some stage. Now, in terms of this study, by putting weight on the back, how did that work? So they were using um, bags of weight, sacks, and they continued to place them over the thorax, evenly distributed across the chest and an upper um, abdominal area. The area which is where your lungs and the so-called bellows and so it puts pressure on the diaphragm if because of the abdominal weight and on the chest and it looks to see whether or not individuals can still move air in and out and they did not find any significant uh, impact. Have you ever um, seen a, uh, an image of like a team, a baseball team winning the World Series? Oh, you mean a, a human pyramid? Right. Yes. Is, that, is it kind of the analysis or analogy that they bring? Yes. Kind of lots of people piled up on top, someone's got to be at the bottom, right? Correct. Are there others? Well, in terms of the Kroll studies, you, you talked about this particular study, are there, or this particular paper, that was a review of other studies, right? His own and other work, yes. And there were 23, I believe you said? Yeah, that was the um, testimony that um, Dr. Baker okay. stated in the previous legal proceeding. So are these some of the other uh, studies that they reviewed? Yes, I mean, these, these are just a, a short list. It's not all of them. That's, again, just illustrative of the developing information and really this has gathered a lot of steam over the last couple of years so prior to many of these studies the wisdom of the position is dangerous was still accepted but you can see from 2007 2012 2013 2014 people are really beginning to look at this with a critical eye and really adding to the body of knowledge within the medical sciences and beginning to um, challenge some of these theories. Now in terms of, I mean again, just the research, um, the, the, the criticism offered by previous experts was that it wasn't real world. Were some of these studies looking at real world situations? Correct. Which of those studies? So the real world ones are the two papers by Dr. Hall, I think, probably are the ones that stand out. Um, the first paper was she took a, a city of 1.1 million. Weren't 1.1 million police restraints. It was a city of 1.1 million residents. And in that, there were 1,296 cases where there was a forceful restraint. And the only death that they found in that particular case was a person who was not in the prone position. And they evaluated prone versus non-prone and statistically found no difference. That's a relatively small study. 
Um, so they went on and did a bigger study where they took four cities and looked at almost 5,000 consecutive um, force events um, and concluded, and their final conclusion was, concluded that their data support the human laboratory data, which are these ones that you are in the controlled environment, that the prone position has no clinically significant effects on subject physiology. Now, did um, Dr. Kroll also publish a paper um, relevant to the weight of a police officer? Yes. And is that this study here? Yes. And um, can you just describe for the jury uh, this study by Dr. Kroll and others and the impact of an officer's weight being a factor in the analysis of prone position and positional asphyxia? So basically, his conclusion was, it doesn't matter how much the officer weighs. Yeah. 140, 150, 100, or 200 pounds. Doesn't really make a huge difference to the outcome. Um, what he did say is that with a double knee restraint specifically, it's two knees on the person, it has a modest influence on the weight applied to. Now these are not testing respiration, these were weight tests on dummies. So what he's measuring here is if a person weighs 140 pounds and they kneel on somebody, how much weight are they transferring? With a single knee, it didn't matter what weight the individual was. With a double knee, up to 23%. Yeah, I killed the YouTube stream because weight could be can't see it anyway. To I just had cast turn it off. Up to, I'm sorry, how much? 23%. We'll try it again so tomorrow. I don't know why it does that. It. Yesterday it didn't, day before it um, did, so I don't know what's triggering it, but we'll try it again tomorrow. It has a modest influence. Maybe on this the afternoon if we come back. Not respiratory activity. Sorry. Okay. Um, do you we do know, another one this afternoon. We'll based try. Based on your review of the materials, were you able to ascertain uh, Officer Chauvin's weight? I was informed, yes, and I've seen that weight. And what is that? 140 pounds is what I was told. Now, you also, um, in reviewing the videos, you see that he has two feet on the ground with the exception of one small moment? Yes, that was what I did actually see in the, in the video. So what portion of Mr. Chauvin's weight was transferred onto Mr. Floyd's body? He's using a single knee technique through the greater majority. His other knee is either on the bicep area or on close to the left chest wall. So single knee tech, it's going to be less than 23%. But even if he applied both knees, which he would have, he would have transferred 23% of his body weight for 140 pound person, that would be between 30 and 35 pounds. Um, less than 225 pounds from the yes. laboratory experiment. Yes. So in terms of, you know, let me ask you this first. Uh, in terms of the placement of Officer Chauvin's, excuse me, uh, knee to Mr. Floyd. Is it your opinion that Mr. Chauvin's knee in any way impacted the structures of Mr. Floyd's neck? No, it did not. None of the vital structures um, were in the area where the knee appeared to be from the videos. 
Now, again, in terms of your death investigations, um, you've reviewed photographs, you've reviewed the autopsy. Also, Chad, I'll be right back. Nature, correct? We're still yes. live. Were any signs of, well, generally speaking, do signs of injury uh, play into your analysis as to the cause of death? Yes. How so? Well, you make an observation of, such as in this particular case, of a knee providing force to a particular part of the body, and then you go and you look at the same part of the body to see whether or not you can find corroborating evidence within the body itself, either an abrasion to the skin, subcutaneous hemorrhage, hemorrhage into the muscles, or other injuries um, that may be caused by the knee. And what injuries did you observe in the photographs of Mr. Floyd? All of his injuries were in areas where the knee was not. In other words, they were on the front of his body, um, his face, his places where he was restrained, but there was absolutely no evidence of any injury on the skin to the subcutaneous tissue or the deeper structures of the back or the neck. Were there any uh, broken bones, spinal injuries, anything of that nature? There were no broken bones documented. Um, I did not see a description of the spinal cord in the autopsy report, but given that there was really no external evidence of the area, the muscles around the, the spinal column, um, I would be very surprised if there was any spinal cord injury um, in this particular case. So you referenced the, um, the back of Mr. Floyd. Did you see any bruising to the skin? I did not see bruising or abrasion to the skin. Did you see any uh, bleeding into the subcutaneous tissues of the neck and back? No, not on the autopsy photographs, nor was it documented in the autopsy. How about to the muscles? The same. And so in your opinion, the absence of such injury how does that speak to the cause of death? It speaks to the amount of force that was applied to Mr. Floyd was less than enough to bruise him. So in terms of um, the knee, can you, uh, I'm looking at your PowerPoint here, can you help us understand how the knee relates to questions of injury and force? Well, there are two structures that would be of concern in this particular case. One would be the actual knee itself, and the other would be the tibia, which is the shin bone. This diagram shows the shin bone, and this is this object right here. And if you remove that particular red circle that I just put in, you can see that the tibia has a relatively defined front edge right over here. Um, and you can feel it on yourself, but there's a, a nice ridge all the way down, which is actually quite prominent and hard, and it's right underneath the skin. And so that allows an unforgiving surface such as the shin bone to be placed on soft tissues which are more vulnerable and cause some degree of injury to that area. So that's the shin bone. The knee is actually not that much different. The knee 
um, is somewhat spherical. You've got your patella and you've got the ends of the femur, the thigh bone on either side, and you've got the ends of the tibia just below, all of which are bony prominences and again right underneath the skin. And they can direct the, the amount of force. If you put a substantial well, 30, 40, 50 pounds worth of force, focus with your knee onto somebody. In my opinion, the chances of a subcutaneous or Trubby George, thank you for the resub, brother. And you didn't see that in this autopsy? It was not documented and it's not visible on the autopsy photographs. In your career as a forensic pathologist, have you uh, looked at other strangulation type cases? I've, yes, strangulation and other restraint situations where knees have been used, yes. Do you typically see marks in those cases? In manual strangulation, often you will see hemorrhaging into the muscles of the neck. Um, and in cases where the knee has been used on the back, we often see a bruise consistent and we, at times we have matched it to video cam footage of where we see a knee being placed, yes. And including just fingerprint, finger marks, I suppose. Yes, so just the pressure from somebody's fingers is enough to cause muscle hemorrhage in a manual strangulation case. We're not talking about a person putting weight on somebody, we're just talking about somebody squeezing a neck. When you look at this case and you see the knee is involved, the shin bone is involved, would you expect to see a greater likelihood of bruising from just the fingers? Objection, Your Honor, call speculation. Sorry, can you repeat the question? In, in this particular case, where the knee is involved, there's allegations of it being used to, to force or subdue Mr. Floyd, would you expect the knee and shin bone to have a greater likelihood to produce bruising? Then fingers, yes. And is there any objective medical findings in the autopsy showing pressure placed to the back? No. Now, again, we've talked about hypoxia, and we can take this down now, Judge. We've talked about hypoxia. Um, what are the effects of hypoxia that you would expect to see if that were present? So there are some observable symptoms when a person becomes hypoxic. Is that what you're asking, Councilman? Yes. Yes. Well, what are those? So people typically start to get a little confused, disoriented. They may have visual changes. People describe little spots of light, a gray curtain coming down. So there are visual abnormalities that people will describe and complain of. Um, they often become incoherent. They have difficulty in speaking. What is happening with hypoxia is your brain is getting progressively short of oxygen and so you're getting decreased function of your brain and some of those are going to um, mimic intoxication by other sources. Did Mr. Floyd based on your review complain of such visual changes? No, he complained of shortness of breath but there was no, no indication that he 
made any statements that he was having difficulty in seeing things. Is shortness of breath one of those things you'd expect to see in hypoxia? Yes. What causes that feeling of shortness of breath um, in a in a hypoxia situation? So again, we're looking at hypoxia, hypoxia of the brain, which gives this, the person the sense that they need to breathe faster, breathe harder, they're short of breath. And that can be caused by inability to get oxygen in or air into the lungs. So an obstruction and or something that interferes with the airway or affects the ability to move the lungs. So it can be respiratory or it can be cardiovascular. And you can get shortness of breath with heart attack. You can get shortness of breath with other vascular abnormalities. So therefore, there is, it, it's not a good discriminator. It doesn't help you separate out whether or not there was a respiratory problem versus a distribution problem of the oxygen. Because what you're looking at is air coming into the lungs and then the heart distributes it. And so if you have anything which interferes with the distribution of air from outside your body to the you know, absorption through the heart and getting to the, the brain, all the brain perceives is, I haven't got enough oxygen, and you get that sense of, I am short of breath. And does you get that uh, same sensation um, from cardiac functions? Yes, I, I, I just mentioned that, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, in your review of the videos, did Mr. Floyd appear confused? He, not to my eye, not confused to time and place um, and disoriented, no. Did you observe breathing patterns? Yes. How, uh, how would you estimate his breathing to, what was the rate of his breathing? I think my, my estimation was, was very similar to previous experts, about 20 to 25 um, breaths per minute. And if someone is experiencing hypoxia, do you, how, do you, how would that affect the rate of breathing? Typically when you're short of breath, you breathe faster and faster and faster. And is 22 to 25 breaths per minute considered um, rapid breathing? It's faster than being at rest. And typically, I think at rest, we would be breathing at less than 20. But it's certainly not <clears throat> a, a rapid respiratory rate now. How about um, certain types of phobias? Yes. So, you know, if, if, if you have a phobia and you are pushed into a situation where you have to face the phobia, it's very stressful and it will fire up your fight and flight type situation. How would that affect the respiratory rate? Well, the moment you go into fight and flight and your adrenaline is surging, um, you're likely to start, um, as some people hyperventilate, there are lots of variables there. So again, in terms of that respiration rate, you would expect it to increase well beyond the normal rate? Yes, I would not expect it to slow down. Okay. Um, in terms of the uh, placement of the knee and the neck, um, could you determine based on your review whether it appeared his airway was obstructed? Yes, the placement of the knee is towards the back and the back right side of his of Mr. Floyd's neck. 
and the airway is around the front. It is nowhere close to um, his airway. We were talking about um, having an open airway. How does that affect your ability to speak? The ability to speak or make any other sound, groaning, and Mr. Floyd did groan. So any of the sounds that Mr. Floyd is making requires you to be able to take air in over the vocal cords and out over the vocal cords. And so therefore, you cannot make sound unless you're A, moving air, and that your mouth is open and people can actually hear to some extent. I can hum with my mouth closed, but I'm not, it's, it's not effective. So the bottom line is moving air in and out is, and speaking and making noise is very good evidence that the airway was not closed. Now, in terms of, again, prior testimony, did you review or uh, watch the testimony of Dr. Tobin? I did not watch all of Mr. Tob or Dr. Tobin's uh, testimony, no. Okay. Did you hear him discussing the hypopharynx? I did. And hypopharynx compression. Here we yes. go. Hit him up. Have you ever Hit seen anything in the forensic medical literature? The Irishman was um, talking shit about South Africa. The Chad South African doesn't give a fuck. Cause asphyxia? I have not. When you heard his testimony, what, did, what steps and efforts did you take to consider that? started to do a survey of the available medical literature to ensure that I hadn't missed something. And I could not find... Objection, Your Honor. Sidebar. Oh, my God. Oral. Continue. Oh, okay. I could not find anything <laughs> in the forensic literature talking about pressure applied to the neck causing a hypopharynx... Objection, Your Honor. Very disclosed. Overruled. Overruled. And then I went to the standard medical literature, and there are entities which cause impairment of the hypopharynx, but they are usually, what well, they all were focused on foreign bodies being inhaled, such as hot dogs or some other object, and then also fucking tumors in that area potentially blocking fucking off bitch. that so structure. So nothing that really matched the testimony of uh, Dr. Tobin, as I understand it. Okay. You're saying In I should raise the gavel. Um, hypoxia, moving back continue, to hypoxia. Please continue. Is hypoxia, the signs of hypoxia, is that a progressive or a Fucking fast bomb. process? You're right, I should always keep the gavel out both, while we're doing the court. It should always be here by my side. You have to recognize right. that there is oxygen in your blood that is there. You're saying I should dab now? and it takes a while to use up that particular oxygen. So in most circumstances, the onset of hypoxia is... I have a lot of dabbing experience. Virus tricks somebody's breathing and slow it down by some means or stop it by some means, there is still oxygen dissolved in their blood. You can hold your breath for 30 seconds with comfort. Yeah, At 45 seconds, you're probably getting a little uncomfortable and you want to breathe. That's your innate reflex trying to override your voluntary suppression of your breathing. But you could probably go out to a minute before you start feeling woozy and or uncomfortable and disoriented. And so 
that is the stored that's the heart continuing to distribute what you've got in your so we see hypoxia occurring gradually in most circumstances over time it's not something which is an on off switch and rapid and um as far as those symptoms that you see, or I don't know the fortnight floss. Hypoxic is that an actual thing? Do they gradually progress like that as well? Typically, yes. Did you notice hypoxic changes in this particular case? No. Mr. Floyd was, was coherent and understandable until shortly before there was a sudden cessation of um, his movement. So if Mr. Floyd in this case was progressively suffering from hypoxia, what would you have expected to observe? I would expect him to, to become disoriented, confused, um, incoherent. Um, I would expect some of those symptoms to be um, at least somewhat apparent. And you would have, uh, would your review, in your review of the videos, would you have expected to see a progression in that hypoxia? Objection, Your Honor, ask and answer that. Sorry. Okay. Understood. Now, how about asphyxia due to, uh, to position or compression? Let's talk about that. What is, what's, what cause, what does that affect? So they are certain positions a person can get into which impairs your breathing. And does that, what does that lead to? It leads to difficulty in moving your diaphragm and your chest and you know, impairing your ability to reoxygenate your blood. Can that lead to hypoxia? Yes. Which uh, bodily organ would you expect to see affected first? The brain. And all of those effects on speech and orientation and things progressing. Correct. But you described what you saw as a sudden change. What does that mean to, to your analysis? So Mr. Floyd goes from making clear statements, and some of the words I heard were please, and I'm short of breath, please, and then there's a period of about 45 seconds of silence, um, but he's still moving and seems to be um, active. And then there's a sudden relaxation. Um, and so he goes from pretty much fully functional um, and coherent to unconscious very rapidly. So in this particular case, how does his 90% blockage of the right coronary artery come into play? So what you're looking at there is a sudden decompensation, which is much more consistent with a sudden cardiac event. And what happens there is the moment the heart stops pumping sufficient blood, there is no circulation of blood. There is no circulation of the blood that still has some oxygen in it. And the brain will function for about 15 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds with full consciousness. 
After that, the person loses consciousness. But it's not instantly dead. People don't suddenly stop breathing when they go unconscious. They will continue to to breathe for a Lord period Zinu of time, says, which can be as long as a minute or two, until the respiratory center in your brain hold on. shuts down. I'll read it. At that stage, the person stops breathing. So can we get an S in chat so to spit case, on my girlfriend kind of for being a colossal bitch today? Let's fucking go! lead you to your conclusion that this was a sudden cardiac event. Some chicks like it when you spit on them. Yes. So we have... Some don't. Too. Heart is vulnerable because it's too big. <laughs> wow! It demands lots Shit. of oxygen. This is going wild. It has very this. narrow vessels. There are certain drugs that are present in his system that make it put it at risk of an arrhythmia, the methamphetamine. There is another <laughs> so, drug, so said fentanyl, most don't. which yeah. slows down your breathing, which will lower the oxygen potentially saturation in your in your blood. Um, we've got the carbon monoxide, which has the potential to rob some of that additional oxygen-carrying capacity. And then we've got vasoconstriction. So there are multiple, multiple entities all acting together and adding to each other and taking away from a different part of the, of the ability to get oxygen into his heart. And so at some point, the heart exhausted its reserves of um, metabolic supply and went into an arrhythmia and then stopped pumping blood effectively. Now, um, just a couple more topics to just cover with you, uh, doctor. Um, You did review the, well, in any death investigation, do you review uh, the role that uh, controlled substances play in death. Yes. Is, do you do that on a regular basis? It's a very important part of a forensic investigation, and you know, most medical examiners' offices will try to get close to a hundred percent toxicology analysis on their cases if suitable specimens are available. Now, in terms of the toxicology in this uh, in this case. How would you characterize the role of fentanyl from the standpoint of forensic pathology? Not toxicology, forensic pathology. So fentanyl is a powerful narcotic. It's about 80 times more powerful than morphine. And the side effects of fentanyl are slowing down the respiration. So that impairs your ability to breathe as fast as you normally would. Does that result in increased, uh, or excuse me, decreased oxygen saturation? It would result in decreased air exchange, which would mean decreasing the oxygen in the bloodstream, but also not fully getting rid of the carbon dioxide, the byproducts of our normal metabolism, so slowly increasing carbon dioxide in his bloodstream. Now, um, again, within the context of forensic pathology, what does the presence of norfentanyl mean to you? Norfentanyl is a byproduct of fentanyl. Uh, it's a metabolic um, byproduct. And so in your liver, or in Mr. Floyd's liver, as the fentanyl passed through the liver, it was broken down into 
norfentanyl, which is the metabolic byproduct. It's the liver beginning to destroy and metabolize the fentanyl and remove it from the body system. Now, I'm going to, um, for the court, I have, uh, there are three slides contained within your also, this replay is going to be a PowerPoint little late because I'm going to have to download it from Trovo, them unfortunately. As exhibits 1059, 1060, and 1061. Forgot to hit um, record. I'd like to show them to the witness. The fucking Can YouTube, you usually I'm able to download yes. that immediately. Uh, Trovo takes a few hours. This appears to be a screenshot taken from the body-worn camera of Officer Lane at 20.09 and 44 seconds. Correct. Looking at the second one, would you agree that this, again, appears to be a body-worn camera image taken at 20.09.45 seconds? Yes. And finally, uh, a third image at 20.09.48 seconds? Yes. All right. Um, I would offer 20.59, 20.60, and 2061. Objection that. And our permission to publish 1059. So, in this image, uh, Doctor, it's kind of hard to see. Um, what, in your review, did you determine whether there was the possibility that controlled substances were uh, ingested at the time of approach by officers <laughs> King and Lane? Yes. And what do you see in this image, 1059, that is consistent with that? In the back corner of Mr. Floyd's mouth, you can see what appears to be a white object. Are you talking... This object right there. Oops. Just slightly higher up than that, yes. Okay. Well, why don't you do it? Sorry, I covered it with the dot, but that's. Also, I'm going to call and see. My mom has dialysis on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll see how that's doing today. Now, well, in the next image, 1060, what appears to ha be happening? In this particular image, it appears that Mr. Floyd is looking away, <coughs> away from, excuse me, <coughs> um, from Officer Lane. And looking at the timestamps, that's approximately one second later? Yes. And in the third image, uh, does he appear to be looking at Officer Lane again? Yes. And do you see that same object in his mouth? I can, yes. You can. And so you will, what does this lead you to conclude, or what do you strike that? Oops. We can do In terms of the uh, later analysis, there you understand there was some evidence collected from the backseat of Squad 320? That is my understanding, yes. And do you know what that substance was? 
the there was some material there that had saliva and DNA on it that matched Mr. Floyd, and those, I believe, and the, those objects had fentanyl and um, methamphetamine, if my memory serves me correctly. So is that what you conclude your uh, analysis on in terms of the ingestion of controlled substances as far as the timing in this case, both before they were approached as well as during in the backseat of the squad car? Yes. Now, how does the depression of uh, the respiratory rate, we may have covered this, I apologize. How does the uh, depression of the respiratory system, how does that affect the heart specifically? If the respiratory rate is decreased, the amount of oxygen that is getting into the bloodstream through the lungs is decreased. If I breathe slowly, I'm not able to get as much oxygen in my lung, into my lungs as if I'm breathing very rapidly. So anything which slows down respiration is going to affect the ability to oxygenate your blood. And will that also work in concert with the coronary artery issues? It makes it worse. Again, anything which lowers his oxygen saturation in the blood will act again to restrict oxygen supply to his heart muscles past that blockage. How about the, you also understand that methamphetamine was found in the toxicology? Yes. And how would you look at the role of methamphetamines from, from the perspective of a forensic pathologist? So methamphetamine has three major factors. It can cause Flavin, arrhythmias. thank you. Go to Donna. I'll read those in just a minute. It causes vasoconstriction, and it causes the heart to beat faster. Those are its three major physiological or pharmacological um, activities. And that would impair, again, um, an individual in Mr. Floyd's um, condition with his heart disease um, and put him at risk. Now, in terms of, again, the toxicology findings, um, in the, the fentanyl, there was the metabolite norfentanyl, correct? Yes. What does that tell you in terms of the timing of when Mr. Floyd may have ingested the fentanyl? It tells you at least some of the fentanyl was taken at some point previous, at some, t at some time before that allowed for enough time for the fentanyl to be absorbed and then passed through the liver and some of it to be broken down. Uh, that doesn't happen instantaneously. It can take um, a period of time. And methamphetamine, does it have a similar metabolite? It has a metabolite, yes. And what is the metabolite? Uh, amphetamine. And um, based on your review of the toxicology in the case, was there amphetamine found? I did not see any amphetamine in the uh, reports. What does that suggest to you as a forensic pathologist relevant to the time at which Mr. Floyd would have ingested the methamphetamine? So that would be consistent with a recent ingestion of methamphetamine. And in, in terms of the phase of absorption or elimination, where would that place him? Um, well, if there's no evidence of elimination, i.e. metabolism from methamphetamine to amphetamine, um, it's not in the elimination phase. And given that there appears to be 
There's none of that. He's still probably in the absorptive phase. It's consistent with the absorptive phase. And ultimately, those pills that were found in the backseat of the squad car, you understand that when Mr. Floyd was in the squad car, he was handcuffed. What information did you have about um, Mr. Floyd's ability to ingest those controlled substances while he was in the squad car? He had his hands cuffed behind his back from the videos, and those were placed outside when he was taken out of his own vehicle. Um, I did not see any time when I those do were see removed, that going to donut. Um, until such time as um, I'll read it for came. sure. Jack Murphy. So the entire time he had his hands cuffed behind his back. Blocked this guy because um, he said MLB was not related to the minor leagues, apparently. A plausible way that an individual is, would be able to get <laughs> materials into their mouth while, they're the while minor restrained leagues. in such a format. Now, the, major now the last topic I'd like to discuss with you is Thank you, man. Um, the paraganglioma. I won't get to see my mom until later, so we'll right? probably just keep streaming. I don't know. We'll see. It is close. I'm kind of pissed off about it. Um, can you just describe what that is? A paraganglionoma. <clears throat> so this is a tumor that was found at the time of autopsy um, down in Mr. Floyd's um, lower abdominal area. Um, and these are tumors. And they typically are of two types. One which is, um, has parasympathetic or is similar to the parasympathetic part of your um, nervous system, which does not secrete any substances or certainly vasoactive substances like catecholamine. And then there are the sympathetic ones, which have the ability to secrete. The parasympathetic ones tend to be found up in the yeah, head. Yeah, I'm okay. It's area. just annoying. And the sympathetic so ones dialysis is later now than it used to be. I'll explain in a minute. Again, this is where Mr. Floyd's was found. What's the relevance of finding the paraganglion? I don't want to interrupt this testimony. This it's really important. That's why I'm So these tumors have, at least the ones in the pelvic area, if they are secreting vasoactive substances, catecholamines is the correct term, they will cause an individual um, potentially to be hypertensive. So that's one of their baseline, if they have a low level of secretion. And the other thing that paraganglionomas do is every now and then, um, without warning, they'll have a sudden surge in secretion. So they're cyclical, um, which sometimes makes it difficult to diagnose them. You have to do specific um, testing to diagnose them to get around the cyclical activity. So in, just kind of in conclusion, Dr. Um, did you form ultimately opinions as to the cause and manner of death of Mr. Floyd? Yes. And um, what would those conclusions be? Mr. Floyd died of Skuma. a cardiac arrhythmia due to hypertensive atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease during the restraint. Okay. And were there um, contributing causes? Yes. What are those? The substances, the fentanyl and the methamphetamine, the potential of a um, carbon monoxide role, and the potential of the paraganglionoma was adding adrenaline 
to this whole um, mixture, uh, making things even worse. Lone sugar. <laughs> How would you classify the manner of death? So this is one of those cases where you have so many conflicting um, different manners. The carbon monoxide would usually be classified as an accident, although somebody was holding him there. So some people would say you could elevate that to a homicide. You've got... Um, the drugs on board in most circumstances in most um, jurisdictions a drug intoxication would be considered to be an accident he's got significant natural disease certainly the heart the paraganglionoma you know you can certainly consider it um, as a potential exacerbating process but I wouldn't put it at the top of the list there so he's got a mixture of that um, and then he's, he's in a situation where he's been restrained in a very stressful situation. And that increased his fight and flight type reaction. And that would, during restraint, would be considered a homicide. And you put all of those together, it's very difficult to say which of those is the most accurate. So I would fall back to undetermined. Now, if uh, we in can, this particular case, if we put uh, your slide regarding the undetermined manner again back up, so essentially, this you, doctor, you would agree that this had lots of or many potential contributing uh, causes. Correct, and. Under the definition, the name's definition of an undetermined manner, how does that apply? So that, that is what this classification under the name guidelines is really one of the one of the uses of this particular classic classification is when you've got so many conflicting different um, potential mechanisms of death that could lead to um, yeah. So therefore, the manner is not clear. Um, Your Honor, I have no further questions. The jury will take They're going to take a break. Uh, we'll reconvene at 1.30. Council remain for a short time. So, okay. I guess council's going to remain okay, for a second. Um, well, they turned down the sound there. I don't know. Okay. You know what? No, no. This is Fox 9. No, no, no. Let's see. Just in case. They said council remain. Uh, let's see here. Looking through here. All right. So, yeah, basically, I'm not going to be able to, to see my mom until way later in the afternoon. I was mad because they got her dialysis. She used to have it in the morning, and now they're doing it in the afternoon. So it fucks up the visitation hours. Well, we did have a sidebar regarding one uh, objection she will be by done towards the, the end. state regarding certain testimony of this witness, uh, including lack of disclosure. Um and we had not talked about this earlier. And so I wanted the state to know that in order to meet anything, we have experts who are watching each other's testimony. And this expert testified that he did certain things oh, very uh, 
close to his testimony. I am allowing the state until tomorrow. I'm not going to make you come up with any rebuttal today, even if we finish today with the defense case. I would allow the state to consider and call anybody in rebuttal to meet anything, because I assume that Dr. Tobin or others might be listening. And so I would give, and that's why I overruled the objection is because even if it had been disclosed, I would have allowed it and given the state time to respond. And I will give you overnight so there's not uh, any prejudice to the state uh, if it was not disclosed. And that's my reasoning, Your Honor. Or for If you're saying, Your Honor, I really didn't get a chance to look at this report. What are you thinking? Uh, that's why. <laughs> I didn't want you to think it was personal. So, Mr. Blackwell uh, and Mr. Nelson, feel free to talk overnight in case there is a way, if there is rebuttal testimony, if we can uh, somehow make that come in easily. Yes, Your Honor. Is, well, we won't get into that. That's your business, not mine. Uh, but I will allow you overnight to prepare any rebuttal. Thank you, too. Okay, thank you. See you All at right. 1.30. They'll be back at 1.30, uh, which is 2.30 Eastern. Um, Golden Donut and Coffee says, Off topic, just got banned by Jack Murphy on Twitter because he was wrong about minor league baseball affiliation with MLB, and he wanted to hide being wrong. What a fragile little man. <laughs> well, minor league baseball, uh, again, nothing against Jack Murphy. I'm not involved in that beef, but, uh, yeah, quite obviously affiliated with Major League Baseball. Clifford C. Clavin with the a Unicorn. Thank you, brother. Um, let's see. Here, let me catch up. Lord Zeno, we got that. A lot of S's in the chat. Uh, I think we're caught up everywhere. So, again, uh, not going to be able to see my mom till They said she's going to get off at 4.30. In reality, she probably won't get off until, like, 5. And then there's only an hour of visitation time left at that point. That's why I was frustrated. I mean, I didn't cuss them out or anything, but I just said, hey, you know. Is there a way we could get her maybe back on an earlier dialysis schedule? Um, and they didn't promise that really. So I don't know. It is what it is. You just kind of have to deal with it. I don't have a fucking dialysis machine. So, um, now what we can do is listen to a little bit of this commentary. I don't know what I'm going to do for that hour. Maybe I'll bring the Bing Bing Wahoo machine uh, up here and hook it up. But what we're going to do now is listen to, uh, care 11. They're not going to be back for a full hour. Uh, and then maybe some highlights. Let me see. I'm sure they'll be going over the... Oh, wow, they don't have any fucking thoughts here? Wow, that's gay. I thought they would say something. Hold on, let's see. Oh, no, that's from earlier. Maybe they're still alive. No, it doesn't look like it, huh? Wow, that's gay. Is nobody talking about it? Let's see. I I want to eat this sandwich. That's the real the real deal. Um, okay, so nobody's going to be talking. Is that what I mean? Let them leave. How hard? They employ all these people. They can't just throw somebody up to, like, talk about the case? I don't have a fucking payroll like that. Jesus Christ. Okay. Nobody. Literally nobody's got commentary. <laughs> the trial of Derek Chauvin. The Star Tribune? They're in town. They don't have any either? Wow. So gay. Uh, oh, we could watch this, by the way. Let's watch this. This one looks good. Let's talk about the... Legal analyst Chauvin's defense use of force experts' word choice was offensive, they say. Let's skip this because these losers suck. This dude's terrible. Okay. 
in a counter the dozens and dozens of prosecution witnesses who blame him for George Floyd's death. Jamie Yukas reports. Any resistor, handcuffed or not, should go to the ground into a prone control position. The defense's use of force expert, Barry Broad, said Chauvin was justified when he handcuffed George Floyd face down on the pavement. Police officers don't have to fight fair. They're allowed to overcome your resistance by going up a level. The prosecution questioned Broad's judgment on cross-examination. What part of this is not compliant? So I see his arm position in the picture that's posted. Right. That, you know, a compliant person would have both their hands in the small of their back and just be resting comfortably versus like he's still moving around. Did you say resting comfortably? I think he came off terribly. Minnesota criminal defense attorney Joe Tamburino, who is not affiliated with the case, said Broad's testimony lacked empathy. He said that, that the police don't have to fight fair. Actually, they do. The jury wants to see people on the stand who realize the gravity of the situation, regardless of whether they find that the use of force was reasonable or unreasonable. Trying to show that Floyd was susceptible to stress and drugs, the defense brought out body cam video of a 2019 traffic stop in which Floyd was arrested. The now retired police officer and a retired paramedic seen on this video testified Floyd's blood pressure was high and he admitted to taking opioids that day. When we were in the car for the first like eight minutes, we were talking. The defense also called Shawanda Hill to testify. She was in the SUV with Floyd the day he died and spoke about his physical state when police arrived. He instantly grabbed the wheel and he was like, please, please don't kill me. Please, please don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. What did I do? She said what I did. Please. In total, the defense called six witnesses, with the majority spending less than 30 minutes on the stand. Despite that whirlwind, jurors were seen taking lots of notes. All right, Jamie, thank you. So, Ricky, we heard in Jamie's report uh, just now that the defense is expected to call its own medical experts today. What counterpoints to the prosecution's witnesses do you expect them to make? I love that they're having the same audio problems that we have on the kill stream. Well, the prosecution certainly rested its case in on, terms bitch. of causation on the fact that it was Derek Chauvin's use of excessive force that is his knee on the neck of George Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds that caused his death and that but for George uh, Floyd being prone to the ground with Derek Chauvin's weight upon him, George Floyd would not have died. So obviously this is a fundamental piece of the government's case and so the defense must contest it and has to contest it with its own medical experts. Now at this point we don't know if there will be one or more than one. The defense has the ability, if they can find experts, to look for a medical examiner to rebut Dr. Thomas as well as Dr. Baker, who testified as medical examiners in this case. Also could call a pulmonologist to rebut Dr. Tobin um, and also could call a cardiologist to rebut Dr. Rich. Now, that does not mean that they will call three different kinds of specialists. They may decide or they may only have available just one. We do not know at this point, or at least I do not know, how many medical experts there will be. So, Ricky, the defense called, as you know, their own use of force witness uh, yesterday who testified that Chauvin's actions were reasonable and that Floyd wasn't being compliant with the officers. And Jamie touched on that in her piece, but I want to play some more of that exchange that Barry Broad had with the prosecutor. 
client person would have both their hands in the small of their back and just be resting comfortably versus like he's still moving around. Did you say resting comfortably? Or laying comfortably? Resting comfortably on the pavement. Yes. At this point in time when he's attempting to breathe by shoving his shoulder into the pavement. I was describing what the signs of a perfectly compliant person would be. So attempting to breathe while restrained is a being slightly non-compliant? No. No. So that was an interesting exchange, probably the most heated that we've seen the prosecution get. Obviously, it's the first week of defense witnesses. Um, and I wonder, Ricky, knowing jurors the way you do, having worked with them for all the years that you've been an attorney, what do you think was going through the jurors' mind when they heard that exchange? Well, I have to believe that jurors reacted in much the same way I reacted as a human being as opposed to reacting as a lawyer. When you heard the term resting comfortably applied to George Floyd, who was prone on the pavement fighting for his life, trying to move his head to move the rest of his body, that the term resting comfortably was frankly offensive. Um, I don't know any other way to describe it. Now, the expert could have simply avoided those two words, resting comfortably, and simply said that he was not, that he was not resisting when he was prone and on the pavement, or that he uh, had become quiet on the pavement. But to say resting comfortably, I think... Um, really hurt this witness's credibility more than anything else that he said yesterday. These fucking softies, dude. Are you fucking kidding me? They're disingenuous as fuck. So the defense also called a retired Minneapolis police officer to the stand yesterday. He was involved in an incident in 2019 where he uh, was a part of a, a group of police officers that arrested George Floyd. Uh, they also showed body camera video of the incident. What was the defense aiming for? with this testimony and how well do you think they did? Well, you have to remember what the defense really wanted in this case was they wanted that entire incident from uh, a year earlier in 2019 because the facts and circumstances of that incident are remarkably similar to what happened uh, on May 25th, 2020. So what the defense wanted was to be able to show a much bigger picture and show that it, it was a theme that Stop what it, George Floyd would do when approached by a police officer would it be immediately to say, oh uh, please, Mr. Officer, don't kill me. That he would then say, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, even when he was in the car. That he would call for his mama when he was in the car. You know what? I'm going to go get the Bing Bing Wahoo machine and see if I can hook that bitch up while we wait, honestly. Uh, let me see. Oh, you know what? I need something to play, though, uh, while I'm gone. I want to hear the Crump comments myself. That's why I'm not going to play that. Let me see if I can find something for us to hit up while I'm gone. I'm just going to grab it from this. I am sir. Dan Abrams. Fuck you, Dan Abrams. Um, let's see. Heated, heated examination. I need something that's like, I don't know, maybe like eight minutes just in case. Uh, let's see. That's the Maurice Hall thing. The ex-girlfriend. Uh, we're going too deep. Uh, let's see. 
His word choice. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. Let's see. <laughs> what is this? Some of these videos. Let's see here. Uh, they're mostly talking shit. Most of these videos are the mainstream media talking shit. Uh, Shawanda Hill. That is quite the name. All right, let's see here. Uh, there's only two minutes left on this. You know what? Uh, I'll skip back because I want to go back to his comments. 619... But I'll play some more from the press conference yesterday, the Dwayne Wright thing. Okay, here goes Felonious Floyd, by the way. He was at this press conference. Like it is now. Police officers are killing us, and we are being murdered at a rate that I never thought I could imagine. This reminds me of Oscar Grant. Yeah at the train at the Fruitvale in Oakland, California, where he was told to lay on his chest with his hands behind his back in the prone position as the officer accidentally mistaken to shoot him with a gun instead of tasing him. There was no need to even tase him. Yeah. Dante Wright, just like his last name Wright, he should still be here. It's a time for change, and that time is now. Minneapolis, you all can't sweep this under the rug anymore. We're here, and we will fight for justice for this family, just like we're fighting for our brother. To to the protesters all around this nation, stand up. up. We need you all to come out, because times like this, people need hugs. People need to be given love. This mom is grieving. What's that? This this mom is grieving too. She lost her dude. This was the baby mother. She shouldn't have to go through what we're going through. Nobody should. This is a family that needs us to stand with them in solidarity now. We need you all to step up and be with us. And please pray for this family because I'm praying for them because I woke up in the morning with this on my mind. I don't want to see another victim of death. They claim it's homicide. They need to go back and look at what they're talking about because homicide now, they're telling me my brother was the same thing, but I want to see the people get the maximum amount of time just like I would have got the maximum amount of time. Thank you all. And now we will hear from which one, Rodney, uh, Rodney Floyd, the baby brother of George Floyd. You know, we saw this video of this young man, Dante Wright, and the police are saying that the young man was running from them. But what I saw was this, on that man's face was a scared young kid, you know, terrified. You know, as black folks, we've been here 400 plus years. And that young man, we've been running ever since from these police officers for trying to kill us. 
Back then, they was called the slave patrol. Now they called the police. So I started looking that young man out. The same terrified look I had numerous times when I got pulled over by the police. Going from ranging from 12 years old on up to a grown man today, numerous people in our communities are faced with these cops who claim they are terrified of black people. Well, police is not your profession. But you know what? We're going to stand with this family and hearing this unfortunate young man, baby crying, and that baby's going to be crying for a long time, mm-hmm. crying for his father. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, we have to deal with that today. His family is behind us, wife, mother, father, and this is what we're going to console them, comfort them. And you know what? They father can't come for the son. But thank y'all. Thank you, Rodney Floyd. And now we will have uh, the last member of the Floyd family to speak, uh, Brandon Williams, the nephew of George Floyd, who was like a son to him. Um, I don't really have the words, but I do want to send my condolences to the family. Um, I can't say I know how you feel, but we've been in a similar situation. I know that you need a lot of love, support, and prayer. And any way that our family can stand with you guys and be there, we're here. Um, and to the world, you know, I just simply say damn again. And when I say damn again, I mean another black man or woman killed at the hands of the police using excessive force. You look around, we're standing outside the courtroom, and my family is right here right now in the middle of the Derry Chauvin trial for murdering my uncle George Floyd. In snow and freezing weather conditions, we came to stand with this family. And for what exact reason? A so-called mistaken, a so-called mistake, a handgun for a taser, it's unacceptable. You know, when is enough enough? Amen. Can you blame Dante for being terrified as a black man in the custody of police? Amen. When you just watched here in Minneapolis, George Floyd murdered at the hands of the very same police? Look at this guy. Damn, I can't even see this guy. Holy shit. To think about that. At some point, we need change. At some point, we need better policing. At some point, we need officers to be held accountable, Amen. charged, Amen. and convicted. Amen. Just because you are the law don't mean that you're above the law. Come on. Oh, shit. Amen. All right, now. Thank you, Brandon. Oh, God, this guy's such a piece of work. I got to hear the Benjamin Crump comments, but let me see. I'm just going to keep playing it while I mess with this for a sec. Trying to use the black magic. The black magic, to be clear, the um, the atom device, not uh, actual black magic. Okay. Now with George Floyd family standing right at their shoulders, we have the family of Dante Wright. We have his mother, Katie Wright, his father, Aubrey Wright, and the mother of Dante Wright Jr., Miss China Whitaker. Right now, you're going to hear from his mother and his father, and then you're going to hear from China and a few more of his family members. Uh. So please give your attention to Miss China Whitaker. I'm, no, I'm sorry. Let's go with Miss Katie first. Miss <laughs> Katie Wright, trying to come build up. You got <laughs> I just want to talk a little about 
a little bit about the day that I got the phone call from my son two days ago at 1.47 was the worst day of my life. He called and said he just got pulled over by the police. And then he said that, um, I said, well, why did you get pulled over? And he said, because I had air fresheners hanging in the rearview mirror. I said, okay, we'll take them down. He said he also, um, the police officers were asking about insurance. And I said, okay, when the police officer comes back to the window, put him on the phone and I oh, can give him all our mother, insurance information. Yeah. A second goes by and I hear the police officer come back up to the window and ask Dante to get out of the car. Dante asked for uh, what? Let's see here. Police officer said, because, you know, I'll explain to you when you get out of the car. He said, am I in trouble? He said, we'll explain all that when you step out of the car. Dante, and then they asked him to put the phone down. No, no black like magic. Put the phone down. I heard some scuffling. And scruffling with him. Oh, it is kind of working. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Hold on. We I forgot why it does this. God damn it. Then the, I heard the police officer ask them to hang up the phone. They hung up the phone. Three or four seconds went by. I tried calling it back to back to back. I didn't know what was going on. I never imagined this is what was going to happen. I just thought maybe he was being arrested. And then when I called back, the girl that he had in the car answered the phone. And it was a, on a FaceTime. And she said... She it's the black magic. It does that. She some, said that some they reason. shot him. And then she pointed the phone towards the driver's seat and my son was laying there unresponsive. That was the last time that I seen my son. That's the last time I heard from my son, and I have had no explanation since then. We with you, Miss Kater. We got your back. Yeah, please give me. Mr. Wright, do you have a, a word to say? Okay. Okay. Now we're going to hear from China Whitaker, and we'll have Miss Naisha Wrights. Speak for her brother Aubrey Wright. All right, so I'll try to miss the black magic. Ah, man, it look like it's to not this working. young woman who now has to raise her son without his father, Miss China. The last time I seen Dante was when I had dropped my son off with his grandma, and I didn't know that was gonna be the last time that I was gonna see him. And I just felt like that's so wrong because now my son, he don't have a dad. His dad didn't get to see him for his second birthday or for any of his birthdays. And I'm just so messed up about it because, like, I feel like they stole my son's dad from him. Thank you, China. We, they did steal him. And now uh, we're going to hear from Naisha Wright. Uh, this is the brother, I'm sorry, this is the sister of... Mr. Aubrey Wright, and she's going to speak from the heart and say some of the things that her brother is too heartbroken to say. Uh, so y'all please give your attention to Naisha Wright. So they can hear you. Say his name! Dante Wright! Say his name! Dante Wright! All right, yeah, this bitch gets crazy. They murdered my nephew! She killed my nephew! Listen! Listen. Every pistol, every taser, mm -hmm. it has a safety on it. Mm -hmm. She saw that she had to release that. I watched that video like everybody else watched that video. That woman held that gun out in front of her for a long damn time. 
How long, damn time? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. My nephew was 20 years old. Tell him 20 that. years old. I don't care what nobody got to say about him. He was loved. Yes, he was ours. He came from us. My brother and my sister's hurt. Like I said, this is no broken home. This is no broken home. Let me see, is the sound coming through? I can't hear the sound though. This is 23 years of love. 23. My nephew was 20. Did y'all not see my little great nephew? Did y'all not see that beautiful baby? He is fatherless. Not over a mistake, over murder. That's murder. Murder. Say his name. Say his name. Wear this shirt in the here. That my family has connections to this man, to this family. His girlfriend was a teacher for my nephew. My lord. My nephew was a lovable young man. His smile. Oh Lord, the most beautiful smile. Y'all took that. My nephew's blood is on your head. Listen. <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. I've never seen my brother hurt like this before. Now, you know what? Let's go back because I want to hear the crump stuff because she's kind of talking like that, but he really goes nuts. A suburb 10 miles from where. I'll go back to her shit for sure. Trial regarding George Floyd. Do you want me to go back to hers? I mean, we can. I want to see crumps, but. Where's taking place I'll wait for Chad if you want me to go back to hers now I will <clears throat> that a police officer will shoot and kill another unarmed black man Listen, it, it's something that if you told me and I didn't see little Dante's face and his mother grandmother crying I wouldn't believe it because if ever there was a time on, when nobody in America should be killed by police, it was during this pinnacle trial of Derek Chauvin, which I believe is one of the most impactful civil rights. Well, they can't just not. Police yeah, we'll just pause everything in the world. Cases in the history of America. And we believe with everything in our heart, He's a Katie, that this pinnacle police trial. would be on their best behavior, that they would exercise the greatest standard of <laughs> we care. We talked about Professor Mama earlier. This is concentrate like, on de-escalation you know, in a way that they I don't have even know. never Doctor. concentrated Doctor in Dr. Dumbass here weighing in. But regrettably... Two days ago, we saw Dante Wright for a traffic citation. And Attorney Storms is going to talk about this. Because y'all do Professor understand, Chris. we're still in the midst <laughs> of 
a pandemic. Why can't I hear the audio where for my many people in this state could not get out. their license tabs on their license plates Jeez. renewed because the DMV, like everything else in America, was shut down. And so it was told, police, you need to be sensitive because there are going to be a lot of expired license plates out there. But I guess when you're driving while black, Listen. people sometimes forget <laughs> memos and initiatives about the realities of life. And you were here from his mother, and it's snowing, so everybody's going to try to be brief. You were here from his mother about the phone call in the car where was said about why he was stopped because it's evolving. It's evolving so they can justify the unjustifiable. But we're not going to let them justify it, are we? Because Dante Wright life matters. Dante Wright life matters. Dante Wright life matters. And so when you think about the fact that Dante was trying to get away. He was not a threat to them. Was it the best decision? No. But young people don't always make the best decisions. Okay. His mother said he was scared. So that's what happened. Wait, so the cop didn't make the best decision either then. What the fuck is he talking about? And you have this 26-year person on the police force who was training them, Brandon. Trey, he was Trey. She was the trainer of the officers, and so for 26 years, you know how you're trained that your duty weapon is on your dominant side, That's and Merler. your That's taser is on your non-dominant side. And why is that? Because it's foreseeable that in an accident situation, if the taser is beside the gun, you might pull the wrong thing. But after 26 years, you would think that you know what side your gun is on and what side your taser is on. You know the weight of your gun and you know the weight of... I still can't hear. You know the gun is black. You know the taser is going to have some reflective color on it. And so it is unacceptable. It was intentional they stopped him. It was intentional they used the most force. They could have gave him a ticket. That's what they do in traffic citations. It reminds you of George Floyd. That was a misdemeanor. They could have gave him a ticket for that. But when it's black people in America, they engage in the most use of force. And it ends up with deadly consequences. And that's why we're here today. And so, without further ado, I'm going to have Attorney Jeff Storms address you briefly, and then we're going to get to uh, Falonis uh, and Brandon and Rodney Floyd talking about what advice they can give to this family. And then you're going to hear from this mother, father, and this mother of Dante Wright. Attorney Jeff Storms. I'm trying to figure out the audio. You see, I got it on screen, there's, though. There's not a lot left that 
my great co have to have audio, but and our leader Ben. Kind of Crump, trying to figure this out for the future too. Not just right now. But They'll be back in like 20 minutes, the by the way. So. I want Look you at this guy. Armed with some responses. <laughs> an accident is glass knocking over a glass of milk. Tell him, Jeff. It's not an accident to take your gun out of the holster. Well, apparently it's an accident to run from police, too. It's not an accident to point You just got through gun. saying that. You made a mistake. It's not an accident to ignore the fact that what you're holding doesn't weigh the same amount as the taser that you've used in training hundreds of times. How many times in training over the course of 25 years has this officer pulled, aimed, and shot her firearm in practice? So don't tell us it's an accident because it undermines the tragic oh, lost life that this family has experienced. And so whenever anyone tells us it's an accident, I hope that we're all very quick to retort that. Oh, and my God. I got to say, I am just devastated the fact that we're all standing in the same place that we were standing just a couple weeks ago. Um, it's unbelievable, but it's still. Still can't hear it. God. We've spoken it is registered sound over year. here. It's just no not picked up. No matter how much we want to pat ourselves on the back, there is so much work left to be done. And we're really happy that you are all here. I'm trying to listen for the clicks, by the way. In the screen. It's not working. Okay. Attorney Jeff Stoff. I can see case. it registering over so here, right though. So now, y'all... This is this is very hard. I mean, for many people in America watching these videos are very hard. I mean, you suffer PTSD just from watching the TV. Just imagine the people who were the family members of these loved ones. Who it's not a hashtag, it's not a case, it's not a cause, but this is their family. This is Dante Jr.'s father. You're going to hear about what an incredibly loving father he was from oh, man. his baby mother, China. And what they went through when Dante oh, was first God, born. Oh, my God, that was crazy. So it's just emotional. It is very hard from Dante Did you Wright hear that? Was that Floyd. nuts? I mean, it's just incredibly difficult, but... Hopefully. All right, let's go back. That was nuts, dude. Holy fuck. Holy shit. That kind of scared me. Marshall Max says, if you enhance this image, you can see Reverend, Re Reverend Retard and that lawyer's pupil slowly transform into cartoon dollar signs. $27 million for Floyd's family, 50 for these people. Watch. I'll probably just play without sound here in a minute, but I'm trying to figure this out for the future. It does look pretty good, though, through Blackmagic. Uh, and basically, looks like almost no delay, but I would like that sound. That would be pretty good. Hey, I wear this shirt. And the craziest thing is to find out today uh -oh, here we go. that Another. my family has connections we'll we'll to this man, to this family. His girlfriend was a teacher for my nephew. My lord. My nephew was a lovable young man. 
his smile. Oh, Lord, the most beautiful smile. Y'all took that. My nephew's blood is on y'all head. All right, let's see. This is not it, is it? That's, that's, that's the other one. Oh, man. I've never seen my brother hurt like this before. Never. Let's see if I can look at this sound. To hear my brother and to see my sister's pain. Come on. Hold her accountable. Hold her higher than accountable. You train people on this stuff. You train people on this stuff. 26 years. 26 years. Mm. All right. Fuck, I'm really mad about this audio. I'm glad we got it. We got the video part figured out. I'm also trying to look off screen. Y'all took him. Uh, they see. need to pay. She needs to pay. They didn't, they didn't ask to be Say his name. Dante Say his name. Dante Say his name. Dante Say his name. Dante Life matters. Dante Life matters. Dante Life matters. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. And now, we will hear briefly from his cousin who was his age, Mario Greer. He's going to briefly okay. tell you from a young person's perspective what they're going through. Uh, I just want to say, I ain't get to say this to my cousin, but... I didn't get the chance to tell my cousin I love him, but I'm telling him I love him now. And he seems he by the way, he does seem like the most sincere person up there. Take your time. It's okay, nephew. The one guy actually gives a foot. Twenty years. Now I gotta go every holiday now without my cousin. My baby cousin. This is pain that y'all They said maybe. They said maybe. I don't know. He certainly sounds more realistic than a lot of the others. Uh, like like Max said, I'm seeing dollar signs, those cartoon dollar signs in a lot of other people's eyes. Now, maybe he is, too. Uh, and he just took a different tack. Pain. I don't know. I won't be able to spend holidays with him anymore. Oh, Fourth of July, that's our favorite holiday together. We like to shoot Roman candles at each other. We're not going to be at it. I'm not going to be able to do that no more. I love you, Dante. Love you, Dante. Say his name! Dante Wright! Say his name! Dante Wright. And now we're going to have his aunt, Nina Wright. We're going to have, if Nina, is Nina here? Okay. We're going to have, is Nina here? Well, Grandma? I don't know how to fucking get the audio. Oh, is Nina here? Okay. Like uh, Grandma Angie Gosa. And then that'll be our final speaker before we have to share. We're going to have someone speak to you. We're trying to answer a few of your questions. 
but please give your attention for his grandmother, Angie Golson. When I first heard what happened, take your time. I couldn't. Oh, sorry, I scrolled it. down. I didn't mean to do that. I could not believe it. I thought somebody was playing a joke on me. It hurt me to my heart. Dante was a beautiful child. He might not have been an angel, but he was our angel. Our angel. He belonged to us. He belonged to us. Tell him, All right, Grandma. And he's going to be missed. I'm going to bring back up to Shira Garraway to uh, have another family briefly address you, then we will take one or two of your questions. Uh, I, I got to figure this out. Holy I want shit, to say I'm cracking my brain. That the day that Dante was murdered, Justin oh, Tigan, I was having a balloon release for his birthday, which is today. I want Minnesota to pay attention to the pain that they have caused. We was in those legislative rooms and they wouldn't pass the bills. We was out here with our boots on the ground. We was meeting with the governor. We was meeting with the attorney general. Our families who have already lost loved ones have been fighting and they did not listen to us. They did not make the changes. And that is why Dante is gone today. That is why George Floyd is gone today. Because it's some families that led up to Dante. It's some families that led up to George. I want each family to raise their hand that is out here today. I worked hard to get more families out here. We got, yes, we got Amity Demick. Her son, Kobe Eisler, was killed blocks down the street you know what? from Dante. Would you rather hear something about the Adam Mini instead? Because <laughs> I'm tired of hearing this bitch. In this video. By the way, the trial's going to start back. The trial's going to start back in like 15 minutes, but honestly, I can't hear these motherfuckers. I'm going to show you how to get great sounding audio to your live stream from the Blackmagic Designs A10 Mini. Hello, I'm Steven Ballast. Welcome to my channel where I explore worship technology solutions. This is part two in a multi-part series about the new A10 Mini. In a previous video, I showed you how to get your A10 Mini configured and up and running, and how to stream to Facebook Live using OBS. Okay. And in the next videos in this series, I'll talk about how to set up a- right, Shut up, bitch. Just start talking. Okay. And where you end up being satisfied with your audio depends a lot on your environment. Things like, Bitch, I'm not getting any audio. Can we just... Are you already micing all your instruments on stage for your house mix? How well your sound system is tuned in your live mixer? I recommend that you bring your audio into the mic one input of the ATEM Mini. The reason for this is that in the ATEM software control, you can go into the settings through the gear icon on the lower left and click on the audio tab and then go to the general button and here we can switch the audio inputs from mic level to line level. If you're bringing your audio in from a device, 
anything other than an actual microphone, you'll want this switch to line level. This okay, alright. Now. That might be it right there, actually. This saves us from having to jump through some hoops that we've had to deal with in the past, bringing audio into the camera, especially cameras in the price range that you are probably in using the switcher. They don't have line inputs, so we've had to deal with converting the signal from our mixer, which is line level, to the mic level that the camera requires. Going in through the audio inputs of the mini takes care of that for us. Let me pause and say something here. I've heard from a number of people that they are having sync issues between their video and audio that's coming in from the mic 1 and 2 input. I did some testing and did find about a maximum of... Uh, let's see. The line didn't do shit, by the way. Um, I think that's if you're... I just want the audio from this... Oh, my God. Somebody surely knows what we're trying to do here. Uh, by the way, when it starts again, I might try another YouTube stream... Uh, no, the cameras I got are fucking expensive as fuck, but I don't need audio for those because I use the mic. Even though they have mics on them, they'll that are shit. Of five to six frames of latency when the Mini was set to 1080p 60. Right about the time I was doing this testing, Blackmagic Designs released the 8.1.1 ATEM switchers update. And after I installed the update, the difference in sync dropped to less than one frame, which is perfectly usable. So if you're having sync issues, be sure you've updated your switcher's firmware to at least 8.1.1. How about this? You know what? This fucker is just... The ATEM Mini, the ATEM Mini Pro, the ISO, whichever one you've got, oh, an incredibly mate. powerful live streaming and recording tool. Oh, but mate, one of the features that it is missing the, is a way of please. playing out pre-recorded videos. And we're going to fix that today. I'm going to show you how to use OBS Studio as an incredibly powerful way of bringing in videos, stills, pretty much any media source to your ATEM Mini and then playing that out on your live streams, recordings, whatever. All very easy to do. And at the <laughs> oh, top is of it? Button just like this. Okay. The first thing you're going to need to so do is easy. download a copy of OBS Studio. Oh, the link shut the fuck up. Is it really for that far back, morons? Okay, you know what? I know how to use OBS. Allegedly, I do. Okay. Jesus Christ. Okay, now wait a minute. Need to do for each VT that you add in, you need to over on the audio mixer, click the little cog here, go to advanced audio properties, and then make sure that monitor and output See, is selected. Both that. of those monitor yeah. and output, and you do that for each VT. So if I go to VT networking as well, we'll just press pause on there. Uh, oh, wrong one. We want to click the cog, then go to advanced output properties. And uh, if you have it on monitor off, you won't get the sound being transferred to the ATEM. It needs to be on monitor and output, or if you, you can, if you want, you can have it on monitor only, but I just choose monitor and output. So now with that set up, both the audio and vision are being sent down the HDMI to the ATEM Mini Pro or the ATEM Mini Pro ISO, whatever version you've got, and, the, and it's in sync as well. And then there's one more tip that I'm going to ha have here. I like to have a... Um, a scene that is just blank or has a holding slate on just an image so i'm going to add a scene okay, just show here up. i'm just going to press show up. 
pause. If I go sure. into my ATEM settings here and go into audio, I have audio follow video on, which you can see here, I've got this AFV. So it means whenever I cut over to that input number one that OBS is outputting to, the audio will be enabled. But Let's see. Oh, fuck. All right. Yes, I'm trying to figure out my shit here on air. Uh, it doesn't matter. We've got a break anyway. Okay, let me try that again. I think it's something. I don't. I think I like don't have the audio turned on because I see it bouncing, but it's not lit up full green like his is for some reason. Uh, but it's like in gray. So for I guess I just don't have it. I don't I like. I'm not doing something right. Cam one should be lit up though. That's what I don't understand. Let's see. Uh, why is it? Oh my god, this stuff is kind of crazy. All right, let's keep listening. I guess. But if I was then to cut away from it, the audio would automatically be brought down. I prefer that. There's unless there's no real reason that what I would ever want to be. Chat's kneeling on, on Ralph's audio. Hear, hear the audio. Let's see, add the output from your capture device. Um, yeah, it should be on there. I don't know why it's not though. Uh, audio mixer. I'm just going to play this for a sec. Go from the VT. So it's just a bit of a safety that I have on. But if you want to, it's up to you. You can just have that channel on at all times. But I personally leave it on audio follow video. So again, as I say, what it allows me to do is I can now, when I want to play in a VT, I can I'm using Black Magic. I'm using a Black Magic Atom. It's like $300 thing to I'll let you use multiple cameras but you can also use um, you can also use uh, you can also use it to stream games I'm actually using the the um, the capture card that I have the uh, whatever the uh, Elgato on one of the cameras so um, yeah I never actually played Super Mario Sunshine until yesterday I played a little bit of it make sure the input channel is enabled um I don't know why. It says it's active. I don't know. It's bullshit. Very easily just say, okay, now let's uh, watch my networking video that I put up on YouTube a few weeks ago. In today's video, I'm going to show you the two main methods for connecting and controlling your ATEM Mini or ATEM Mini And then Pro. I can come back to me really quickly. Um, All right, let's see. I don't know. Hmm. It doesn't really make sense, honestly. Send the audio somewhere. Uh, no, guys, I'm using Black Magic. <laughs> I'm using Black Magic, the program. The it's a fucking box that I have. The Atom Mini. That's what I'm using. The Elgato's being used for the camera has nothing to do with this whatsoever. If it was the Elgato, it would work. Um, I mean, it works now. It's just the audio's not coming through for some reason. Uh. I see it bouncing over here, so it's registering the audio somehow. I just don't know why. Uh-oh, wait, hold on. 
Okay. Now it's lit up. But why can't I hear it? So like how I said it was gray now, now it's actually bouncing green. Uh, like his shit, but. Okay. Uh, okay. I do now. It's in in green. This is so dumb. Monitoring's on. Ralph, get an IT guy. Yeah, well, I'd have to pay them. Uh, anyway, the trial's about to start back. <laughs> I'll still be working on this simultaneously while we watch the trial. Uh, what I might do is try to start a new one. Hit deactivate and reactivate. That might not be a bad idea, actually. Yeah, it didn't help, but that was a good, that was a valiant effort, though. Let's yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's showing up. It's over there. There's something I'm not doing right, and I don't know. Um, a lot about the black magic, so um, there's no doubt. There's something I'm fucking up for sure. Damn, is that live right now? Crump's talking again. Children to expect to participate in the American promise of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. So we take this as a solemn moment, and I, I know Reverend Al and Rachel and we all thought it would be appropriate as I talked to Katie Wright and Aubrey Wright the parents as I just talked to today the parents of Dante Wright uh, Aubrey Wright's father, Katie Wright's mother, the mother of his one-year-old child, Dante Jr. And as Reverend Al said, we're preparing not only to go back to Minneapolis for the remainder of the Chauvin trial to receive the jury's verdict, we now have another task at hand that we ask for prayer and that is to pray for the family of Dante Wright as uh, we get ready to give him a respectable homegoing service where Reverend Al would deliver the eulogy. And despite how they're going to attempt to assassinate his character, we're going up there to celebrate his life. Because just like all of these mothers, you don't have the right to kill their child and then kill their character. We won't accept that. And so, Reverend L, if you still think it's appropriate, we want to have each of these mothers just give uh, Katie Wright, this brokenhearted mother who received her baby's body from the medical exams, uh, the examiner's office to the funeral home and is part of a sorority that no mother wants to be a part of. So we'll hear from these mothers before Reverend Allen and I try to take a few of your questions and uh, just, I'm sure it triggers memories in them 
like no other. So if you please give them All right, so what the I'm charity do, of your undivided. What I'm going to do is restart the stream, and we'll try to um, get another YouTube one going. Uh, this will be court retort number 16. Uh, and so we won't be on air for a second here on Trovo. Uh, court scheduled to come back here in a moment. I'll keep fucking with this stuff while we're watching the trial, of course. Uh, and maybe I'll figure it out. This is more for the future, like I said, trying to figure out just what the fuck's going on right now. Um, but okay, let me go ahead and stop and then we'll be back.
All right, we're back here. There is what's this guy's name again? Fuck. The defense uh, defense doctor, former um, chief medical examiner in Maryland. I forgot his name though. Fuck. Fowler, I believe. David Fowler, I think. Let's see. Double check. Yes, Dr. David Fowler. That's correct. All right. Your Honor. Counsel, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dr. Fowler. The prosecution's now taking it off. I'd like to say I have a few questions for you, but I have more than a few uh, <laughs> this afternoon. Uh, let me just start with some basic questions, just by way of sort of background of yourself as an expert witness. Uh, do you agree that as an expert witness, you should be objective, fair, and impartial as best you can? Yes, I would agree that that's appropriate as best you can. Uh, do you agree that in the background research you do to testify, that you should be thorough? Yes. And meaning you should do your homework before you arrive at your opinions. Fair enough? Yes. I asked that question in part because uh, you asked a question about Mr. Chauvin's weight. And, and you understand that the relevance of Mr. Chauvin's weight to this case is how much weight he was putting onto the body of George Floyd beneath him. You understand that, don't you? Yes. You told the jury that Mr. Chauvin's weight was 140 pounds, didn't you? That's the information that I was provided, yes. Where did you get this information provided? From counsel. Uh, did, uh, in the information that uh, was provided to you, uh, were you not told that Mr. Chauvin was wearing equipment? That was not considered as part of the process. I agree with you, counselor. Right, so, <clears throat> you know he is wearing equipment, though. He's a police officer at the time, right? Absolutely. And so you didn't factor in the weight of his equipment that was also on the body of Mr. Floyd. Is that true? That is true. Uh, now, you agree that uh, as an expert witness, you shouldn't jump to conclusions. That is, you should reach fair conclusions based upon a careful, considered analysis. That is correct, yes. Uh, do you agree that you shouldn't come at this in a way that's biased? You agree with that, don't you? Absolutely agree with that, yes. You shouldn't cherry-pick facts. No. You shouldn't try to confuse the jury. Correct. Now, there's a reason I ask about that, too. Because you spent quite a bit of time talking Breaking about... Breaking news, no charges for the officer who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt at the Capitol on January 6th. I do indeed. Now, just going right to the punchline on carbon monoxide that you, you talked about at some length, you haven't seen any data or test results that showed Mr. Floyd had a single injury from carbon monoxide. Is that true? That is correct because it was never sent to I the laboratory for that whether, test. I ask you whether it was true, sir, yes or it no? It is true. Um, now, as you were talking about carbon monoxide, you were referring to the squad car that Mr. Floyd was near, weren't you? Yes. Uh, have you ever laid eyes, I don't mean pictures, physically, on the squad car that you were referring to? I have not. Do you know whether it has a single exhaust or a double exhaust? The information that I was provided, it has a 
double exhaust with twin exhaust pipes on each side. So it has four exhausts. Right. Now, did you know the make and the model of the car? It is a Ford Explorer Interceptor. Is it a hybrid? Yes, it is. Okay. Now, did you see any air monitoring data that actually would give you any information as to what amount of carbon monoxide, if any, would have been in Mr. Floyd's breathing zone? No, because it was not tested. It was a yes or no question. You haven't seen any, have you? I have not seen any data. And you didn't go yourself to try to do anything akin to air monitoring, uh, air sampling, to simulate what Mr. Floyd might have been exposed to in proximity of a similar vehicle. You didn't do that, did you? Hello, sidebar action here uh, from Mr. Nelson. Yeah, I did stop the stream. Um, I don't know for sure if it reset on Trovo or not. It should have, but it might not have. Uh, Anthony over in the Cash App Super Chat says, I hope the next witness is more offensive. Uh, talking about uh, when we watched the clip a few minutes ago uh, about how the, the witness from yesterday, Barry Broad, was so offensive because he said resting comfortably on the pavement George Floyd should have been. Uh, let's see. Uh, he was only 20. He had lots more robberies ahead of him as what Green Danger said about uh, Dante right there. Okay. Uh, now we're still waiting a little bit longer of a sidebar here. Uh, they got their little walkie-talkies. Uh, we're live on Trovo with the afternoon session. Probably go till around 4.30. Uh, and then I'll even go see my mom. And so we'll, we'll miss the very end. We'll get up tomorrow. At least I will. Hopefully you guys will too. Uh, and we'll cover the little part that we missed here at the end. They're still on sidebar, so... I have to continue talking. The stream is back up on YouTube. Uh, we'll see if that continues. We don't know, but uh, I'm using a different feed that we haven't used before, so hopefully. Mr. Blackwell. Thank you, Ron. Uh, do you agree with me that there was no finding of carbon monoxide poisoning uh, from Mr. from Dr. Baker's autopsy review. I do. Uh, you mentioned an EPA standard of nine parts per million, nine parts per million, on an eight-hour basis uh, as the exposure limit for carbon monoxide. Remember that discussion? Yes. And you mentioned thirty-five parts per million, what I call a peak exposure. That is an exposure for a one-hour time period. That is correct, yes. Now, you are not now, nor have you ever been an industrial hygienist, true? Absolutely correct. I have not been. Now, the fact that um, OSHA, oh, I'm sorry, the EPA provides a standard of nine parts per million on an eight-hour basis, that's a time-weighted average, isn't it? Yes, that is your maximum exposure over that period, and you're allowed to do that once in one year. Boji, thank you, man. Uh, so it's a time-weighted average over eight hours. Uh, are you able to tell this jury <clears throat> whether or not Mr. Floyd, at the time that he was being subdued on May 25th, was being exposed to carbon monoxide above the limit or level that was set by the EPA of nine parts per million? No, no testing was done. Uh, For that matter, 
Cutting even more to the chase, how do you know the car was even on? It is a question I specifically asked, and then I made an observation of water dripping from what appears to be a tailpipe. So if I ask you directly, uh, do you know if in to stop fact him. the car was on or not? He's trying to stop him. You didn't see any information. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that was the first thing I've thought I about, big dumbass. On or I'm the one who turned it off. You didn't see either one, did you? Correct. You big dumb and fuck. And you just simply assumed the first thing by I thought about. dripping from a tailpipe that the car had to have been on. It's not an assumption. It's an evaluation, which in my mind, indicates that the vehicle was running. The vehicle was running, though. We know that. You, you mentioned carbon monoxide studies. Uh, these are outside studies that you're referring to. Remember those outdoor studies? They are referring to outdoor air, yes. Uh, you referenced a total of two studies, true? The carbon monoxide, which studies are you referring to? I'm referring to the, the San Antonio study. I'm sorry, three. Well, San Antonio study, the DeMaio, and then the Polis study. So the DeMaio and San Antonio are one in the same. Okay. Dr. DeMaio was the chief medical examiner at the San Antonio chief medical examiner's office when he wrote that article. So then if we have the San Antonio study and then DeMaio are one study, that one study involved three people, didn't it? Correct. And then we have the study you told us about, the Polish study, that involved one person, right? Correct. Uh, can you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury how long were the subjects in those studies exposed to carbon monoxide? Do you know? It's unknown. Now, I had uh, another issue that I wanted to raise, again, under this heading of uh, the jury not being confused. And this relates to the white substance that you were referring to in the mouth of Mr. Floyd. Remember that discussion? Yes. And so it started with the white substance in his mouth, and I think it ended with talking about a partially digested pill in a car. Remember that? Yes, I do. Uh, I'd like to show you and discuss with you a couple of exhibits. Now, you told us that you looked at surveillance uh, video from stores uh, in discussing the materials that you reviewed. Remember that? Yes, sir. And, and the store at issue here is Cup Foods. That was one of them, yes. So you recall looking at the surveillance video from Cup Foods? Yes. I want to review part of that video with you, uh, if I could. And uh, if we pull up Exhibit 29, I think it's in evidence.
So I'm showing you uh, an excerpt from Exhibit uh, 29 uh, in the Inside Cup Foods. And I want us together to observe George Floyd. Yeah, 741 so and then 42. This guy's getting on so far, though, by the way, the prosecutor. And could you zoom in on uh, Mr. Altiste on George Floyd and... The dance! My man dancing! Cook food. Holy shit. Were you able to see uh, that portion of the clip, Dr. Fowler? Yes, sir. Uh, were you able to see that George Floyd was chewing? Overall, if you have an opinion. I, I saw his mouth open and close briefly. Um, I, the man was he been chewing, I don't know. Let's play it again, because I would like for you to know. <clears throat> it, it, was, it was fast, Your Honor, if I could. Do you need to see it again to render your opinion? Uh, from what I saw, Your Honor, it was too brief to. See if that changes your opinion. All right, now I want to show you a still, a couple of stills. Uh, if, uh, Your Honor, I made a couple of stills from uh, this segment of the footage that I marked separately as exhibits 812 and 813, and, uh, and I would move their admission. Any objection? Mm -hmm. 812 and 813 are received. So if you put up uh, 812, Brad, and could you zoom in again on George Floyd? Now, Dr. Fowler, can you see a white substance in George Floyd's mouth there? I can. Uh, and doesn't it look remarkably similar to the white substance that you were talking about uh, when uh, you uh, were discussing the photograph with the gun pointed at him and the car when he was first approached by the police? Yes, it looks very similar. Uh, is it your understanding that when Mr. Floyd left Cup Foods, he went out across the street to sit in the vehicle. Yes. And next he was then approached by the police sitting in the vehicle, right? I believe he was first approached by the clerks from the store and then he was approached by the police subsequently. So would it be fair to say, in order to say that the white substance in Mr. Floyd's mouth was a pill, in light of what you've seen, that would be jumping to a conclusion, wouldn't it? Specifically, when I testified, I said there was a white object in his mouth. That's all I could discern from that, and I remember saying that um, under direct. So you were not <laughs> then either telling or suggesting to the jury that the white substance was a pill, are you? You just said no, he wasn't. 
I never said it was a pull. I carefully said that I could see a white structure in his Dr. mouth. Dr. Fowler, could you just and, answer and my question? I did not want to classify it, and I didn't classify it. Could you just answer my question? Yes. You're not either telling or suggesting to the jury that the white substance was a pill, are you? No, I never did. Owned them. One other thing, under the heading of uh, not wanting to confuse the jury, uh, you had a discussion with Mr. Nelson about a uh, scientist, uh, Dr. Ray, R-E-A-Y, and the, uh, the statement you made, and, and you can correct me so I say it accurately, but it was to the effect that he had been critical of uh, prone positioning and his relationship to asphyxia, but that he had later retracted that opinion. Remember discussing that? Yes. Uh, now, the statement that Dr. Ray had retracted his concerns about the dangers and hazards of the prone position with respect to asphyxia, uh, that statement was in fact never withdrawn by Dr. Ray. Isn't that the real truth? He withdrew it and said that it was more of a risk to individuals who were obese, is my recollection of um, the course of events in Dr. Ray's um, history. Your Honor, I want to uh, uh, show Exhibit uh, 818 simply for um, identification purposes to discuss with the witness. Oh, I think I know. Is that what it is? So let me show you first. Uh, this is a, an affidavit from Dr. Ray. And if you look on the second page, uh, if you have that, Ms. Deltese, um, do you see where he has signed it here and dated it? Donald Ray. Yes. That's the person you're referring to, right? Yes, Dr. Donald Ray. Uh, let's go back to the first page and see if he retracted this. So let's see the first paragraph, just so we see what this is about. I hear that. That's the fan. Right? Uh -huh. Yeah, Statement okay. written by Donald Ray and sent to Charlie Miller in June of 1998. In the November issue of the Annals of Emergency Medicine, Chan et al. published a paper entitled Restraint Position and Positional Asphyxia. This is one of the studies that you were referencing earlier today. Isn't it? Yes. Um, if we go down, Brett, uh, two paragraphs to the I Readily Acknowledge. Here, uh, Dr. Ray is saying, I readily acknowledge the value of these studies, those 10 studies, in the San Diego case of Price versus San Diego, which had many other features besides hog tying and the restraint maneuvers used to control the victims. This has since been presented in law enforcement publications as my retraction of positional as a cause of death with particular reference to hog tying. Get the next paragraph. Let me mute it though. Here's the punchline. Oh wait, how do I stop it now? Such is not the case. No! I still okay. maintain the figured it out though. Hazards. I'm reading what it says, right? Well the question is what's the question? Uh oh the, the, the question is simply exploring what it is that the doctor Ray in fact said on the issue of Make sure this question answers uh, portion. 
got it. I got it. Yeah. Michael, would you join us on the sidebar? Oh, man. We got it. All right. Let's see here. A little sidebar action. It's time for a little Bing Bing Wahoo action. That's what I. That's what I was thinking. What? <laughs> oh, another victory for the ten thousand year killstream reign. Oh, sick. So, if you could re-ask the question, just so we're clear. Yeah. Sorry, Aaron. So, Dr. Fowler, I'd like to uh, explore with you um, Dr. Ray's response on the question of whether he retracted retracted uh, his statements of concerns about uh, the about positional asphyxia uh, as relates to the prone position. I'm just going to get it ready for the next Did, break. Uh, Dr. Ray says, you see here, that such is not the case. Yes, I do. And do you see where he says, I still maintain that there are risks and hazards to restraint maneuvers, including hog tying, and each case must be evaluated to assess the presence or absence of respiratory restriction in light of the method of restraint. All right, I'm so happy now. You see that? Yes, that's what's written in this affidavit. And, uh, and then one more <clears throat> point here he makes. If we can see just two paragraphs down, the point... He says, here, do you see this? The point is that street deaths are much different than controlled investigations. Uh, do you see that? Yes. And, and so, Dr. Fowler, does having seen this affidavit from uh, Dr. Ray um, change your opinion as to whether he had retracted his opinion of concerns about uh, positional, uh, the prone position as it relates to positional asphyxia? So it appears that he hasn't completely <clears throat> withdrawn his um, his position. Um, but Thank he does you. go into um, some additional description, which is the paragraph above, um, which you didn't Dr. highlight. Dr. Fowler, you answered my question. And, uh, and if uh, there are other things that <clears throat> Mr. Nelson would like to bring out, he have an opportunity to. Um, Thank you, Brian. Mad, platinum mad. Now let's talk for just a moment about your uh, areas of expertise. We, we know that you are a forensic pathologist, uh, sir, but uh, you're not a toxicologist or you don't have um, a degree in toxicology. That is correct. I'm not a toxicologist. And, and to be clear for the jury, as a, as a forensic pathologist, you don't treat patients. Correct. Uh, we have heard from a, a pulmonologist who's also a respiratory physiologist. You're not a pulmonologist or a respiratory physiologist. True? That is true. So you never uh, measure anybody's respiration, that is their breathing, as a part of your work as a forensic pathologist? No, um, I have not. You're not a cardiologist, obviously. No. Just by way of uh, just a couple of background things, you told us um, a good bit of bachelor background, 
But uh, but what year was it that you arrived in the United States? I believe it was 1991. Mm -hmm. And in what year did you retire? I thought we were a nation of immigrants. Uh, December 31st, 2019. He's going to bring up that case. You told us quite a quite a good bit about the uh, forensic panel, and uh, you're employed as a consultant by the forensic panel. Is that a fair description? Yes. Now, to be clear for the jurors so they're not confused, uh, the forensic panel is not a nonprofit, is it? No, it's not a nonprofit. Uh, At least to the best of my ability, I don't know what they're classified at, uh, as, frankly. I, I do not know. So, um, through the forensic panel, you earn a livelihood, so it, it, it's not volunteer time for you, is it? No, I get compensated by the hour. And the forensic panel, then, is not a, a governmental body? Correct. It's an independent organization. He gets paid more than it's the other guys. It's a medical-slash-forensic-science practice, which medical practices are businesses, yes. It's a business. Yeah. So I want to talk with you a bit about uh, asphyxial deaths. It, it's been what we've been referring to as deaths caused by low oxygen. Uh, do you agree, Dr. Fowler, that uh, positional asphyxia is placing uh, a person into a position that restricts their ability to ventilate their lungs or a position uh, where the head may be in such a, a position that uh, you can't keep the airways open. That is correct, yes. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, in positional asphyxia, what gets restricted is a person's ability to oxygenate, oxygenate their blood. Oh, in June 1991, correct? all apartheid laws were finally rescinded, rescinded, opening the way for the country's first multiracial democratic elections three years later. I think he knew what the deal was. One is to move uh, your ribs. I wonder what country is going to pick next. Diaphragm. Is that true? That is true, yes. But the, the key thing uh, for breathing is that you'll be able to uh, expand your chest. If you can't expand your chest, you can't breathe. Correct. You need to expand the capacity of the chest cavity so that the lungs draw air in as part of the, the process. Russia, yeah, maybe. You know, I'd like to focus with you for a moment on the first. <laughs> He's like, apartheid's uh, over? All right, peace him out. Mr. Floyd was under, on the ground uh, as part of the Sorry, it was a good run, but. Under uh, Mr. Chauvin. Um, <laughs> did you analyze where Mr. Chauvin's knees were uh, relative to the positioning of Mr. Floyd's body in that first five minutes? I did review the positioning, yes. Would you agree with me that for over half of that time period, Mr. Chavez's left knee was on the neck and his uh, right knee is at times on the back and at other times on his left arm or pushed in against his left side? That is correct. Those are all the positions that I observed the knee in, um, the right knee. Mr. Floyd then is uh, sandwiched in a way uh, between Mr. Chauvin on top and the asphalt pavement beneath it, right? 
Yes, if you... It's a yes or no question. Yes. Um, I want to ask you a, a question about putting pressure uh, on someone's neck. That is, if you're on uh, a person's back and you are applying pressure to the neck. Uh, doctor, do you agree uh, that if pressure is applied to somebody's neck in the prone position and the person is squeezed until they become responsive, and if that pressure is maintained for a minimum of four minutes, that can cause irreversible brain damage because the brain may be starved oh, of oxygen. Oh, it did go down for a sec. I don't know why. I guess it's good. it just skipped for a second. It must have been Once my internet. Cessation skip. of oxygen to the brain starts. Doctor Fowler, my question was: Is it true? Would you please restate restate the question? Yes, sir. If you apply pressure to someone's neck and squeeze until the person becomes unresponsive, and you maintain that pressure for at least four minutes, you will cause irreversible brain damage because you will have starved the brain of oxygen. Is that true? Correct. It takes four minutes of no supply of oxygen to the brain to cause irreversible brain damage. Now, if, if somebody dies as a result of the consequences of insufficient oxygen or low oxygen, uh, we know that when that person dies, they're going to die of cardiopulmonary arrest because everybody dies of cardiopulmonary arrest. Fair enough? Yes. And if a person dies as a result of low oxygen, uh, that person's also going to die ultimately of a fatal arrhythmia, right? Correct. Every one of us in this room will have a fatal arrhythmia at some point. Right, because that's kind of how you go. Yes. Um. Bummer. Thanks for bumming me out, Doc. So I want to talk about the, uh, uh, the role of sort of physical activity, struggle, if you will, um, on uh, the oxygen stores or reserves when somebody may be in the prone position. Dr. Blackpill, appreciate Do you agree it. that when somebody is involved in a uh, pretty vigorous uh, physical confrontation, they would certainly have what's referred to as an oxygen Knock, deficit. knock, it's mortality calling. Oh, yes, no. any kind of exertion, you build up a degree of lactic acid and other metabolites that need to the be black pill removed bore. from the body. And uh, the term oxygen debt is used more in the lay environment, but yes, you you have some makeup to do. And because you're using up your oxygen reserves then? Somewhat, but it's also more generation of the metabolic byproducts from the actual yeah, this doctor is a set. Um, activity as well. well. Would you agree that somebody with an I oxygen like uh, deficit who is involved in a vigorous physical confrontation would be more susceptible to positional asphyxia than would otherwise be the case. Do you agree with that? Yes. It would be more difficult for them to regain their, uh, to get rid of the metabolic byproducts of the um, activities that occurred before. And, and would you agree then that a person with an oxygen deficit or debt <clears throat> is more prone to any kind of asphyxia that a person completely at rest. Do you agree with that? Yes, a fully oxygenated person at rest would certainly be at no risk of, well, not no, but 
a substantially lower level of risk of an arrhythmia compared to somebody who has been exercised hard. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Fowler, are you familiar <coughs> with a text known as Spitz and Fisher? Yes. Pretty big. <laughs> uh, this is a standard text for medical examiners, isn't it? It's certainly one of the recommended um, books that fellows in forensic pathology will review as part of their training, yes. And it's one you've uh, in the past referred to as a reliable text. Yes. Uh, it is. It uh, comes from the future. To yeah, I said all that one earlier. Forensic pathologists in training as just a standard text. Again, it's recommended that they use that as one of their references. And you're aware that this, uh, this text on medical legal investigation of death, uh, it contains uh, sections on death by asphyxia, doesn't it? Yes. And do you agree uh, that for death by positional asphyxia, uh, that, that is death caused by low insufficient oxygen, uh, that the causes for that may be what's referred to as endless? Yes, hence the complexity of these particular cases. So you, you spoke with Mr. Nelson about Max says, I like how the doc is repeating the question. When somebody dies of asphyxia. In order to close the door on implications, oxygen, prosecution trying to mark. You might see injuries to the ribs like or uh, to the vertebrae. He's done this before, uh, indicate uh, the type of restraint or at least how the asphyxia came about. You might see that, right? Yes. Uh, you might see what we refer to as traumatic manifestations, uh, things like uh, bruises, evidence of injuries on autopsy. You might see those, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, do you agree, Dr. Fowler, that uh, the majority of cases where somebody dies of asphyxia are very subtle and, in fact, no traumatic manifestations are visible at all. That is correct, depending on the circumstances. And what I mean by that is that there isn't necessarily any evidence, any physical evidence on autopsy of what it is that caused the low oxygen in the majority of cases, right? In a substantial number of the cases, I'm not sure it's absolutely the majority. Brett, could you? Spits at page 828. Uh, Dr. Fowler, can you see here from uh, represent, this is from Spitz and Fisher, uh, for identification purposes, uh, Your Honor's Exhibit 814 for the record. Um, Am I reading here correctly that, however, the majority of cases are subtle, in fact, often with no traumatic manifestations at all? I read that accurately? Yes, you did. Um, thank you, Brett. Are you familiar with, uh, with a publication mm -hmm. called Knight's Forensic Pathology? By Sir Bernard Knight, yes. And uh, that's another reliable authority for forensic pathologists, isn't it? Correct. Uh, did you know that, uh, that Knight's Forensic Pathology or it's not subscribed to that. Also has a chapter on uh, 
suffocation and asphyxia. That, yes. doesn't, that doesn't surprise you, does it? doesn't surprise me, and I've seen it. Uh, and that is Exhibit 815, just for identification purposes. And I want to show you what's said at page 354. This is taken from Knights. Knights, it says, there are no truly distinctive autopsy signs of and most oh, of the alleged criteria are caused me. by factors me, other than a lack of oxygen. Uh, did I read that accurately? Dr. Fowler? Yeah, I'm just reading it and tr trying to process it. I, I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. No, please. Take your time. Yes, that's what it says. Now, you had some uh, discussions with Mr. Nelson about uh, strangulation. Uh, you do understand in this case that, that no one is contending that Mr. Floyd was manually strangled by anyone. You understand that, don't you? Oh, absolutely correct. There was no evidence of manual strangulation and no discussion of manual strangulation. Uh, Dr. Fowler, do you agree that with respect oh, to uh, positional asphyxia, uh, the diagnosis of position, positional asphyxia is one that is made by investigation because you won't find an autopsy finding that necessarily specifically tells you why the person is asphyxiated? Correct. The scene information becomes very important. You spent quite a bit of time talking about the prone position studies, uh, and I referenced them just a few minutes ago by Chan and others. Um, let me ask you a, a couple of other questions just about those studies, and yeah, he does try to, to try to correlate them to this case. Uh, is it true, Doctor Fowler, that none of the, of the prone restraint studies? that you referred to actually studied uh, subjects who had someone's knee on their neck in the prone position. Is that true? That is true. Uh, none of the studies uh, went for as long as nine minutes and 29 seconds. Is that true? That is true. Um, okay, good, great, great retort there. So do you agree, uh, Dr. Fowler, that if the weight of several officers or a police officer is put on the actual torso and abdominal areas of a person, a person in police custody, that can cause compressional or positional asphyxia? Do you agree with that? If it exceeds the limits of 225 pounds, as found by multiple studies, then yes, the argument is correct. Killstream.live slash tip. Killstream.live slash entropy. We're live watching the Chauvin trial. For identification purposes. Nelson does object sometimes, yes, but he hasn't here. 
think he might have objected towards the beginning. There was some reason he did object, I think, but uh, he stayed quiet. Some people did criticize him, other attorneys, for uh, not objecting as much. Let me ask you first. Uh, you, uh, you did give a deposition uh, in a case that is called uh, Curtis versus Prince George's County um, a few years back. You remember uh, giving a deposition in a case called Curtis? Yes. Uh, and you've been involved in a number of depositions over your career as a forensic pathologist, haven't you, sir? Yes, sir. But in every one of them, uh, you took an oath that you would tell the truth uh, at the depositions, right? Yes. Um, so with that said, let's uh, look at your question and answer from this deposition. There we go. This is what I talked about earlier, Chad. Question, what would it take a police officer's officer to do in that situation to cause compressional or positional asphyxia. Well, the compression well, This is actually a different case. Specifically would require the weight of several officers on the actual torso and abdominal area, something that is documented in the medical literature as burking. Uh, burking, which is a method of killing people that was made popular back in England in the Middle Ages when they were looking for bodies to teach medical students anatomy. Uh, did I read that accurately? Yes. Can we agree that when you answered, when you gave the answer to this question, uh, you did not say anything about an excess of 200 pounds or 220 pounds? Is that true? Birkin. Uh, what I said would take the weight of several officers Oofing, on the torso and abdominal area. That's exactly what I said. Sir, then. I just asked you if you made any reference to uh, having a weight that exceeds either 200 or 220 pounds. Did you make any such reference, yes or no? I didn't give a specific weight. I just said several officers. Damn. So we, we know here, uh, in this case, when Mr. Chauvin was on Mr. Floyd's uh, back <laughs> and, and neck, uh, Birkin bag. <laughs> from time to time, he was pressing down forcefully with his knee uh, also on the left arm. You saw the knee on the left arm from time to time, didn't you, sir? Yes, I did. Uh, I want to ask you in that uh, framework about another uh, quote from Spitz and Fisher, uh, Exhibit 814, for identification purposes on page 833. I'm sorry, sir. Contrary to the belief of some, it is our opinion that pinning down the shoulders or forcefully pressing down the arms is equivalent to loading the back. A struggling, agitated individual breathes faster, has a faster heartbeat, elevated blood pressure, and heightened metabolism. Such an individual requires more air and more oxygen. Immobilization of the chest, even if only partially reducing the ability to maintain vital functions, culminates in cardiac arrhythmia. Do you agree uh, with uh, the statement from Spitz and Fisher? Sure. No, um, specifically, I do not. They said it, it is their opinion. Um, and again, this is a medical opinion um, expressed by those particular authors. It's not a scientific fact. Oh, tease him a little something. Uh, Dr. Fowler, do you agree that with Mr. Floyd in a uh, 
in a prone stomach down position with Mr. Chauvin applying some pressure to the neck and pressure to the torso in a downward position, that these forces would be symbiotic. Uh, they would actually add together. Is that true? Yes, I agree. In the paper by Kroll, as I quoted earlier on, the single knee... Dr. Fowler, I just asked if it was true. Yes, uh, Dr. Kroll confirmed that. And all those things together would make somebody more likely uh, than if those factors weren't present, it would make it more likely for them to succumb to asphyxia, correct? If the weight is sufficient, yes. You, you told us, uh, Dr. Fowler, that you had uh, been able to catch some of the testimony at the trial from some of the other uh, medical persons who testified. You didn't see all of it, but you've seen some of it. That is correct, sir, yes. Uh, are you uh, then aware that a number of uh, medical experts and others uh, have testified that uh, Mr. Floyd di died primarily uh, to the effects of low oxygen that arose out of Mr. Chauvin's subdual restraint and neck compression? Are you aware that, that a number of persons have testified about that? Yes, I am. I'd like to talk with you about uh, what specifically uh, you have done to actually assess what Mr. Floyd's actual oxygen reserves uh, would have been uh, during the subdual restraint and compression on May 25th of 2020 while he was uh, underneath uh, the, the body of Mr. Chauvin. You wrote a report containing your opinions in this case, and it is dated on February 22nd of 2021, right? Yes. I will represent to you and assume for purposes of my questions that in expiratory lung volumes, or EELV, is the amount of air that remains in your chest between breaths. Will you accept that as a premise for my questions? The end respiratory lung volume? Yes, Is that sir. what you're referring to? The EELV, yes. Yes. Um, and I'll refer to that commonly as simply the body's oxygen reserves, just as a common way to refer to it. And um, It's the air that's left in your lungs. It's not a body's oxygen reserve. Your major oxygen reserve is in the oxygen dissolved in your bloodstream. We'll just call it the EELV then, okay? Thank you. All right. Uh, do you agree that as the EELV decreases, that it takes more work to breathe. Okay, yeah, I'm not muted. I don't know why it was. It just had the wrong audio symbol. All right, let's see. I started to just not come back because there's only an hour left before I got to go anyway. On the ground. No. Did you do any quantitative assessment in your report for the time while he was sitting on the sidewalk uh, by the Dragon Walk? 
of whether his uh, his breathing, his EEL, EELV, was either normal or whether it was abnormal? No, I did not. Uh, incidentally, if his EELV uh, was 89, that is 89 millimeters of mercury. Okay, I think we should be back on. I don't know. There's some type of fucking error with OBS. I, don't, I really don't even know what that was. Uh, but let's see. And I think you referred to Mr. Floyd's death as a sudden death event. Um, is that the word you used? Yes, more sudden than prolonged. Um, if we focus on the, the first five minutes that Mr. Floyd is uh, restrained uh, on the ground, uh, you were able to see in the, that five minutes, first saw Mr. Floyd just struggling to breathe, right? Well, I'll rephrase it, John. Uh, you, you could see uh, in the first five minutes uh, or here that Mr. Floyd was first calling out that he can't breathe. Correct. Mr. Floyd verbalized, I can't breathe, multiple times. And uh, you then later heard him actually call out for his mother. Yes. And as time uh, passed in that first five minutes, you could hear that his voice got uh, thicker and quieter. You could hear that, couldn't you? I did not perceive that, but... I'm no better at listening than anybody else is, so anybody can make up their own um, opinion with regard to that. But to your hearing, uh, you didn't hear any change in Mr. Floyd's voice. Is, is that what you're saying, sir? Not that I noticed. Did you notice that uh, during the five minutes that his words got further apart? Yes, they did. Uh, did you notice that after roughly four minutes and 45 seconds that Mr. Floyd went unconscious? Yes. Uh, then did you notice that sometime after five minutes, uh, he was found not to have had a pulse? Correct. Uh, in your report, you refer to this as a, as a sudden death event, uh, but in your report and your findings, um, you don't record a time, do you, sir, for when the sudden death supposedly occurred, do you? I don't specifically remember doing that. Um, correct. So if we look at this uh, continuum from hearing George Floyd calling out that he can't breathe to the point that it doesn't have a pulse over that five-minute time period, is it fair to say that that is what you're referring to as a sudden death? No. All right. Then all right, I ask you the question about when the sudden death occurred. Uh, where in this spectrum, then, it's okay if you don't know the specific time, but where in this continuum did the sudden death occur from the time he is on the ground saying he can't breathe to the point in time he's found not to have a pulse? Are you able to generally characterize where the sudden death took place? So what you're referring to as a sudden death, and I may, may well have misinterpreted, I'm referring to as a sudden cardiac arrest. There's a difference between death and cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest is not absolutely irreversible and not synonymous with a, a person always passing away. Um, so there's going to be a period of time between... My fellow, you should be able to talk now. I might remove it on a couple of these instance, other jackasses, too. 
The official Since she supported the show earlier. Not in a very good mood with the tech problems. I'm not even going to lie. Then I can't see my mom for another hour or two. It's not something that you can easily document. So when we are in this space where there is a space uh, between cardiac arrest and between he wasn't banned. the actual death, are you... He was, just, he was just timed out for an hour anyway. So Floyd may have been in cardiac arrest. There was a time when he may have been revived because he wasn't dead yet. Immediate medical attention for a person who's gone into cardiac arrest um, may, re may well um, reverse that process, yes. Do you feel that Mr. Floyd should have been given immediate emergency attention to try to reverse? Yes, I do understand it, Chad. As a physician, I would agree. Jack Clown says sometimes we uh, just talk shit, Ralph. You of all people should understand. Well, yeah, I'm just talking shit back, though. That's the thing. Yeah, as a physician, I would agree. When you were observing the uh, the the footage of uh, of Mr. Floyd after he's gone unconscious, there's a point in time where you uh, see his legs uh, raise up. Uh, do you recall seeing his legs raise at the point after he was unconscious on the ground? Yes. Uh, was that leg raising? Was that consistent with uh, what's known as an anoxic seizure? That is what we would typically call it. Yes. And an anoxic. Uh, Seizure typically represents uh, that there has been some uh, damage to the brainstem due to insufficient oxygen. True? It's uh, anoxics, or in some cases we would call it hypoxic seizure, and it's not damage to the brainstem. It means that the part of the brain that um, governs our actual muscular movement, which is the higher portion of the brain, is not functioning properly. So typically people with seizure disorders who have seizure activity, <laughs> it's from the motor cortex. And he said I just sent a cash app as your remote. I just signed them out for an hour. I wasn't banning them anyway. They were just talking shit. And so I was like, all right, fuck you. I'm going to time you out for an hour. But I took it off anyway so they could finish so, watching. It's fair to say when we see an anoxic seizure, uh, at the very least, uh, we, we know that the brain is suffering from insufficient oxygen. Yes. Um, do you agree that uh, low oxygen in the body, insufficient oxygen, it can cause brain injury, can't it? Absolutely. And it can also result in PEA, pulseless electrical activity. True? True. Now, Mr. Floyd had a PEA, a pulseless electrical activity arrhythmia, when his body was taken away from the scene on May 25th, 2020. I just got the cash out, Correct. by the way. Uh, is it true, so Dr. Damn, Fowler, blank, ban me forever. that no, the I'm most just... common cause of a PEA is low oxygen, insufficient oxygen? To the brain? Yes, sir. Yes, which can also be caused by a cardiac standstill. So no oxygen to the brain from either mechanism will cause PEA. Coinbase IPO, just, let's see. 
Went IPO at 100 billion valuation, crashing bigly and screwing up the market. Uh, I had uh, a number of questions. I'm kind of thinking through them. I'll just ask you this. Uh, I had a number of questions that have to do with whether you did any sort of quantitative measurements about Mr. Floyd's uh, oxygen levels, his EELV, at different points in time, including at what point in time do you think his oxygen stores were completely depleted? I take it, Dr. Fowler, if I have any questions about quantitative measurements about Mr. Floyd's EELV, those would not have been measurements that you would have undertaken for any reason, right? Correct. And to the extent we are looking for such measurements, better to ask either a pulmonologist, a respiratory physiologist, uh, but not necessarily, well, not uh, Dr. Fowler as a forensic pathologist. Fair enough? Evaluation was 250, but it's at 381. Look at living people who are breathing. By the same token, if um, I had a series of questions about measurements of the carbon dioxide levels in Mr. Floyd's body after he ceased to breathe, between the time that he ceased to breathe and before the time he was given oxygen, when he was uh, picked up and given medical care and uh, taking to uh, Hibbert County Medical Center, you didn't do any quantitative analysis, did you, uh, as to the carbon dioxide levels in Mr. It's Floyd's at 386 body, right now. Uh, in between the time he ceased to breathe and I mean, then the time me. he would receive uh, assistant oxygen. No, not specific quantitative analysis now. Now, you had quite a, a discussion about the paraganglioma. Uh, remember that discussion? Yes. Uh, do you know we had a uh, witness who testified who refers, it to, refers to it as an incidental moment? You ever heard that expression before? Yes. Uh, now, you talked <clears throat> about the, the paraganglioma uh, potentially uh, being an issue uh, if it were uh, secreting adrenaline, right? Correct. Ninety percent of paragangliomas do not secrete adrenaline. Is that right? Is that right? I think that's probably correct. I don't have that number in my head, but I have no reason to disbelieve that. Now, you're not telling uh, the, the jury, are you, sir, that Mr. Floyd died from a paraganglioma, are you? No. And although Dr. Baker did identify the paraganglioma on autopsy. Hey, us forever. Thank you, man. didn't uh, perform any test to determine whether it was a secreting tumor, that is, secreting adrenaline, did he? Correct. The only way to test those particular tumors is there's two methods to test. One is to do a blood test. And if the paraganglionoma is one which is constantly secreting, you'll pick it up on a blood test. For those paraganglionomas that tend to be cyclical, if you do a blood test and you happen to pick it up at the bottom of a cycle, it won't show. And so in some cases, the first test is to do a blood test. If it's positive, You've got your answer. If that blood test is negative, you then go on to do a 24-hour urine catecholamine screen, which will pick up the surges and the dips, and that is then you know, the second test that would be done in these cases. Neither of them were done. Just, doctor, just for clarification, is it is it pronounced paraganglioma 
or paraganglionoma? Yeah, I, always, I often add in the extra vowels. It's, it's a paraganglionoma. Paraganglionoma. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> if you see my pillow, tell uh, I guess I'll already know if he's chatting. that in all the world literature, there have only been six reported cases I'm about to run off of people who have died from a sudden heart event from adrenaline release from a paraganglioma. Is that true? That's what the literature says, um, because in many cases it may go completely unrecognized. I just asked if it was true. Dr. Yes, that's Fowler. what's in the literature. Uh, now, one of the signature hallmarks for a paraganglioma is a headache, right? <laughs> if it is one <laughs> that's that does true secretion at surge and then dip and surge. So if it's one that constantly secretes a small amount, um, it will not cause any symptoms at all. But to the extent, uh, well, I think the witness is holding up really well. The actually, various complaints that Mr. Floyd had about pains—he never did complain. Much about better than the guy did yesterday. Not that he crumbled, but this guy's doing a lot. I better. seem to remember at least—I seem to remember one admission where he complained of a headache. But I—I'm going from memory now, and you know, I am not sure. And here I'm referring to on May 25th of last year. Uh, you have a recollection that Mr. Foy complained of a headache? I know he complained of tooth pain and a few other things, but I can't be sure that he did not complain of a headache. I do not have a clear recollection, Councillor. Right. I won't hold you to that. Then. Thank you. Um, So, Dr. Fowler, you, you had you asked some questions about Mr. Floyd saying, I can't breathe, before he was put on the ground uh, during the subdual and the restraint. Uh, do you recall that discussion? Yes. Uh, were you able to see what was happening with Mr. Floyd as they were trying to get him into what's referred to as Squad 320? Yes. Uh, were you uh, aware of whether or not Mr. Floyd was experiencing being choked as he was being put into the back of squad 320? I did not see a limb around his neck from my recollection. That's not something that I noticed. Your Honor and Counsel, I have a, a couple of stills from Exhibit uh, 43 that's already in. And uh, these are numbered Exhibits uh, 281 and 282. And uh, and I would offer those uh, stills from uh, Exhibit 43 already in evidence. James Jackson. 281 All right, entropy's back up yes, as well. May I, Your Honor, just... <laughs> yeah. Pattern notices every time I give subs, they go to folks who don't even use chat. Shake my head. Thank you, Your Honor. My pillow gave out like fucking 20 of those earlier. So you could, gave course, out a bunch uh, too, I think. We show 282. You've given out a ton over history, though. I like the trolls that grab the 
I mean, most of you guys are trolls. See here in the but so am I. But <laughs> the malicious wants to grab the the uh, the yeah, sub, and then they're like, "Oh, you banned a you banned a loyal subscriber." And I'm like, "No, I didn't. That's just some fucking idiot who grabbed a free sub." Yes. Do you recognize this person to be Mr. Chauvin? It appears to be yes. And if I could show you uh, 281. I mean, if you're watching this show, you're probably a troll. I'm sorry, Don. <laughs> That's fair to say. If you're hosting it, what, I mean, what do I do for a living? Basically, face. troll. And then there's a hand here on his neck. Do you see that? Yes. Um. I'm a loyal so non-sub. Uh, yeah, there are people like that, too. These or uh, scenes that you had paid special attention to before as you looked at what was going on in Squad 320. You had not uh, seen any arms or anything around Mr. Yeah, he's kind of flailing around. There's a lot of questioning. I've seen these particular sections. I'm sorry if I misinterpreted your question. You said before he went I don't even know what he's trying to do. Yeah, I agree, I apologize if I misinterpreted your question. And so do you know whether when Mr. Floyd was... Into the back of Squad 320, and and before he's pulled out. Yes, we will be talking about Jarbo being tonight. choked. Did he say, "I'm getting choked"? I believe he did. Yes. And it doesn't take a medical uh, doctor such as yourself uh, to know that if somebody feeling that they are getting choked, uh, well, that would be a good reason why they would say they can't breathe. Yes. I wanted uh, Dr. Fowler to see if you could just clear up a couple of things for me just in the timeline um, of what happened uh, with respect to Mr. Floyd uh, and restraint on the ground. Um, was the, the leg extension, uh, the anoxic seizure, as we've referred to it, was that before he lost consciousness or was it after he had lost consciousness? After. Okay. And did you make a, a, a note of when Mr. Floyd's, wh when was his last vocal sound? Um, do you remember? Somewhere between a minute, 45 seconds and a minute before, I've got the information written down somewhere, before he went unconscious was about the last time that he actually vocalized. If we focus in on the, the period of the uh, subdual restraint and the neck compression, um, was there uh, ever a time when, during the nine minutes and 29 seconds, where you saw Mr. Floyd either uh, sleepy, unarousable, or anything that's akin to being in a coma? So from the period after he has those hypoxic seizures or from the from the time he's first put on the ground that he's pulled out of the car squad 320 he's subdued and restrained on the ground mr chauvin is on his uh, neck and back um did you ever see uh, mr floyd at any time uh manifest either sleepiness a lack of awareness that he wasn't arousable or that sort of thing 
No, not until he lost consciousness. And, and typically, doctor, when somebody uh, passes away from a fentanyl or opioid overdose, one of the hallmarks of that is that they are uh, very sleepy and they will tend to be unarousable and uh, pass away in essentially a coma, right? Correct. If they are passing away from fentanyl overdose, that's what happens. And Mr. Foy was manifesting none of those outward symptoms, was he? On the Correct. Ground. It does not exclude the fact that it was still having a depressive effect on his respiratory system. Well, before he lost consciousness, uh, his respiration rate, I think you told us, uh, that you agree with Dr. Tobin, was somewhere in the ballpark of 22 breaths a minute, right? Correct. That is normal, isn't it? Yes. If fentanyl was affecting his respiration, then you would expect it a respiratory rate that would have been appreciably less than 22 breaths a minute if it's depressing his uh, respiratory system, right? Unless he should have been breathing at 30 at that particular stage because of his exertion and other stressors. And you have no really basis or baseline uh, to suggest uh, that Mr. Floyd should have been breathing at 30 instead of the normal 22, right? A person who is getting short of oxygen to their brain will often increase or usually increase their respiratory rate to more than 30. Yep, Patrick, should we still on? Another 30, 40 minutes. We'll see. I know they're going to have to take a break here in a minute, though. So I wonder how much, uh, how much of that will you give me. I want to talk with you a bit about the, the methamphetamine. Um, first, let me clear up, uh, if I can, this issue of, um, of pills again in the car on May 25th. Uh, when Dr. Baker performed the autopsy, uh, isn't it true that there weren't any pills found in Mr. Floyd's stomach? Correct. Dr. Baker did not identify any pill, tablet, call you what, what you want, um, residue within the stomach. And obviously any pill that's found in a car is a pill that's not in Mr. Floyd's body. Correct. Whatever the residual amount in those tablets was, Patrick, thank you, man. was not in his body. Now, I think you made a statement uh, with respect to the, uh, the methamphetamine that it was not accompanied by uh, a metabolite uh, commonly seen if the meth had been in the system for um, an, an appreciable period of time. Yes. And I want to kind of be clear on this. Um, have you, uh, since uh, making the statement in your report, learned that in fact the metabolite of methamphetamine, that is amphetamine as the metabolite, was present in uh, Mr. Floyd's uh, bloodstream from the toxicology results. 
I have heard a statement to, to that fact, yes. Um, did you investigate the statement to determine whether or not it was true? Yes. And did you find uh, that contrary to what you had written in your report, you in fact found that the metabolite of methamphetamine was present from the toxicology results for Mr. Floyd? In very low levels, so it did not change my opinion. Well, the methamphetamine itself was only present in very low levels. Isn't that true? That is true. And so if there's not a lot of meth, then there won't be a lot of the metabolite either. That makes sense, doesn't it? Correct. And or again, substantial amount of whatever methamphetamine is there has not yet been metabolized. So what was the level of methamphetamine that was found in this toxicology results? Do you remember? Not offhand, no. Um, how about 19 That's amazing. Thank you, man. Does that sound right? It sounded right. I did not want to say it because I did not want to be inaccurate. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. Uh, 19 uh, nanograms of methamphetamine is within the range uh, of what you would see in a patient whose doctor prescribed a therapeutic dose of methamphetamine, true? That is true if methamphetamine is used in a therapeutic environment. By the way, this Jarbo shit's hilarious. He's blaming Gamergate for the January 6th. It's unbelievable. You ought to have just one second. And he made it where people couldn't even reply. What the fuck? Which, you know, I mean, just block people like me. What the fuck? You put the no reply shit on. I don't understand that. I mean, I get it, but it's pathetic. I could see maybe using it for, like, an announcement or something. I don't know. It just seemed gay. Oh, that's the paper. Okay. So last question, Dr. Fowler, then I will sit down for now. Um, I wanted to, again, just address the timeline from your report. And uh, I will... Um, read it to you and my question would be whether or not this is the timeline that you uh, that you still do stand by if I may so at 8.24.09 the last audible vocal sounds identifiable as Mr. Floyd's are heard soon thereafter voices from bystanders tell police he is not breathing Mr. Floyd exhibits extension movements of right lower extremity at 8.24.21 and movements of his right arm at 8.24.33 at 8.25.16, Mr. Floyd appears to have passed out. So, representation from your report, is that your best knowledge and information, sir? That's the information I extracted at that time, yes. And you stand by that, too, at this time, correct? I have no reason to disagree with that at this time, now. Right. Dr. Fowler, thank you. Can we break at this time, or can you be brief? Break? All right, it's going to be right. brief. All right, we'll see. Break. We'll take our 20-minute break. Oh, uh, 20-minute break. Uh, let's try and think about 10 after. Gamergate killed George Floyd. Oh, my God. Could that be? I'm going to tweet that out later.
right, we'll put that underneath in the in the Twitter thread. All right, so we got twenty minutes. I'm only I'm only gonna stream till four thirty. So I don't know. I guess we could see. What is this thing? I guess we could. Uh, does Pansu know about Gamergate? I think everybody knows about it, quote unquote. But well, in our circles, but I don't know if she knows knows. It's uh. It's quite the uh, quite the autistic tale. Let's see if this will work though. Still, oh, it's not working now, huh? God damn it! After all the, let's see. Oh, it did work, but we can't. Hold on. Oh, we can't hear it again. Let's see. What do we do? Uh, wow, I had it fixed too. That's pretty. That's pretty fucking shitty. I have to say, after all that, after all that, plus I'm missing. I haven't even played this part of the game. All right, let's see here. I see. It looks like it's working now. Why would it not work this time? This is so. All right. Let's see, though. Yeah, it does look like it's not. All right. Let's see. We had it fixed for one moment in time, ladies and gentlemen. We actually had it. We actually had it. Let's see if we could do it again. This is such bullshit. All right, let's see. You can hear it. We proved it on the on the stream before it went toast. All right, let's see. Lambo for Rambo. Thank you, sir. With the big unicorn. All right, now let's try it again. I don't know. It's pretty gay. I don't understand either. Oh, I see it is registering the sound though. All right. Uh, something's just not going right here. Oh, I, know, I think I know. Do I have to do that again? Oh. Because all of our guardians, the yes. shine sprites. Have vanished we have from the gathering spot at the Shine Gate. The reason? It's quite obvious. This horrible graffiti is to blame. Oh no. Behold this sketch of the perpetrator based on eyewitness descriptions. The truth is obvious. The guilty party sits among us. It is none other than Mario. Objection. Motherfucker, no. Overruled. I judge the defendant guilty. Holy shit, this is fits in with the court retort. To clean this entire island. Until Isle Delfino is completely free of his vile handiwork, Mario shall not be allowed to leave. <laughs> Adjourn. <laughs> Holy shit. 
This appears to be quite a predicament. Chauvin, no! Data analysis verifies that the island's inhabitants are indeed troubled by pollution, but the pollution itself <laughs> is not the main problem. Mario, you witnessed this object at the airstrip, mm. correct? It is a shine sprite. Shine sprites are the source of power on Isle Delfino. They used to gather in great numbers at the Shine Gate, but the graffiti incident has polluted the island and most of the Shine Sprites have fled. There is no longer any power to support the peaceful lifestyle of the islanders. It is most pitiable. The only way to ensure the return of the Shine Sprites is to keep the island from becoming any dirtier. The perpetrator is likely at work even as we speak. And you, Mario, are oh, cool. being treated as a source. criminal. Tomorrow oh, no. our best to resolve. We this need situation. Chad Nelson on this case. Okay, I got it projected over here. Uh no. Go straight that way. You can't miss the mess now. Your first job's to get rid of all that ugliness. And remember. We'll be watching you, pal. We'll know if you start slacking off. Fuck you, bitch. Alright, I didn't play very much of this yet. Talk to him. I've never played this game, by the way. I didn't have a GameCube, so. Refill. Oh, shit. No, we need them coins. Secure the bag. Secure the bag, Mario. What's out here? years ago what the fuck it's not even that far out dude how's he been out there for three years i just took a swim oh you dumb fuck he's just out here chilling wow that's pathetic oh fuck what's up okay that's not gonna work huh That's not gonna work, is it? Okay. Okay, so who knows how to open that shit up? Oh, I need Yoshi. Alright. What if I go all the way out here? Fuck it. 
What if I go all the way out there? Will I die? Is it, is it even worth going out there though? Nah, it's gonna suck. <laughs> wow, it's just like Italy, Max. Uh. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, you're right. Where's the fucking princess? Oh, right here, okay. Always get me caught up. Man, you bitch. What's this asshole? Toadstool the court. The court to Amish guy. Let's see. Near the shine gate. Yeah, sure. Maybe I should check it out. Maybe I will check it out. Oh fuck. Looks like a creature. Oh fuck. Bonus Floyd's back. No, Fuck. 
Fuck! I'm out of water. This way? Where did they go? Oh, there he is, you bitch. Shit. Oh my god. Why am I not hitting that? Yes. Okay, one time I didn't need it. Oh shit. You bitch. Oh, too bad. We got tools like that. Oh fuck. You might know where he went. Fuck, I lost him. They set the square. Oh, fuck. Where'd he go? No! Where's that thing? Mario. I don't know where the fucking square is, bitch. Delfino Airstrip, Delfino Plaza. The fruit market? Bitch. How did I throw that? Okay. Is that what they said, fruit market? Yeah. 
I don't know where the fucking fruit market is, though. so many places to go here, so... This looks like the fruit market. Where is this fucker? The fruit market sounds like the name of a gay bar. Yeah, it does, actually. It probably is. Bitch, I don't know where the square is. They gave Mario community service. Literally, I think that is the premise. Man, I might have to play this. Piss me off. I mean, this is the square here, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Fuck. Piece of trash. Not square at all, no. I've never played this game, by the way. I've played a lot of Mario, but just not this. Oh, they're back? Good afternoon, sir. A few follow-up questions, Dr. Fowler. Um, first of all, you were asked a series of questions about um, the weight of Mr. Show. Correct. So we might get yes. some of this testimony. And and we're going to get some of it. That information. Correct. And whether you took into consideration the weight of Mr. Chauvin's uh, equipment and body-worn armor and things of that nature. Correct. To your knowledge, have you ever been provided with any actual weights of what a duty belt, its accoutrements, its the body armor actually weighs? No. Have you ever, to your knowledge, in the materials that you re received, did the state of Minnesota ever conduct any such weighing experiments? None that I saw. And you were asked those questions relevant, would you agree, relevant to the analysis of positional asphyxia, correct? That is my understanding, yes. Now, you would also were asked a series of questions about the... Um, Losing things of that nature that you would see or like anticipate seeing uh, in these types of cases, right? Yes. Would the amount of weight that a person have, in your opinion, increase or decrease the likelihood of seeing such abrasions, whether it be below the skin or in the muscles? The more energy that is applied to that particular part of the body, the more likelihood there's going to be an, an injury. And the heavier the person, 
the more likelihood there's going to be more energy. So yes, heavier people are more likely to cause injury to an individual. And in your uh, practice, uh, whether it be as a the pathologist, or excuse me, the, the chief pathologist in Maryland, or through the forensics panel, or any of your other private endeavors, have you ever reviewed cases of positional asphyxia? Yes, numerous. And have you seen those types of injuries in other cases? Objection, Your Honor, is ask and answer. Oral. He didn't ask and answer. Yes, him. I have. And do you, in those cases, did you have the luxury of comparing it to body-worn cameras and things of that nature? No. I mean, body-worn cameras are a relatively new uh, source of information for us. Um, for many years, we were restricted to, to statements. You were asked a series of questions about what type of testing you uh, performed relevant to the CO2. Do you recall those questions? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, you testified that your report was submitted on February 22nd of this year, correct? Correct. Uh, did your report that you prepared include your assessment involving the potential for CO2 in, or, or carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide in Mr. Floyd? Yes, it did. Since February 22nd, have you been provided with any uh, tests, experiments, any information that the state of Minnesota did similar types of testing? No, I have not been provided with any such information. But since that time, were you provided with photographs of the bottom of the squad car 320? Yes, I was. Has that been since this trial has started? Yes, it's been within the last couple of days, to the best of my recollection. You were shown a couple of photographs of Mr. Floyd and a brief blurb, uh, while he, a video blurb while he was in the uh, Cup Foods store and asked to see what if there was something in his mouth. Yes. Can you say that what that was with any specificity in his mouth at that time? No. Can you say that what was in his mouth in Cup Foods was the same object you saw in his mouth in, the, in his vehicle when Officer Lane approached him? No. Would you agree that at the, the drugs that were found in Squad Car 320, to your knowledge, contained Mr. Floyd's DNA? Objectively. Uh, sustain, rephrase. What do you know about the drugs that were found in the back of Squad 320? They were white, what looked like tablet re remnants, and they were tested for Mr. Floyd's DNA, and I believe they were also tested for his saliva, for saliva. And they were positive for both. And those were methamphetamine and or fentanyl? Yes. Do you recall, again, whether Mr. Floyd was handcuffed while in the squad car? Yes, I did not see him have his handcuffs removed at any time until such time as resuscitation started. And that's the period all the way from when the handcuffs were first applied to him outside his own vehicle. Immediately in the sort of the door frame of the vehicle? Yes. 
In prior to that point, at any point, did you see any videotapes of Mr. Floyd going into Squad 320 prior to the police being present? No. No. Now, you were asked um, a series of questions about an affidavit that was prepared by Mr. Ray, or Dr. Ray, I should say, back in 2005. Had you, were you familiar with the intricacies of this particular litigation? No, I'd never seen that affidavit before, and I have no idea what the litigation was about. you have any idea as to the context of this document? No. Now, you, you were asked a, about a couple of uh, paragraphs where he does, apparently does not retract his position on positional asphyxia? Correct. And you were at, you skipped over, or you were asked to skip over a couple of other uh, paragraphs as well, correct? Yes. Would it refresh your recollection to review the affidavit uh, and put his statements within the, con the proper context as you view them? Yes. My approach. Yeah, the doctor's still going. They'll probably redirect after this. I'm only going to be able to go for another five, probably about ten minutes, maybe. Does that refresh your recollection? Yes. What was the context of those statements? Well, the, the, the context is, is not specifically stated as to why he was making this statement. Okay. Were there other statements that he made that you found important? Yes. What were those? There was one here which says, a 280-pound man with a large abdominal paniculus, i.e. protuberant belly, um, is at risk in the face-down position, as well as a person with obstructive pulmonary disease. And there are many shades in between. And so Don Ray, or Dr. Donald Ray, never retracted his opinion as to obese individuals, but he did at, at one time or another state that the average person who is muscular um, and not compromised in any way would have no risk. And that was in relation to the Chan studies out of San Francisco? Right. And, and then if, if he then goes on to say not enough is known to say whether or not a method of restraint is free from any potential lethal effects. Basically not enough. No. There wasn't enough information. Correct. You were asked a series of questions about whether you're a pulmonologist or a toxicologist, etc., correct? Correct. You're a pathologist, correct? That is my training and expertise, yes. Do you treat living patients? No. How did the patients that you observe appear to you? They are deceased. Are people, you, you were um, 
asked a series of questions about your work with the forensic panel, whether it was a nonprofit organization or whether it was some uh, volunteer time. Do you recall those questions? Yes, I do. And it was forensic panel is a business, correct? Yes. Fair to say. Um, are, would you change your opinion simply by virtue of the fact you are being paid? No, not at all. Are people who volunteer their time more trustworthy in your experience? A projection, Your Honor, for a relevant. Sustained. <laughs> You were asked a series of questions about uh, a four-minute result uh, where pr applying pressure to the neck, maintaining it there for four minutes would cause irreversible brain damage. Remember those? Yes, that was a very specific question. Can you expound on that a little bit more? What t types of variables might affect that? Well, basically anything which stops blood getting to the brain for four minutes will cause irreversible brain damage, not just a asphyxial process, but a process where the blood has stopped being pumped to the brain. So if the heart stops, stops circulating blood, stops processing oxygen to the brain, four minutes, irreversible brain damage. Yes, well, for whatever reason the brain stops getting oxygen, after four minutes, current medical literature considers that there is a high likelihood of irreversible damage to that brain. Do you recall that question that uh, counsel asked you specifically relevant to the position of Mr. Floyd or Mr. Chauvin's knee? Yes, he did. Based upon your review of the uh, video in this case, did you observe Mr. Chauvin's knee obstructing the carotid artery of Mr. Floyd. That knee did not obstruct either carotid artery. And even if it had obstructed one, the carotid artery on the other side, plus the two Got vertebral they talked about this before, by the way. continue to supply the brain with enough blood for it to function. You were also asked a series of questions on cross-examination about traumatic manifestations and the frequency with which you may expect them, correct? Yes. And I believe in this regard you were shown uh, some language out of a Spitz and Fisher book. Yes. Um, when was that Spitz and Fisher book published? I did not see which edition it was. Okay. There have been five editions, so that I don't know. And the other thing there was the wording was different. It, it said often no signs of physical, not usually which was my recollection of the question. And again, I apologize if I misheard the question. <laughs> so there are cases where you may have a positional asphyxia case that does not show these traumatic manifestations. Agreed? Yes, absolutely. Would you ag agree likewise that there are cases of positional asphyxiation where you do see these traumatic manifestations? Yes. And in your experience uh, with these types of cases? Is it common to see bruising, petechia, things of that nature? It is very common.
Now, uh, you were asked a question about whether or not any of the studies on positional asphyxia and prone restraint uh, ever reviewed a, a nine minute and 29 second time period. Yes, the laboratory studies. Um, are you familiar with the cardiopulmonary effects of physical restraint in subjects with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in the Journal of Clinical Forensic Medicine? Yes, I think I have. I believe I read that article. Would it refresh your recollection to just review it briefly? Please. May I approach? Thank you. I believe that I have actually seen this particular paper on individuals with chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases. Does it include positional it. prone positioning greater than nine minutes and 29 seconds? Yes. You were asked a couple of questions about a deposition testimony you gave in Curtis versus Prince County. Do you recall that? Yes. Fair to say that was one small portion of a larger deposition testimony? Yes, and the reference to Birking kind of cut off the second part of Birking. What is Birking? So it's a process where somebody would sit on somebody's chest to restrict chest Birkin. movements at the same time. Somebody else would be applying another method of um, asphyxia to them, often suffocation. And that was in order to basically get cadavers? Yeah. Yes, it, they they were um, doing. They were in the business of obtaining cadavers for for medical study, and they wanted people that didn't have any significant injuries. This was a method by which these two individuals figured out they could kill people without leaving any marks on them, and then sell the cadavers for for medical study. Gotcha. And I believe, and I don't have unfortunately the transcript uh, accessible on the computer. And I believe you referenced multiple officers or something to that effect being on the actual torso, correct? In that particular case, yes. You were asked a series of uh, questions. Let me ask you this real quick. You were asked a question about um, Dr. Baker's finding at autopsy relevant to the stomach contents. Yes. To your knowledge, were the stomach contents ever tested or analyzed for any toxicological substances? I never saw any reporting on the stomach contents being analyzed in a laboratory for any substances that may be present. And if Dr. Baker testified that 
his office maintains those samples for other doctors, other people to review. Um, are, have you been made aware of any tests that were conducted subsequent to Dr. Baker's autopsy on the stomach contents of Mr. Floyd? I'm not aware of any studies um, that were done on those on that material. All right, I'm about to have to check out, guys, because I got to go see my mom. A series of questions about uh, ELV. So we'll we'll have to pick up some of this other testimony in the morning. I've been streaming all day. Uh, I appreciate the support. Um, I reinstated everybody that I was even going to keep out for an hour, so they were here uh, the last hour. My pillow, hopefully he comes back. Hopefully I didn't smother him. Uh, I was just fucking around with you guys. Uh, fancy pants, also I'm just pissed off a little bit today <laughs> as well. Fancy pants with the Radical Rooster, I appreciate that, guys. I hope you have a good one. I got to go, uh, but I'll be back in the morning. Uh, I don't know if we'll have an afternoon tomorrow or not. You, know, you guys know, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Lately we have been. Uh, and we're headed into the, you know, finale parts of the trial. So maybe. We'll see. Uh, but I'm about to go see my mom. I will play the song, though, uh, to give us a little bit of an outro here. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I just had it. I just had it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to let that piss me off because it's right here somewhere. I'll just download so much shit. There it is. All right. Goodbye. I'll be back on the kill stream tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Mark Call will be here Friday, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Thank you for the amazing support.